Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast, hosted and sponsored by the members at GrandTheftWorld.com. As you can see, I'm on the road. Uh, this is the not-so-sunny climbs of a southern state. Uh, it's evening time. I'm using a family space. So I'm back for tonight, but I'm still on the road. All right, so I, I have a lot of news that we have to break open for this evening. We had a very successful, very independent producer summit earlier today. It went on for six hours. I'm a little overtalked for today. I'm going to read some of this chicken scratch that I have here on this note card so you have an idea of the uh, the breadth and scope of the news that we're going to discuss tonight. We're going to do some deep dives into the irrational news, and we're going to bring some reasonable views to such things by adding context, history, and making sure that we see the source materials, the clips, the things like this in their entirety and not little fragmented pieces like people get repetitively throughout the week. So this show is designed to help you make uh, better decisions in life and better choices and judgments. And it takes a little extra work than what the herd is doing out there. Just assuming that what they're being told is true. Just like assuming the water you drink out of the tap is pure and clean. That's a big issue in the world right now. We'll get to stories like, you're not going to believe this, but I finally had to write it down. The Biden deep fake video surfaced this week. It was a pretty important one. And you got to say that the uh, the deep fake is actually better than the original in this case. It's very interesting to see with the technology that is unfolding, especially in recent months, what they can do and make a, a leader, a head of state, say in a time of like pre-World War III, 15 seconds to the doomsday clock ticking. Then we have the government plan to kill your pets. Did you guys know that, that during the pandemic, there was a government plan floated and it would have been adopted probably globally that would have said, you got to kill man's best friend or woman's best friend, your house pets. And in a time of being lied to by the CDC and the FDA and the powers that be, grandma's already dying in the hospital and you can't see her without a plastic shield and all those other COVID preventative measures they had. On top of that, losing a family pet. I mean, how would you stack more trauma into COVID? killing the pets. That was the next step that they had uh, on their rig. Sean Penn, he went full re... No, Sean Penn went full rearmament this week. You guys know the reference that I'm talking about. The rearmament of uh, Ukraine. So in this situation, when you just didn't think it could get any more Hollywood-ish, you know, handing the uh, Oscar to, Z to Zelensky... And being able to uh, portray that as like some picturesque, you know, story of liberty rising up against the big bad Russians. If you didn't think it was any more clownish or cartoonish that it could get more clownish or cartoonish, rather, uh, they upped the ante this past week. So Sean Penn doing maybe his best acting yet, not for a good cause, though. Uh, FDA forced boosters on healthy people. I don't think that's how it's supposed to work, but there's a whistleblower out. And apparently that's how it did work. And a lot more people's rights were infringed than we first understood back in the day. Uh, ESG, environmental, social guidance and governance standards, uh, carbon credits, social credit scores. This has been an agenda the past three years. Parallel to the pandemic, they had the Great Reset going on. Well, this ESG thing is kind of eating itself. And Vanguard, who holds $50 trillion dollars, in companies that were adopting ESG standards, Vanguard has just now pulled the plug, at least on their piece, because they see it is not sustainable and that uh, go woke, go broke uh, is what they're, they're saying over there. Fetterman feared brain dead. Not a good story, but we'll have to probably touch on that. There was a media meltdown because of Woody Harrelson's appearance on Saturday Night Live last week. Now, we brushed on it last week. 
but the aftermath had not yet appeared. And in the past week, it became very evident that all of a sudden, Woody's a bad man. So, you know, a guy who made his name on Cheers for saying things that were kind of dumb, says something smart all these years later, but at a time when there's no political cost to pay for it. That's a free thing now, right? If he had said it three uh, three years ago, you'd no longer see him acting in movies. Uh, Last but not least, if it wasn't weird enough so far, the United States admitted that COVID likely leaked from a lab, and they probably knew this for the past three years, but they wanted you to make important, and you and your family to make important medical decisions without that useful piece of information. So the people who brought you the panacea, the people who brought you the antidote, also made the thing that made people sick enough to need the antidote in the first place should not be surprising, but now there's new evidence to, you know, purvey it to more people, more credibly, more readily when you don't have to fill in a bunch of gaps for them and they can realize it for themselves. All right. To kick off tonight's event, let's go to Luke Radowski of wearechange.org and thebestpoliticalshirts.com. Let's get his briefing from earlier today. It starts out with a math problem being explained in two different countries. I'll leave it there. You'll get it in a few seconds. Hang out for tonight. We're going to have a lot of fun. Think of it then in the context of like, I like to think about a lot of things in the context of a Venn diagram. I love Venn diagrams. Always ask, is there a Venn diagram for this? I'm telling you, it's fascinating when you do. So Venn diagram, those three circles, right? So on this, the intersection between climate Extreme climate, right, which is going to be about, that's going to be also an intersection with human behaviors about greenhouse gas emissions, what we need to do around carbon capture, right? Intersection between that, public health, and then how we're thinking about in terms of the intersection between that and education. Cheese it, Lord Almighty. There's already a major IQ difference between the Chinese and the Americans, but with the way that things are going... We're absolutely screwed. By the way, also in China. And hey, they did say you will own nothing, have no privacy, and be happy, right? Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. My name's Lukradowski here of wearechange.org, and there's an incredible plethora of crazy things happening all around the world, and with the system becoming more desperate, it definitely looks like it is unraveling, especially in the face of a major wake-up call all over the world. This is right now, there's a major protest in Holland going on right now, and a major primetime MSNBC anchor just got the biggest smackdown that you could imagine on national television as it looks like the official story is unraveling and there is some kind of awakening. We're going to be talking about that plus a lot more. If you like the shirt that I'm wearing, you can get it on thebestpoliticalshirts.com and the clip that we played in the beginning of this broadcast was originally shared by uh, some kind of a TikTok user that I cannot see here. I don't know who made this video, but if you know who did, please let me know down in the comment section below so I could attribute them correctly because this video highlighting the Chinese education system that by the way right now outnumbers the United States for the first time in the ranking of the best universities in the world well outperforming Americans on math science and reading of course with such big American intellectuals like Kamala Harris lecturing us about the importance of Venn diagrams now you compound that with our modern indoctrination system excuse me 
education system that promotes wokeness and equity with the fact with how the corporate media has been driving a divisive narrative and conversation in this country it looks like the united states is in some big trouble this says of course the alleged most prestigious thoughtful institutions like the new york times are literally writing about how there's no diversity inclusion in helmets highlighting a, a white lady with dreadlocks complaining how she cannot put on a, a, a helmet this says the establishment also tells you to eat he she chocolate all in the name of serving some kind of woke equity deity that they're even willing to do so by promoting some of the worst most horrible individuals on the face of this earth all of this is the corporate media is telling you that ukraine is winning the war when they're losing the key strategic city of Bakhmut. they tell you exercise especially if you're white is dangerous for you and, and increases your risk of heart disease they tell you drinking high fructose corn syrup extremely processed detergent like drinks is going to somehow boost your testosterone as primetime celebritards like jimmy kimball take the stage on national television and specifically point out individuals like aaron Rodgers who dare to ask the question of wanting to know who some of the world's most powerful people are who have gotten away with hurting thousands of children in absolutely unspeakable ways just like pete Buttigieg's friends did but in actually way more sinister ways now th these comments by jimmy kimmel calling aaron Rodgers a, a whack job for trying to get justice for the thousands of children that were hurt here by very powerful people that are still walking around freely especially with the very uh, checkered past of, of jimmy kimmel is um yeah man gee come on is making many Americans say today, tell me you're on the flight logs without telling me you're on the flight logs. And this is what the corporate media wants you to do. They want to obfuscate you. They want to make you to feel alone and they want to ridicule you. And they want you to think that no one else thinks like you do. And this is why I created the best politicalshirts.com. There is a major pushback against the narrative, the lies, the bull crap that the American people were put through within the last three years. And this is perfectly represented with the larger smackdown that Russell Brand gave to top MSNBC anchor John Healyman on, of course, the real time with Bill Maher show on HBO. Highlighting a conversation for the general public that went viral all over social media, especially this weekend, being shared around by many individuals, highlighting how MSNBC is almost allergic to any kind of authenticity or criticism of their pure lies and marketing that they do for the very special business interests that truly have too much power in this world. And it wasn't just this tongue lashing and smackdown that MSNBC got for the general public to see. There's also this video going around that's going pretty viral right now of the president of the United States running from a question when directly asked if he would hold China accountable. This as the FBI and the Department of Energy have just released very damning information implicating a leak of a particular sickness three years ago that still Tidros Ross, a fat-bellied bureaucratic member of the Ethiopian government that is accused of human rights violations that now is working at the head of the World Health Organization, is still somehow defending as a natural event because of a very wet market in Wuhan. An official story that still somehow is being regurgitated, but it's absolutely laughable in the face of the U.S. government even contradicting themselves. Another major hallmark of the times changing dramatically right now is the fact that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. right now is openly bringing up the idea of launching a democratic challenge against Mr. Z, excuse me, against Mr. Biden 
for the 2024 presidency as of course a lot of even mainline democrats and corporate media stooges are, are questioning the ability of the current president to keep going at the current pace that he is going especially with how old he is with rfk jr saying specifically his wife has green lighted the idea for a potential 2024 run for the presidency acknowledging that he has already passed one of the biggest hurdles in order to do so and if robert kennedy jr runs you could bet your bottom dollar that the main topic of discussion is the lunacy that the american people were put through under the last three years by both the democratic and republican presidents of the united states hippie lady marina williamson also just decided to announce she's going to be running for the presidency in 2024 highlighting more problems for biden but with a robert kennedy jr presidential run you could bet your bottom dollar that there's going to be things that the corporate media does not want to discuss does not want to debate that are going to be making mainline headlines. This says Robert Kennedy Jr. was also just recently seen hanging out with James O'Keefe that during his speech at CPAC announced a new whistleblower and insider inside of the big pharma giant Pfizer as O'Keefe's latest expose of this big pharma giant absolutely has left a lot of american people feeling speechless about the bigger truths he's exposed this as today the telegraph has also another major bombshell specifically highlighting how the government with the british broadcasting system conspired a campaign of fear in order to keep the united kingdom locked down specifically highlighting leaked conversations that the telegraph has verified of a uk government official asking quote when do we deploy the new quote variant to quote frighten the pants off of the public and ensure they comply with lockdowns these are the leaked messages that the telegraph is reporting between a very high profile uk government politician matt hanek whose messages are very eye-opening to the general public that of course had to deal with three years of fear propaganda misinformation and of course the corporate media with politicians screaming at individuals who just wanted to live their lives now what was this conversation directly in relation to what specific variant were they talking about what kind of power did they hold what was the response to this what was happening behind the scenes well we don't know but there should be an investigation will the government investigate itself probably not and if they do it's probably a whitewash and i think the general public understands that and they should from the last three years understand that if the government is allowed to break the laws during emergencies that eventually they'll start creating emergencies in order to break the law especially when it comes to emergencies that allow them to empower themselves with an incredible amount of authority over human beings and if we take away anything from the last three years it should be directly that your personal health and well-being is your responsibility is in your hand unless of course you're being poisoned which some people would make very specific arguments related to this specific topic as well and if you agree with that share this video all right luke radowski at we are change and bestpoliticalshirts.com and um the ideas about uh, the Biden deep fake that you guys saw, I mean, some of you caught what, what, that's not what I was talking about in the intro, but that's another example of where Biden walked up, got questioned, and then ran off. They put Xi Jinping's face on there. And a lot of you just thought you saw a video of your president walking up to those microphones. So the AI availability 
you're going to have to have an additional layer of scrutiny when looking at these mainstream media channels because the mainstream media already outsourced all their investigative reporting to AI bots to write their articles online and things like that a long time ago. So uh, as we delve into tonight's news and some of the funnier things going on with AI and the more serious things that went on with some of these news topics, it's going to be a lot of fun. How are you doing tonight, Tony? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Still going strong after a very productive but very long day. It's been it's been twelve hours. I'm still going. I'm on the afterburners <laughs> at this point, and then I'll fl- fly on vapors and fumes by midnight. <laughs> but I can still coherently kind of say a sentence at this point. So I'm going to hang in there because I like these workouts, these extended workouts. It helps me, you know, build a, a tougher, stronger mentality of production and uh, get into the Grand Theft World this evening is like uh, a lot easier. Than uh, all the concentrating I had to do all afternoon, so this this should be pretty easy. Well, that's good, yeah. and it's nice and warm. So where you're at, at least, so that's it that's, was it was like, nice caveat. It was like a terrarium earlier when the sun was out. So <laughs> this is again, it's dark, it's cool. I'm fine. Good, good. Um, happy to ride shotgun with you tonight and make it as far as I can. And yeah, there's a lot absolutely. of news to unpack. Ton of news as always. So not as we might have Ryan Christian. Yep. We might have Ryan Christian. Uh, dropping in 20 minutes at some point. That's not a sure thing. But I did want to mention that uh, he had taken place in the VIP summit earlier today and that uh, there's uh, there's some you know, news to be relayed about his project. So if he shows up, we'll, we'll cover that. And uh, before we went to Christy Lee, I wanted to make sure I completed my obligation of saying, if you guys missed the VIP, very independent producer summit earlier today, we're going to have a replay up uh, for that. You're going to need the link to get to the replay because we're not just making it public, but if you've got the link, you can see it. You register at, uh, where's the link, Joshua? Do you have that handy? Or LD, maybe uh, drop that in the production room. I have it on a browser, but I don't want to go dig and look for it. So uh, aside from that event, if you want to watch the replay, great. And then we have a two-week challenge. Over the next two weeks, we're recruiting for Autonomy Season 9. If you make it through the Autonomy Obstacle Course in the next two weeks, we'll give you a free uh version of the $300 product, which is known as the autonomy mindset and goal setting course. And that's kind of a prerequisite to make it through autonomy anyway. So uh, we have a challenge. We're throwing down the gauntlet. If you choose to accept it and you uh, accomplish that obstacle course, it's not that hard. It's like three or four hours. If you can't do that, you wouldn't survive this podcast every week, would you? And uh, we have a free bonus if you are willing to uh, accomplish that task because we're looking for the courageous, intrepid individuals who are looking to outgrow their status quo. And we're doing it sooner than later because season nine's coming up fast. So um, do we have uh, that? There we go. LD's got that link there. We got it in chat. Did you get it up on screen? There we go. Universityreason.com backslash forward slash lifestyle dash liberty is how you can get to the page. And if you just sign up here, we're going to get the replay to everybody in the next 48 hours because it was a six hour production. So we got some rendering to do. Yeah. And the the 10 speakers uh, all did exemplary jobs and, and demonstrated what I hope that everyone would get from the event, which is that none of us are like super special talented. It's just a result of doing some hard work consistently and not quitting on ourselves and doing that in a direction that brings more freedom and liberty and less immorality, slavery, and demoralization. That's it. It's a simple equation and everyone can kind of do it in their own way. But uh, if we don't make that invitation, if we don't make people that special offer, no one gets started. 
So throwing a little challenge out there, offering a bonus and helping people outgrow their status quo with this spring is something worth doing right. So, and with that, uh, do we have a Christy Lee clip from this week? Uh, that we do. blind over here. Yeah, we have Christy Lee. Yeah, but they go to the, the I'm only bring up the show card, the second one or the bottom one in the introduction section. There's two of them. She does daily brief. She didn't do a uh, medium malfeasance this week, but I think this the display... Does this make you want to display the Ukraine flag? Let's go to that one. It's a little bit shorter. It's about six minutes. Well, let's go to Christy Lee of Christy Lee Independent Media with her daily brief. That's what it's called, right? Daily brief. Yep. I'm acting like such a boomer right now, but that's what you get at this point. <laughs> Hang in there. We'll get, we'll get it on the road. Warmongers poke the Russian bear. I'm Christy Lee, and here's today's Daily Brief. Find out how Ukraine's president and the U.S. Treasury Secretary are escalating tensions with Russia. And the CCP is feeling the heat as the lab leak theory gains more legitimacy. Plus, Chicago's mayor loses her re-election bid. How did this happen? And sex predator Epstein's associate, Ghislaine Maxwell, gets thrown in solitary. Learn why. Starting today with President Vladimir Zelensky's threat. The U.S. will have to send their sons and daughters exactly the same way as we are sending their sons and daughters to war. And they will have to fight because it's uh, NATO that we're talking about and they will be dying. Now, doesn't that just make you want to wave your blue and yellow flag with glee? Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen meets with Zelensky after pledging another $10 billion in U.S. support. And Michael Tracy points out Yellen tactically endorses the recapture of Crimea. So far, the U.S. has pledged over $100 billion from U.S. taxpayers to drag out the war. The FBI's Chris Wray is doubling down on the lab leak theory, according to Newsmax. He told Fox News that the FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. And the Wall Street Journal reports Wray says the Chinese Communist Party has been trying to thwart and obfuscate FBI investigations into COVID-19's origins, as well as other parts of the U.S. government and foreign partners. The CCP, of course, denies these accusations. And actor Woody Harrelson is not backing down after big media's attack. Here's the reaction after Harrelson's monologue on SNL. Woody Harrelson spreads anti-vax conspiracies. Woody Harrelson spews anti-vax conspiracies. Woody Harrelson rambles out weed and anti-vax conspiracy. Woody Harrelson makes COVID conspiracy jokes. Snooze has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media first. Harrelson's joke was about the biggest drug cartels in the world getting together to buy up all the media. And then the media, in unison, attack Harrelson, effectively proving his point. So he is doubling down. In an interview with the New York Times, Harrelson warned that America is no longer a free country, branding COVID protocols as rather absurd. He says it's wrong. It's three years. Stop. And this as we're learning more about the big pharma lies. Pfizer confirms it ended COVID-19 vaccine pregnancy trial early, according to Epic Times. Pfizer officials told CDC advisors in September 2022 that the study was complete. The trial was listed as complete at the end of August last year, but no results have been released and Pfizer says it still does not have a complete data set. 
from the study and did not say when it expects to receive it. Loser Lightfoot. Mayor of Chicago Lori Lightfoot loses her re-election bid. But how could this be? She was the token identity politics star politician. A woman. Check. Gay. Check. Minority. Check. Why wasn't this a recipe for success? Well, it turns out that woke politics doesn't reduce crime. And folks are fed up with the spike in crime that she hasn't been able to control with her movement to reduce funding to police departments. Light on Crime Lightfoot took third place in the primary vote and becomes the first Chicago mayor to lose a bid for re-election in 40 years, according to Breitbart. Paul Vallis, a former public school executive, and Brandon Johnson, a county board commissioner, will advance to a runoff election on April 4th. Vallis's tough-on-crime campaign included calls for adding hundreds of police officers to patrol Chicago. On the other hand, Johnson has aligned himself with radical defund the police movements, despite later backtracking his support for that position. Ghislaine Maxwell reportedly thrown into solitary confinement. Western Journal reports it happened after she said in a jailhouse interview that Epstein was murdered. Maxwell is a convicted sex trafficker accused of procuring underage girls for convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Epstein reportedly committed suicide while behind bars when security cameras were coincidentally not on. In an interview, Maxwell says she doesn't buy that story, saying she believed Epstein was going to get an appeal. The interview would have violated the terms of her 20-year federal prison sentence if she received payment for the appearance. The Daily Mail reports unnamed insiders say Maxwell was minding her own business when they came in, turned her around, and handcuffed her. She got really upset, she was crying, she was yelling that she hadn't received any money. But nobody saw her again for three days. So here's today's takeaways. President Zelensky says if Ukraine loses, Americans will have to send their sons and daughters to war and they will be dying. Got that Ukraine flag in your social media profile yet? Big media proves Woody Harrelson's point about being all in for Big Pharma by uniting to attack the actor for his joke. Lightfoot loses bid for re-election after her soft-on-crime policies in Chicago lead to violent destruction of the city. And Ghislaine is thrown in solitary for saying out loud what everyone believes about Epstein's mysterious suicide. To learn more, be sure to go to AmericanFaith.com and subscribe to our daily newsletter for American Faith. I'm Christy Day. All right, Tony. Let's go deep shift on the news tonight. We're going to go Grand Theft World. And so uh, why are these people doing this? First off, the irony of just watching Christy Lee's clip is like going off in my head like Chinese firecrackers. Is that racist to say it? I don't think so. They invented it. Christopher Ray, the FBI guy who invent, uh, who admits COVID came from lab. If you rewind two weeks, three weeks ago, he was just at the World Government Summit. He's a kept man of the globalists, of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and the Club of Rome and all those internationalist agencies that put people like Biden and Christopher Wray into power in the first place. He works for them, and now they conveniently, coyly come out and say, oh, yeah, it looks like it came from a lab where we were doing gain of function with University of North Carolina and all these other people that we've been talking about for three years now. Ralph Barrick, EcoHealth Alliance, Peter Daszak, the people that should have been investigated in the first couple months. Now it's three years later, and they're still promoting a worldwide global lie. They're not just like stealing a nation or putting some country in debt, $30 trillion. It's Grand Theft World, and they make 
they make my point every day with this type of news. What do you what do you think about the irony there? Yeah, I mean, there's been a big push over the past couple of weeks while you were traveling of essentially setting up a straw man, boogeyman, if you will, in China or, or against China. That China doesn't have a myriad of their own problems, you know, associated with the CPC and you know what's going on with the, the sort of technocratic control state control state that's been sort of manifested there. There's been the Chinese spy balloon. Then there were UFOs to try to build, you know, sort of divert our attention away from it as a red herring. And then after that, you know, they're they're bringing in this lab leak. No, no, now it's now it's okay to talk about. Three years later, where all the evidence was there to begin with, or at least much of the circumstantial evidence was People there. People lost their livelihood all the way up to their lives yeah. with those lies. It's very and now. Confusing. It's just like no big deal. It's like yeah. them asking for amnesty. It's very confusing because this also happened last week when we were covering Russia sort of being put, you know, Tucker and a bunch of other uh, mainstream and alternative news sources were talking about how we're putting Russia and China into this sort of alliance together, economic alliance. Tucker did a big uh, analysis on how much their economies are embedded with one another out of nowhere all of a sudden. Um, and you know, there's there's this weird multipolar sentiment being sort of uh, developed by people that run, you know, the UN, people that run these supranational organizations, the World Economic Forum, and so forth and so on. Um, you know, that it has me concerned because what type of narrative are they trying to construct in order to move them closer to their goals of Agenda 2030 and beyond that, um, which has to go with you know whatever one wants to call it, new world order, uh, technocratic control from a central sort of yeah, centrally controlled cabal of you know financial institutions and the statesmen and you know a whole bunch of other nefarious and unscrupulous individuals. It has me quite concerned because they seem to be building up this facade, the straw man of this multipolar alliance, while at the same time hoping I think to get us maybe into larger economic conflicts that could lead into potential military conflicts that could lead us into some very dark places. And we all know for a long time, Rich, you and I have talked about this. I did a deep dive on this last week that China's the model. It has been since Nixon and Kissinger and then Brzezinski sort of in the trilateral commission of which Epstein also sat upon uh, that as well, which is, you know, people sort of forget about that. That's a good point, Tony. Yep. So he there's sure this. did sit on. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's those birds of a feather flock kids together, it seems. Yep. And we discovered that in the, the book club because we we're talking about Richard Pearl and uh and also uh, Epstein and Pearl's you know. nickname is the Prince of Darkness. For the, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that's not a nickname that's like handed out like Skittles. <laughs> it's curious. I don't know what to make of it because I'm I'm concerned about the type of straw man they're building here, the type of narrative control they're trying to build here with this. All of a sudden, China's the boogeyman. Out of nowhere, there's a spy balloon. Out of nowhere, we're allowed to talk about in the mainstream that, yes, the Department of Energy has come out with clandestine intelligence sources stating that, yes, indeed, it did come from a lab. What are they trying to build up here? Are they trying to get us into this a new Cold War scenario? You know, something that Kissinger talked about and Brzezinski. I was going through the grand chessboard on the time. Well, I mean, altogether. that's interesting. It's interesting because I don't always uh, catch how the, the public's catching it, right? Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, it coming from a lab doesn't necessarily implicate the Chinese or the communists whatsoever because right. they like good capitalists rented out that place to <laughs> bio mill you and the other funders behind the lab. And then eco health Alliance and Fauci and DARPA and all these groups that were using it. They're all English speaking Westerners. 
right? They're, they're part of the Anglo-American establishment, which also kind of set up the Chinese infrastructure in which they were operating in the first place. So there's like a whole bunch of nuance and overlaps and layers to it, but you need more contextual history than usually fits in a sound bite. And therefore it escapes most people's attention and awareness, which is uh, why we're doing this right now. And you mentioned Biomedu. Let's not forget um, uh, the head of Biomedu at the time. That's an older man. I'm forgetting the name. We showed the pictures many times. Oh, the, the guy from see- Monsanto? <laughs> is that is that what you're talking about? That, that dude? Who's yeah, also I think with- it's Al, Al, Alain Mellieu or something like that. He received essentially the same as sort of the congressional uh, or Medal what would be the honor. Yeah, something like that in regards to or whatever is considered to be the highest civilian presidential honor, medal of freedom presidential medal of medal of freedom something equivalent to that but from the chinese state uh, him and klaus schwab both received those and we showed the pictures many times in regards to Mediu is the one that sort of set up the Wuhan institute of virology and let's not forget this is a total globalist effort stefan bonsell wasn't that the Stephon guy Stefan bonsell as well that's moderna yeah. that was the former moderna ceo who stepped down right before this the, the stock started tanking sold off a bunch of his stocks what's curious is um like this is a truly international effort. So let's not pretend it's just CPC uh, or CCP, however you want to state it. You know, it can be. Uh, well, it's international, but my point would be it, it has DARPA fingerprints all over it from oh, the yeah. concoction of mRNA with Pfizer and Moderna in 2012, 2013 to DARPA playing a role in Eco Health Alliance and the experiments to bringing Pfizer and all this stuff, Moderna, back to the market as the antidote. It's yeah. like the first scene of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. <laughs> that's true you know let's not forget yeah. the 2014 um uh when the the research was banned in 2014 and then it was immediately sent over to china and then 2017 or 18 fauci's like there will be a new after they're allowed to resume the research in america and elsewhere there's also those um bsl two and three labs if not four labs in ukraine that victoria newland mentioned oh wait actually they are there but we're afraid russia is going to unleash viruses now so it seems like the internationalists staged out of from DARPA and out of Washington and out of the UK and sort of this Anglo-American international establishment has been setting up these different, um, using these different regions to conduct uh, very dubious research that could potentially very be very harmful to all of us, but help move them towards their goal of total world control, it seems like. And that's what's, you know, when we talk about Anthony Fauci, he's the one who helped. I mean, the, 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 the point I'd make real quick is they know that it's dangerous. They know this when they're doing it. And they say things like, we know this and we think that the cost in this case was worth. No, that's what Madeleine Albright said when they justified killing a million Iraqi kids, but it's a very sure, similar time. Sure. It's they say similar things and it's hard to, there's so many of them. It's hard to disambiguate those quotes, but they think they're doing the right thing by getting ahead of nature, by concocting things that nature could never make on its own. Like uh, a bat coronavirus that attaches to our ACE2 receptor without the bio lab in between to do that gain of function. It's not possible for nature to do that has That's never true. happened. So to prevent nature from doing the thing that nature can't do and can only be done in the lab, they're going to do it in a lab. I mean, it's just, it's full, it's full rearmament from the, you know, from the get go. And they're still doing that um, after the moratorium is placed in 2014. In 2017, it's lifted. They're starting to go crazy with it again. 2019, Tim Pool last week, we didn't get to it, but, uh, or two weeks ago, he mentioned that. Uh, I think Science Direct, one of the major like news publication for scientific sort of news, I'd mentioned that there was 
uh, gain-of-function research done on H5N1, and quite as recently out of the World Health Organization, especially Bill Gates talking about there's going to be another pandemic. They're talking about the Marburg virus. They're talking about H5N1. Those are the two big scary viruses that they're essentially warning the public that this might become a thing. Obviously, the calling of chickens, millions and uh, millions of chickens worldwide has been a major issue. And apparently H5N1 is, you know, gone into many different mammals now where it didn't previously have a reservoir. So it's very disconcerting to know they were doing gain of function on that particular virus in 2019. Obviously, they were working with back coronaviruses long before 2019. Who knows how long they were possibly doing gain of function uh, even on H5N1 and or what then became COVID-19 or a variant of SARS-CoV. So it's... Uh, yeah, the, the problem is the gain of function is what the PC3, they they use new longer words to say that they're not doing gain of function anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. They're just creating a word salad around it. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's one of these things where, um, you know, I don't, it's difficult to gauge if it's just, complete fear. I know there's a lot of different theories and like, it's, it's just, it's hard to gauge how much it's all narrative control, how much it's just fear pandering, how much of it has been weaponized, you know, uh, elements that they are just sitting on waiting for, or is it all of the above? So there's so many different ways you can approach potentially what this all means, but we sort we certainly should be aware of it at the very least be skeptical, but consider all possibilities and act as if in case something were to emerge, um, that could possibly be much worse as Bill Gates has, uh, uh, you know, dubiously, but, uh, portended in regards to what the future might, might have in store for us. And right before we get to the next clip, I just have to say this, cause this was kind of funny. Matt, um, what's his name? Uh, Luke Radowski mentioned this. So Matt Hancock, this is the same guy who had that affair, just like Neil Ferguson. Um, I forgot about this. So I was like, man, he looks familiar. And I'm like, didn't he have that affair? Uh, huh. Gina Colangelo. Colin, Colin D'Angelo or whatever. Anyways, uh, yeah. So these are these individuals that are, you know, essentially trying to create narratives of fear around new vari- COVID variants while they're out gallivanting with, you know, their their women and their affairs and whatever. While everyone else is locked down, everyone else has masks on, everyone else, you know, has to be vaccinated and all this sort of nonsense while they're out doing what they want. So it's just, you know par for the course. So it's interesting to see those communications with Hancock in regards to the BBC and, and the deep state that is part of the UK uh, uh, political structure. So that was so nice. in exploring this political structure that we're describing, should we start with the hoopla over Woody Harrelson? Because last week we heard the clip, but we didn't see the aftermath. Or should we go to the US admitting the bio labs and get into a couple stories on even though we aren't personally surprised by that, it is now useful to have these more authoritative outlets communicating what we told people three years ago, because now more people are ready to listen to something sooner than later. And in some cases, that could be a life-saving decision, being able to avoid the medical malpractice that the CDC, FDA, and at all were purveying. It's a good question. I would say uh, whichever one, wherever you want to put the comedy first. So if you want to go to the more serious lab leak first, then go to comedy or go to comedy to sort of ease us into lab leak. I'm down for which. Well, I, I say let's have a couple laughs watching okay. people blow up about Woody, who's saying something that was true for the past three years, but they're angry hearing it now. Right. Well, what do you think they would have been angrier? Yeah, they'd have been a lot angrier long time ago. So this is what it sounds like when they roar three years after these events, these lockdowns, these losses of liberty and lives during that process. And now because a comedian slash actor slash 
son of an assassination hitman type of dude. Yeah, it's I mean, very, his Woody, dad is a very enigmatic character. was a CIA a trained assassin because I've seen the footage in the interview where he admits that. So that's it. That's a given. Uh, whether or not his dad was associated with the Kennedy assassination, that's a different topic over here. We're not going to discuss that. But uh, him just being like this guy who says the obvious draws such ire from an audience that heretofore was very supportive of his work. And uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. So I say, let's get into that. Let's let's get some levity that we can for the situation, because then it'll power us through some of these other stories tonight. For sure. Sounds good. To whom shall we delegate that? Should we go to Jimmy? Show the front door. Yeah, we do have Jimmy with that. Um, let me see if I can. What is that? Probably under the uh, the vaccine lockdowns and therapeutic section. And- Jimmy Door also on the Rockfin. We had a big string of Rockfin producers earlier today. Greetings to you on the Rockfin chat ski tonight. How you guys all doing? I can't see your responses, but I'm saying hi. That's that's a pretty good start. See I'll see if I can get this computer to log in. You know, Tony, uh, can't twice during the VIP event, I crashed this computer. So we'll see how many times it crashes <laughs> through the next several hours. Hope but, you know, uh, there. You just tempted nature. <clears throat> in this uh, case, I'll tempt nature because I've had to reboot and it was okay. So what's up, a LD? clip in the, uh, in the YouTube playlist. Oh, Woody Harrelson tells the truth about COVID on SNL. Yeah, that's it. That's the one I was like, yep. Super today. duper. There we go. Because I can't laugh usually at SNL, but I can laugh about them getting upset over SNL. There's so also a funny start. clip by Sky's new, Sky News Australia watching all the mainstream meltdown. Oh, geez. They still want COVID to be zoonotic, I guess, in origin or whatever. So it's there's a couple of funny different variations you can take. Well, let's get into both of those. And then we'll get to the uh, the more serious news. Woody Harrelson made big news. He went on Saturday Night Live and he said this. Okay, so the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes and people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is gonna believe that crazy idea? Except it actually happened. Um, so what's the? Um, so he didn't even mention vaccine so, at all. No, he just he just said that they said. Well, let's hear it again. Okay, so the movie goes like this: the biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians. And- okay, fact. This is all fact. We all know this. Force all the people in the world to stay locked in their home. That happened. That's a fact. And people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs. Okay, there you go. What? Which part of this isn't true? And keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is going to believe that crazy idea? See the people in the, at the SNL. That's New York, dude. New York is still heavy on... Oh, they have no idea. It's a low vitamin D city, put it yeah. that way. So... How how long before you think they're going to start calling him a racist? Because oh. they went after him. They went after him. Want to see? Woody Harrelson spreads anti-vax conspiracy. He didn't say anything about the vax. Well, it's still technically an anti-vax conspiracy, which is stochastically anti-vax. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing stochastic anti-vax. I can hear when you're not fully I, on board. 
Can tell you're not 100% in the cult. Woody Harrelson spews anti-vax conspiracies. Anti-vax. Did they, is this the same person who works Big at these yikes. places? Woody Harrelson rambles about weed. Anti-vax. Is it the same person? Do they all get a memo from their same billionaire owner? Say ramble. First of all. Yeah. The important part is rambling. COVID conspiracy writing. Woody L makes model. COVID conspiracy. So I. By the way, the, the, he just stated the things that happened. That like, happened. They, you had to lock down. Yeah. They're calling him a cartel. Is that like the thing that's mean? I guess. I just said, uh, how long before Rolling Stone runs the headlight? Woody Harrelson's a racist. Guess. Uh, he responded to that. Who's Kanoka the Great? <laughs> what is this, too? Who did he respond? What is Kanoka the Great to? How, what I did that understand what I saw. Oh, at here, it. that's this guy. He tweeted uh, all all these, and then he re- and then Elon responded to that guy by saying on target. And you know, Elon knows because he made a huge amount of money printing up mRNA <laughs> during the like, so he knows. And so just to, and here's Woody Harrelson. He went on Bill Maher. Now Bill Maher, I've given him a hard time. I've copped to at least half of the half of it is jealousy. Right. Uh, at least. Well, with this stuff, though. But this no stuff, more, he's been yeah. good. So I give yeah. him his props. He's been great on COVID. I mean, not great, but he's been way better than the rest of the establishment media. He had enough media. stones to say, like, I, I already took one for the yeah, team. Yeah, that's it. I'm done. And he and uh, here we go. Watch this. Is the CDC promoting that we have to do all of these things, right? I just, I don't like profiteering in war. You know, right. think of the billions of dollars that have gone to big pharma. But I'm, I was getting back to my original point. The last people I would trust with my health is big pharma and big government, because neither one of those strike me as caring entities. Spoken you know? as the perfect redneck hippie. Really, <laughs> if that message doesn't, I mean, the, they're no, all about it, profit. Exactly. They're all about profit. And both sides and know that. seen the profit they've made. I think they've done a lot of studies about vitamin D and how important it was when the people who had low levels, they were much more um, vulnerable to COVID. Why not yeah. tell people that? Can't yeah. you make money selling vitamin D? Is it that kind of, what's the well, worst that could but, happen? But that's just it, man. There was only one thing, you know, ivermectin got made into a, you know, horse tranquilizer uh, a horse, whatever it is. Which it is, but also used by humans. It is used by millions and millions, millions of humans. Uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine got uh, made ridiculous. Um, and there was only one thing that could work, and that's the vaccine, right? And so ultimately, because of that, billions of dollars was made. Fair uh, points would have been a little more effective with shoes on, <laughs> but I agree with everything he said. <laughs> it's winter. How could you take your shoes off in the winter? I mean, that WeWork guy did really good with his yeah. stupid uh, startup, and he was always barefoot. Maybe this will help. Look how, look how, look how awake. I don't want to call him woke. I'll call him awakened. He says, we live in a completely corrupted world where every government is just a bunch of businessmen working for a bigger bunch of businessmen, and none of them give a shit about the people. The sad fact is no one knows how to change it because no one knows how to take on the corporations. Well, more conspiracies. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And just to let you know, so 
<clears throat> Look at all the guy. Head of FDA goes to work at Johnson Johnson. Head of FDA goes on the board of Pfizer. Head of FDA goes. I mean, this is there's a revolving door. Here they are. Oh, Reuters too. So they got the they got the NIH. They got the Fauci. They got the newspapers. They got the media, and they got everybody. This is, and so this. I, who did this? I can't make out who this artist is. But this is fantastic. So everybody, if you stick your head up to see what's actually going on, they come by and they chop it off. <laughs> so that would be Woody Harrelson. That would be that'd be the Jimmy Dore show t- telling you mandates aren't right because the, pap- the, the countries that were the highest vaccinated had high outbreaks, meaning that the vaccine wouldn't stop an outbreak and it wouldn't stop transmission. We knew that a year, almost two years ago now. And we were telling people, and for that we got called the anti-vaxxers. Just like they're calling Woody Harrelson. Everything he's... Isn't that amazing? You don't that's think because that's a little bit crazy to think that just because the companies that make the drugs sponsor every single one of those every, <laughs> think that they would... It, I don't know. Not... <laughs> it just so obviously follows when you see the Pfizer logo come up on everything. I know. I never understood why they did that. Because it's not like when I get a you know a prescription drug, I'm like, I want Pfizer. Pfizer. It's just that whatever I can get that insurance would cover. Really. Why, why would yeah? Why would you want to go brought to you by Pfizer? Why you don't? Do you, do you really want people to know that you're the ones underwriting the news? They don't care. Well, here that's this is exactly what they're doing to him now, right? So now they're chopping his head off. He stuck his head up, and now they're coming by to call him an anti-vaxer. And and if that doesn't work, they'll call him uh they'll call him a white supremacist, just like they did to Eric Clapton. Uh, that that's what they do. This is how it works. So good on Woody Harrelson for taking advantage of his. I'm sure that wasn't in the script. <laughs> do you think he went rogue and said that stuff? I think he did. I don't know. Maybe. Probably. I have no. You know. I have no idea. I haven't watched SNL in so long that I can't tell. Because when Shay was still there, they had a sketch where like some NBA player wouldn't get vaccinated. Somebody sneaks. It was like a prank show, uh-huh. and they sneak up and vaccinate you. He's like, like. It was not so. There was an undercurrent of like suspicion in that, you know. Oh, okay. So, but they I did no make idea. fun of Joe Rogan calling him a horse face guy and all that. that. Was at, oh yeah, that was. They did all that I garbage about that. Yeah, they did all that garbage. But now they're gonna you're gonna watch. They're gonna try to pretend like they we've always made fun of the establishment's version of COVID and vaccines. Watch, watch. They're all everybody, everybody, and every fucking comedian's gonna do the same thing. I was always against mandates. You can't do that, man. <laughs> I always said you can't. My body, my choice. I always said people are going to, you know, they're going to do that now. Um, so anyway, good on Woody Harrelson. And uh, wow. Memory hole, memory holing meets gaslighting. I think it was the name of our show a couple of uh, shows ago. And that's sort of to Jimmy's point. That's what's going to happen. Unfortunately, uh, they're going to gaslight the public and act as though, no, 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 we never really said these things and they're going to confuse people's memory on the situation or they're just going to memory hole it and make sure that the public doesn't have access to what did Anthony Fauci actually say and what's the science say now in regards to masks, in regards to lockdowns, in regards to vaccines and all these different um, machinations and quote unquote therapeutics they foisted upon the public throughout the pandemic I'm curious to see how the public responds to this. And by public, I mean those within the normie spectrum, I hate to use that pejorative, but those that are not privy to alternative perspectives and critically think for themselves. So Do you think they're going to change, dude? I think they're probably, their memories memories too short. 
they're just gonna, you know, brought to you by Pfizer. They like they didn't even get that part, bro. It was so easy and like obvious. They're just gonna go with whatever Rachel Maddow tells them to do next, or their favorites, you know, uh, Don Lamont, what, whatever. He's in a lot, a lot of trouble right now, apparently. So, <laughs> Don Lamont. Not surprised. Not surprised. <laughs> So this is um, my not surprised face. <laughs> we're saying something to the effect of like some presidential candidate that's woman is past her prime because she's over 40 and oh, uh, Biden 70. I forget which candidate, but yeah, I know potential candidate. Yeah, yeah. She so. was the United Nations ambassador. Her name. <laughs> Nikki so Haley. He was yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't matter. Okay. But Nikki Haley. Yeah, there you go. And she's like my age or not. She's Thanks. pretty close. I think she's early 50s. She's within five years of me, probably. Yeah. So I think she's uh, Republican for, too. I can't for him to make those catty comments, I think just says a lot about Don Lemon and not so much. I don't really I'm not a fan of Nikki Haley. <laughs> so no, 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 neither am I. Not, not a fan of really of any of them. Her uh Victoria Newland esque policies of neoconisms uh in the game. And I don't think she's a player that adds freedom or liberty to any of the spectrum or scales being weighed there. No. So but Don Lamont getting in trouble, that's a good thing. <laughs> whatever happened to brian smelter stelter he's, he's been saying some true things don lamar recently too uh, brian stelter uh last was, seen at the world government summit yeah world government summit yeah that's the last With time his, I Merce, saw his man yeah. purse. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's that's fucking classic that's where i miss yourself a fanny pack bro that's where i miss be like joe be like joe yeah i'll be like joe for sure well they can just um, deep fake him if they really want to make a comeback so a deep yeah. fake of Brian Stelter would probably be better than a real thing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get those ratings. Did you up. see uh, Jay Dyer tweeted earlier this week? He's like, this is what the AI thinks I look like. And it had like a, a dude in the Don Johnson outfit with sunglasses on. And they're like, this is Jay Dyer. Oh yeah. yeah. That's what the AI up. picks up about him. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, this is hilarious. Yeah, the AI is a very paradoxical situation because on one level it's very sophisticated, on another level it's very absurd and lacks sophistication, and is just not, you know, it, it's 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 still up to those individuals at Silicon Valley and elsewhere that are the developers creating and you know writing the algorithms for these AI constructs that are embedding their ethics into it that make it absurd, that make it so it's has limitations on how it can you know talk about certain topics and what information and from, from where they'll pull that information and how they'll collate that and turn it into something intelligible it's it's strange because it's so sophisticated and so not sophisticated at the same time so it's very paradoxical right now we'll have to see what emerges from from all of that but it's also terrifying because the deep fakes and all this stuff is very sophisticated so on one level, I just typed absurd. in on brave like uh brave browser using DuckDuckGo search engine i typed in the word google because i wanted to go to the google search engine to do a search for you guys to see what the autocomplete is on the way there it showed me this this was the first result for google on DuckDuckGo is walmart (laughs) (laughs) but if we go back here to google real quick real quick and we say uh you never go full Re, oh, it doesn't autocomplete. There but there's go. a movie quote that has that as the beginning. And that was the reference in the intro about Sean Penn <laughs> never go full re- rearmament because he went full that phrase. I don't want to say it because I don't want to offend, but 
to hold oneself back artificially is not the same as being born with a natural disability. But we don't have time to fight those anti-semantic arguments right now. I just wanted to clarify that for the few nerds who were like, I don't get and, the reference. Oh, and LD. And it makes remember, my uh, point about that's AI. I mean, just yes. like it's AI. So, yes. No, and that Google doesn't want to give you that autocomplete return at all. LD, remember in the Woody Harrelson thing, he said, is it, it's, it's happening. He did this. And you said, I don't know what that was, but he did it twice. Do you remember the that jacket? Yes. It, that's what the reference the was. I figured it out when I finally saw the clip, I figured out he was waiting for the jacket that never comes. And that was a joke, but I didn't get it when you asked a question. Cause I hadn't seen the clip yet. So I wanted to make sure that all came full circle and now it has, and he still has no jacket. I think he did get a jacket at the very end. Oh, he did? All right. But they, they gave somebody else a jacket first. Yeah, uh, they gave uh they gave Jack Alec White a Baldwin, jacket. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Alec Baldwin has one of those jackets too. So you're in a killer club, bro. <laughs> oh man. Killer club with a pond. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. All right. So that's uh gets rid of that note on the movie reference. Now, um there was that other clip that we mentioned. On this oh, Sky News Australia had one. Sky News. Yeah. Uh, they're not our friends, but they are across the big pond, across the Pacific. They speak English down there. And it's interesting occasionally to check in with Sky News Australia because they do have a lot of opinions about what goes on in America. And I think it's just good reflection for Americans to know that people outside this country, many countries, look to what goes on here. And when they see clown world, this does not help them. Or encourage their people. So, you know, seeing this so we can fix it is part of the, the gig. This is the triage. Let's go to uh, Sky News Australia and let's get their perspective on something that they have absolutely no involvement in. <laughs> it's the last one under the lab. Yeah, we got it. Now, also, let's uh, finish off here with uh, the COVID lies that uh, continue to be told by people inside the media here. Now, as you know, the FBI this week, they came forward to say the obvious. It came from the lab in Wuhan. It didn't come when somebody decided to have some bat nuggets. The FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. So here you're talking about a potential leak from a Chinese government controlled lab that killed millions of Americans. And that's precisely what that capability uh, was designed for. Now, what's important here is how the leftist media who pretended this was never a story have reacted to it. One of those examples is the Academy Award winning actress and Fruit Loop, Whoopi Goldberg. You know, who knows where it came from? Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But I know that when the last guy before Biden said anything about this, he made it about Asian people. Only problem is that's not true. And here's the tape to prove it. In this country, your own aide, Secretary Azar, says he does not use this term. He says ethnicity does not cause the virus. Why do you keep using this? Because it comes say from it's China. Racist. It's not racist at all. No, not at all. It comes from China. That's why. It comes from China. I want to be accurate. Yeah, please, John. Please. I have a great. I have great love uh, for all of the people from our country. But um, as you know, China tried to say at one point, maybe this stuff now, that it was caused by American soldiers. That can't happen. It's not going to happen. Not as long as I'm president. 
How do we find that tape? Because a brand new documentary launched today at skynews.com and on our YouTube channel called Lab League Liars Exposed. Its host is the wonderful Rita Panahi. Lab League Liars Exposed. Well, that's a good segue into the lab release. I think it's uh, Peter, Peter Dazak calling it, right? Lab release theory. So I don't, you know. Yeah, Peter Dazak called it lab release in his own words. But that was, you know, just something he said on video. Well, you know, as he's speaking with Vincent Racaniello, uh, who's also like a top sort of uh, viral theorist and 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 virologist and whatnot, or molecular biologist, I believe. And he's sitting there, well, you know about the coronaviruses. It's a spike that drives all the action. You know, all we got to do is manipulate that a little bit. And, you know, the rest is the rest is history. So that's that we played that clip so many times. It's it's a bro mind at this point. But yeah. And another Another clip we we played, you know, recently we just covered this probably a month ago when it was going on the World Government Summit and Christopher Ray, the FBI director, you just saw in that clip, he was at the World Government Summit, and I thought I want to look up a clip for the audience, and I'm going to prove to you it's not that the internet's broken, but the search engines are, and if you can check out here, this is DuckDuckGo, Christopher Ray, I spelled his name properly, World Government Summit, right? This is the thing that just happened. No. They can't tell you about that. And if you just uh, scroll down or if you go to the videos, this is really where you see it. Like there's not, there are videos, many videos of him speaking there, but they're not going to be search found through this type of interaction with the internet. So there are things that exist that you can search for that are not going to be shown to you. And I know a lot of people, this is not news to you, but the extent to which it's like, this is an admission on their part that what he's doing and participating in this is not it's not on the up and up. It's not moral. It doesn't uphold his, like his his oath of office. It violates that. That is why they censor and hide these types of things. Now, if I go back to the search results, it's also interesting what they will tell you about uh, Mr. Christopher Ray. Let's see. Go back to all, and we're going to scroll down here. Get my cursor over here. We're going to look down. White House invites dozens of nations ransomware summit. Now, Daily Wire did cover this January 20th, 2023 World Economic Forum. Ray is part of the U.S. government delegation, right? So That's they did Daily give Caller. us some cover. That's Daily, Daily Caller. Caller. Sorry, Daily Caller. Yeah. Um, undercover DC. And then the FBI covers it, but not the way you would think. This is, you know, him doing some other stuff that's more like cyber polygon. Um, I mean, and then there's this Twitter. Let's yeah. see. I'll bring that up here like this. Why is FBI Director Christopher Ray speaking at the World Economic Forum? And it was the World Government Summit meeting, I'm pretty sure. And uh, yeah, there's not there's not a lot of good information on why a U.S. representative of a you know Justice Department type of organization is hanging out with Klaus Schwab and the International Gang. Yeah. It's so, but they'll be, they'll tell about the Chinese government and the threat and all this sort of stuff. Right. But they're not going to tell exactly. you how the people who are in charge of these uh, investigations and these agencies are participating from a top down type of perspective. Go ahead, Tony. No. And just to bolster your point, I mean, even if you go to something like Rumble, you know, let's uh, just take a look here. Didn't, oh, let me pull off my screen here. A lot of times it's a fumble over at Rumble. Yeah, that's for sure. This is all that comes up. There's Their one that does seem like I don't have any bad experiences with Rumble, but I did when they first launched. I was like, who's in charge and where's the headquarters? And I read the address, Columbus Circle, New York City. 
And I know how expensive that real estate is. So the bank rollers are from a traditional oh, yeah. status quo type of background, and they are offering a freedom platform, but for who long and at what expense, we don't know yet, but let's use it. Honeypot. Let's use it and spread the the knowledge of truth, wisdom, freedom, understanding, experience, et cetera, while we can. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, at least we can use it as an alternative platform that seemingly works fairly well. But, you know, someone either a honeypot or a significant sort of um, straw man sort of set up in this dialectical process. You know, I know they're trying to go public with it and their funding is pretty dubious, but this is all that really comes up. You have Sean Hannity and you have one that does look like it's from the World Government Summit, but the rest are just nothing in regards to world government summit so it's just one clip from the post-millennial live looks like it's a month ago talking about the level of collaboration between the private sector Let's see what this says the, the level of collaborate and this is a quote supposedly from christopher Bray. quote the level of collaboration between the private sector and the government especially the fbi has made significant strides <laughs> uh yeah just a little bit end quote so that's and this is from the world economic forum looks like actually so they don't even have this is just the only hit I got for just typing Christopher Ray on Rumble. Rest are so you know mainstream media sort of quick bites, seemingly. Um, to your point, Rich, just to bolster. I mean, even something like Rumble, we could even try like BitChute tends to be more friendly to alternative perspectives. Yeah, I mean, I even thought maybe I did the search wrong, and so I did the search this way: uh, Christopher Ray World Economic Forum and FBI.gov. Highlights from Director Ray's remarks at the World Economic Forum, mm. but that's 2020. That's during sure. the pandemic that he's over there giving remarks. And that's not what we covered on the news a couple of weeks ago. World Economic Forum, FBI increasing collaboration. Oh, okay. Uh, World Economic Forum discussion, but these aren't what just happened. Right. Oh, wait, wait, wait. FBI director tells world economic forum future of national security in partnership this is 2023 just uh probably a month and a half ago and that's posted by the post-millennial yeah, and that's the one that had a that's the same post-millennial on the rumble i just yeah yeah all same right account. yeah so and that's uh, and that's world economic forum so it must be something taken yeah yeah that's uh libby is that her name libby that's mm. on the tim cast from the post-millennial i'm pretty sure she's a, a writer oh, researcher over there, she's got glasses. Uh, FBI director tells World Economic Forum. So the the tight workings of the World Economic Forum and the Klaus Schwab gang. Remember, it comes from the Club of Rome's depopulation agenda. So the fact that they have deep capture on the FBI layer, very troubling. And then when you look at how long they've had deep capture on that layer, I'd say it goes back to the mid '90s, right after Klaus started grooming the young uh, economic leaders or whatever his his group was called for the next line of progeny from that project. So it's interesting to follow the history, evolution, genealogy, if you will, of a bunch of people who are about depopulation and creating no genealogies in the future. <laughs> yeah. And last week we went over just a couple quick clips from UNESCO, truth and technology or something like that. Uh, it was technology and some, some weird name for the conference, basically just detailing how to, get collaboration from many nation states that are creating policies. It wasn't to... truth, love, and understanding? <laughs> or is that an Elvis Costello song? <laughs> Definitely wasn't the Transcendentals. I mix them up sometimes. Sure. Yeah. 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 Let's see. 
quite the opposite. Right. We did get through the the Woody Harrelson story, so now we should probably wade into the cesspool swamp area that is the U.S. bio lab funding of the thing that shut down everyone's life for three years and put their futures on hold and maybe wiped out their savings and maybe wiped out grandma or grandpa in a way that you couldn't go visit them in the hospital. All these good things. Maybe you lost your job because you wouldn't take the jab. Maybe you took the jab and you lost your health. All these types of things happen, not because of any of us here, but because some people over there went outside the bounds of the power that they are given by whatever structure they have authority from, because you can't have more rights than any of us here at this meeting. Nobody has more rights than anybody else. And let's start there and enforcing that natural law in our relationships with other human beings, because they're not gods. They did not create us. They did not create this place. They do not have control over this place unless we assume our way into giving them power. Stop assuming, start asking questions, finding real answers. And it starts with getting some details on why the United States Department of Energy had to come out and make this declaration. What is it about the Department of Energy where they say something and then FBI Director Christopher Wray says, yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty much what's going on. And might I also say that there's a State Department memo from like January of 2020 that says that's the correct. same thing. Yeah, so this was Trump known internally, right. and we've yeah. shown that memo many times in the past, yep. and now everyone else gets to find out. And that, to me, is a bifurcation of classes. It says one group of people gets this operation set of information that's accurate to the situation, and they make life decisions that triple and quadruple their wealth. All the wealthiest people didn't miss a beat and getting more wealthy during the pandemic. Elon Musk became the richest man in the world. During the pandemic, Jeff Bezos also increased his wealth during the pandemic. Bill Gates also increased his wealth during the pandemic. None of them were financially hurt, surprised in any way, shape, or form. They had a different playbook and a different set of information that they were presented with, probably by the Rockefeller Foundation after the lockstep document in 2010. And they said, here's what's going to happen. Also in 2010, Bill Gates Foundation and Fauci made the decade of the vaccine, which ended in the year 2020 when all this shenanigans kicked off. So the Melkin in the Institute context, in 2019, essentially saying they need to update the new platform with the new technology. They wanted to, but they couldn't right. do it by following the rules. And why right. don't we break the rules and just do it? So exactly. there, I mean, if anyone's watched this podcast since episode one, I know I had you at hello, you get this. But for new people who might be popping in, this what's going on right now is an important disclosure and admission by the powers that be. That shouldn't be probably because they've been lying to us, but it just shows they've been gaslighting, not us, but the other part of the population that assumes what they're saying is true. And that other part of the population, they've had their lives damaged and they aren't able to help themselves without some more nutritious information that's going to reflect reality. And they're not going to get that from the trough where it's swamp water. They need it filtered through people who are using logic and reason and objective reality as a basis for their investigation, identification, organization, and reconciliation without contradictions of the data. And without that capability to process between your ears, you're going to be left to assume that what they tell you on mainstream media, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, NPR, all those alphabet channels, you're left to assume that what they're telling you is true or flip a coin and say, hope for the best. I think you deserve better than that. I want you to you learn how to use the quantum computer between your ears, the most complex and capable entity in the universe, the human brain. And the people on the other side, they hope you never learn how to use it or aim it in their direction. So this show consistently week by week is giving you the raw materials for you to process and come to your own conclusions and take actions with a little bit more liberty in your life. That's the gist. 
So, so what clip a, shall we jump into this broad topic with? So we, I have a whole section here. It's called lab release theory. Um, <laughs> we have a number. So the two best, in my opinion, were Kim Iverson and Jeffrey Jackson really nailed out of the park. They had a whole clip they cut out from his Jackson report called the pandemic pipeline from COVID to bird flu. It is a little longer, both Kim's is 28 minutes and Jeffrey's 28 minutes, but Jeffrey sort of takes it the whole way to even what's going on with potential new pandemics that Bill Gates has uh, ominously portended to be the future uh, within the next decade. So I'd give, but both of those are great. Everyone's something shorter. Paul Joseph Watson did a good summation, Jimmy Dore, obviously, which we just played and Del Big Tree had an opening monologue about it as well. So those are the right, well, we got. <clears throat> Dell's great. But you guys can see the replay at thehighwire.com, or you can see Dell every week. We featured Dell and Jeffrey Jackson consistently. And I feel like Kim made the trip to the anti-war protest a couple weeks ago. Yep. We haven't played a clip of hers in a while. It hasn't been showing up in my YouTube feed like whatsoever. So I don't know how that shadow banning type thing works. So let's go ahead. And she has a 28-minute report. I would expect it would be chock full of facts and things you could dig into of a substantial nature with primary evidence and artifacts. And it's probably the most bang for our buck, aside from the high wire crew. What do you think? Uh yeah, it's 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 good. Uh, she interviews a lady by the name of no way, Dr. Richard M. Fleming. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's um yeah. Dr. Yeah, I know Fleming's yeah, arguing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know yeah, yeah. So she basically interviews him about the the lab leak. So that's the, all right. The so let's cover. Let's, let's go with her coverage up to that. Let's not yeah. include that interview because I don't know what's what Fleming's going to say, and I don't necessarily agree with everything all that Fleming I, says all the time. I think most of it is the interview. Oh no, she has like two minutes of coverage and introduces him. Okay, so uh, let's yeah. let's that's then go to Jackson then. Okay, because Jackson's going to have a point by point. Who had the timeline? Was that Jeffrey Jackson? Jackson? Yeah, Jackson did the best with the timeline. All right. So for the time capsule, let's go to the timeline with Jeffrey Jackson and the crew from the High Wire. The Wall Street uh, Journal put this out there. They broke okay. this story. And these were anonymous sources, uh, a lab leak in China, most likely origin of COVID pandemic. This is the U.S. Department of Energy. And it says in this story, the U.S. Energy Department has concluded that the COVID pandemic most likely arose from a laboratory leak. According to a classified intelligence report, the public has not seen that, recently provided to the White House and key members of Congress. It goes on to say the Energy Department now joins the Federal Bureau of Investigation in saying the virus likely spread via a mishap at a Chinese laboratory. Four other agencies, along with the National Intelligence panel still judge that it was likely the result of a natural transmission and two are undecided. So even within the U.S. government, we don't have agreement on this yet. So we just have the U.S. Department of Energy, the FBI, and they're saying it was, you know, there's a probable likely. But what's interesting yeah. is after that story came out, we had a, an instant uh, reflexive answer from the Chinese government. This is what it looked like. Okay. <laughs> 并同相关科研人员进行深入交流的基础上，得出的权威科学结论，准确反映在中国世卫组织联合溯源联合研究报告中，也得到了国际社会和科学界的广泛认可。有关方面应当停止翻炒实验室泄露的论调，停止抹
sort of now, chalked it up to what else are they going to say, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that represents one of the fastest and hardest lines of the Chinese government against the U.S. during this COVID response. So that's a whole separate story in itself. But we're going to stay yeah. on this origin story right now. So uh, just last night breaking, the U.S. Senate clears a bill. This is uh, a Josh Howley and Senator Braun to, to classify all intelligence information on COVID-19 origins. So they're saying the public has a right to know on this. But looking wow. back, you know, that's a big story. So still not clear on the timelines of when that would happen if it does. But there, this is another big L in the loss column for legacy media. I mean, their their reporting on this has been terribly biased over over the years now. So let's just take a look back at that. Twenty twenty of May. Here's uh, Vice News. It seems like they're always getting it wrong. Trump's Wuhan lab conspiracy uh, coronavirus conspiracy theory is bogus, according to uh everyone. Then we have Forbes, the Wuhan lab leak hypothesis is a conspiracy theory, not science. And then the New York Times in February of 2020, really early getting the jump on this one. Senator Tom Cotton repeats fringe theory of coronavirus origins. And even Bill Gates jumped in there to get his dig and try to wrap it into his climate narrative. Take a look at that. It's quite clear in this case that it came across through animals Mm -hmm. and almost all our diseases like HIV crossed over from chimpanzees in Africa quite some time ago. Ebola came from bats. Uh, this also, uh, with one step in between, came uh, from bats. So it's going to keep happening, particularly with climate change. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, 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 we, we've lived through it, right? I mean, this isn't shocking. Everyone's like, yeah, I mean, I could, we could literally run thousands of headlines from every major news agency uh, there is. Right, right. And, you know, in the middle of all of that over the years, we, we did live through that. And this is what we were talking about during that time. January 30th, 2020 was our earliest reporting on this way back. Like you said, before the lockdowns happened, before anybody even heard of the word COVID vaccine. This is what we were talking about. Check it out. All right. This coronavirus belongs to a family of viruses that are most closely related to the bat coronaviruses. There's no doubt about it. However, <clears throat> When we look at the rest of the genomic sequence, uh, there's an insertion element. This vector technology is a mechanism by which molecular biologists insert new genes into viruses and bacteria. Naturally, one thing that we can say, I think for certain, is this particular virus has a laboratory origin. These are some of the headlines that are out now. Uh, The world needs a real investigation into the origins of COVID-19. You think? Uh, New York Times, WHO experts who are investigating the origin uh, of of the virus visit a lab in Wuhan. And then we go to nature. It says, where did COVID uh, come from? Uh, WHO investigation begins, but faces challenges. If this was escape from a laboratory, what do you think Tony Fauci is going to do? Tony Fauci that has taken US money during, you know, when it was illegal, before it was illegal, after it was illegal, has been moving funds into the Wuhan laboratory, studying gain of function of what? Bat coronaviruses. For all of those mainstream news agencies that have claimed that it's misinformation for the high wire to even question the origin of this virus, I have this to say. Actually, let's let Robert Redfield say it. You know, I am of the point of view that I still think the most likely uh, etiology of this pathogen in Wuhan was from a laboratory. 
uh, you know, escaped. Uh, other people don't believe that. That's fine. Science will eventually figure it out. I want to make this point today that here on the high wire, we have been dancing around this. We've listened to both sides. From here on out, the high wire is changing course. We are no longer going to vacillate between whether or not this is natural or man-made. My assumption now in the work that we've done, in the science that we've seen and shown you throughout this year, and much of the science I cannot show you that is being privately handed to us anonymously from world-renowned scientists, I am now under the belief that this is a man-made virus. This is the University of Chapel Hill. It directly calls out Ralph Barrick and it says that NIAID has basically told them to stop because at that time there was a pause in the gain of function research to stop the gain of function research happening at that lab. So again, more evidence that that stuff was going on regardless of what Anthony Fauci was saying during testimony. In this article, it says three researchers from China's Wuhan Institute of Virology became sick enough in November 2019 that they sought hospital care according to a previously undisclosed U.S. intelligence report. They also plan to create chimeric viruses genetically enhanced to infect humans more easily and requested $14 million from the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. They're taking these bad coronaviruses, uh, making them so that they can infect human cells and then seeing how they would respond to that. This little war game going on inside of laboratories in where? Wuhan, China. This thing is getting ugly, man. I would hate to be Tony Fauci right now. He must really be squirming that all of this is coming out. It's amazing, Watson. I want to thank the, our team for putting that together. It's a lot of work to go back through all the archives. And especially, Jeffrey, I think we really have to you know, thank our international team of silent scientists and experts and whistleblowers that really kept us on the pulse. Obviously, we couldn't do this alone. Um, triangulating this information all along the way, and here we are. I mean, it, it, the whole thing is crumbling really, really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so we have the Wall Street Journal. And then shortly after the Wall Street Journal breaks this story, just a while back, we have the FBI coming out. We have FBI director Christopher Wray. He comes out and says, yeah, us too. We think it's uh, from China as well. This is the headline. FBI director says COVID pandemic likely caused by Chinese lab leak. They've known for a while now. So it's interesting timing that they came out to back up the energy department. And this is what he had to say. The FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. Let me step back for a second. You know, the FBI has folks, agents, professionals, analysts, virologists, microbiologists, et cetera, who focus specifically on the dangers of biological threats, which include things like novel viruses like COVID, uh, and the concerns that, that in the wrong hands, some bad guys, a hostile nation state, a terrorist, a criminal, uh, the threats that those could pose. So here you're talking about a potential leak from a Chinese government controlled lab that killed millions of Americans. And that's precisely what that capability uh, was designed for. I should add that, uh, that our work related to this continues. And there are not a whole lot of details I can share that aren't, aren't classified. I will just make the observation that the Chinese government seems to me has been doing its best to try to thwart and obfuscate uh, the work here, the work that we're doing, the work that our U.S. government and, and close foreign partners are doing. Um, and that's unfortunate for everybody. 
Sure begs the question, how long do the FBI know and how long do they sit watching government officials make the incorrect statements and watch media getting it wrong and doing nothing? I mean, had it not been, you know, the Department of Energy coming forward, would we even be hearing from the FBI? I mean, this whole thing, you know, has a lot that stinks about it. Yeah, and this is the same FBI that we know from the Twitter files that was censoring Americans during the last three years and calling uh, directly approaching Twitter to pull accounts. But OK, so the story everyone's running with right now is blame China. Right. Sure. But let's take a deeper look at the cover up inside our borders. So who is working within our government, within America to keep the truth from us? Who are the players? So we know who the players are. When we go back into the internal emails that we received from the U.S. government from FOIA requests. And let's go back. So a, a day after we called it out on the high wire on January 30th, on January 31st, 2020, we have Christian Anderson. He is a uh, evolutionary biologist at Scripps Research. And he puts together a team of researchers and he emails two people, Tony Fauci and Jeremy Farrar. Jeremy Farrar is the head of the Wellcome Trust. This is a, a, a nonprofit in UK. They deal with health, uh, the health response, vaccines, things like that. So these are the two priority people. Jeremy Farrar, remember that name. So this is yeah. what Christian Anderson says to these two guys. He writes them on January 31st. He says, we have a good team lined up. I should mention that after discussions earlier today, Eddie, Bob, Mike, and myself all find the genome inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory. So right off the bat, he said, I got this team, researchers, all of them and myself find this thing pretty fishy and it doesn't look like it's evolutionary and natural. So right. then we, we see Jeremy Farrar take a quarterback position at this point in these emails. So he takes this uh, just a couple days later, February 2nd, and Farrar emails the head of NIH, Francis Collins and Tony Fauci on this email. So these big hitters here and he says on a spectrum, if zero is natural and 100 is released. I am honestly 50. My guess is that this will remain gray unless this there is access to Wuhan lab. And I suspect that is unlikely. But gray from a respected group under the umbrella of, let's say, the WHO would in itself help. So Farrar here is already lobbying to get this conversation with this group they have couched in the WHO to, to help the conversation. We're going to see what help means from Farrar. Okay. So so we have Farrar uh, speaks to a guy named Dr. Robert Gary in this email. Robert Gary is a microbiologist at Tulane University. And he asked Robert Gary, what do you think of this? Because you're, you're a respected microbiologist, a lot of years uh, of experience. And he communicates this Farrar. Farrar communicates what Gary says to Fauci and to Collins in this email. And he says this, this is Gary. I really can't think of a plausible natural scenario where you get from the bat virus or one very similar to it to NCOV, where you insert exactly four amino acids, 12 nucleotide that all have to be added at the exact same time to gain this function. I just can't figure out how this gets accomplished in nature. It's stunning, he says. So we have two days later now, Farrar is really starting to accelerate this process. Again, he, he, he writes to uh, uh, Francis Collins. I mean, literally everyone he's, he's turning to is saying, this looks like a lab lead. I mean, this looks man-made. I mean, every right. top scientist Farrar grabs a hold of. So, you, you know, you're expecting that the whatever they're doing, you're going to say, look, the, the, the consensus is it's a lab leak. Right. And even Farrar himself is saying it's 50-50. So on February 4th, Farrar writes to Collins directly, copies Tony Fauci on this email. And now he's telling Collins how to message, um, allegedly in the media, how to speak about this. So he's telling him how to talk, being very careful in the morning wording, he says. 
he says in quotations, engineered, probably not. So he said, don't talk about that. Remains very real possibility of accidental lab passage in animals to give glycans. We'll forward immediately. Or if you want to give Eddie a ring, Eddie would be 60-40 lab side. I remain 50-50. So on that same day, Farrar again emails uh, Fauci and Collins, and he says this, I'm pushing the WHO again today. So he, here's this guy, he's really pushing WHO to get this thing to get this thing started, to put this team in there. And now we have Eddie Holmes, he jumps in here. He's one of the uh, scientists that was put together to look at this, and he put together a basic paper. He said, here's our summary so far. Will be edited further. It's fundamental science and completely neutral as written. Did not mention other anomalies, as this will make us look like loons. We can only imagine what he left out at that point, yeah. but what would make them look like loons? Well, or conspiracy theorists or whatever people call in the media. So now, now things really get rolling. And again, we're still within six days of that initial first email. I mean, it's so like panic. Like there, there, there's, a, there's yeah. a panic going on. Something's going on. Really interesting. Yeah. The, the, a big urgency here. So again, Farrar, right at the helm, quarterbacking this thing, February 5th, 2020, he writes to Collins, again, Francis Collins and Tony Fauci, and he starts talking to the w about the WHO. He says this, couple of things. I spoke again with the WHO this morning. He says, I believe they have listened and acted. Let me know if you agree. Now he's talking about next week at a WHO meeting, they're going to set up a group to look at the origins. He says, the WHO have asked for names to sit on that group, please send names. So he's already got in and in there. He's asking for those guys to send him names. He says, we'll have a call next week with the core group to frame the work of the group, including if you can join. So they're going to frame the WHO's work. And he says, I think this puts it under the umbrella of WHO with action this week or the next. So he's asking for names. He's got the action moving. He's doing well. He says, does this sound reasonable to you guys? Now, Farrar branches off a little bit here. February 8th, this is where it starts rolling. And this is where it bursts into the public consciousness. So on February 8th, Farrar is now talking to the individual um, microbiologists and scientists and researchers that are putting together this paper that will eventually be put out in the public. This is Eddie Holmes. You can see them in there on the uh, copied uh, Christian Drozdin of the PCR testing, Andrew Rambald and others. And he says this, my preference is that a carefully considered piece of science early in the public domain will help mitigate more polarized debate. So he doesn't want to debate. If not, that debate will increasingly happen and science will be responding to it. Not a good position to be in. I thought science is, is unfolding with the information, not right. trying to frame it or direct it, but not in Farrar's world. So that, that it was February 8th. One week later, we have this study published in Nature. It comes out, the proximal origin of SARS-CoV-2. This is a big study in the history of the timeline of this. And it says this, and all those authors are on there. We've got Eddie Holmes. We have all the people we talked about. It says, our analysis clearly show that, clearly show that SARS-CoV-2 is not a laboratory construct or a purposeful manipulate, purposely manipulated virus. Wow. So, I mean, from so the scientist that said, I'm 60-40, he's 60-40 on believing this is a lab. Like all the others say, I see no other way that this could be done. They all sign onto a paper saying clearly natural. This is the only way to see it. Within just over two weeks of the initial email starting this whole thing off, wow. that's the conclusion they come to. Wow, what a turnaround. And then just a couple days later, Farrar himself puts his name, along with Peter Daszak of EcoHealth Alliance, puts his name on this paper in The Lancet, statement in support of the scientists, public health professionals, and medical professionals of China combating COVID-19. And it says this, we stand together to strongly condemn conspiracy theories suggesting that COVID-19 does not have a natural origin. Wow. And there, the media has all they need 
to call everyone a conspiracy theorist that talks about this thing. So here Farrar is saying out of one side of the mouth, oh, we need a neutral piece of science so we can frame this debate. And then a couple weeks later, you're a conspiracy theorist if you put this out. And that's what's going on there. So let's let's wrap this piece up for a second. And remember that guy, Robert Gary, who initially said, I just, it's stunning. I just don't know how this happens. Well, yeah. we look into, we, he works for uh, Tulane University. He's a microbiologist, they're a virologist. I looked into the NIH.gov awards by location and organization. And you have Tulane, Tulane University uh, in 2020 had 155 awards totaling $92 million. 10 million of that was to Gary's department of microbiology. They That department regularly gets about $10 million a year. So heavily funded wow. by the NIH, by Francis Collins' NIH. And you but got then Tony Fauci further. over the NIH, whose fingerprints are all over this virus, is screaming from the rooftops, oh, no, it's natural, and you know it's not going to be a big deal. Everybody look the other way. Uh, and then right. you have the payout. Wow. And then we have uh, Christian Anderson, who originally put the first email together and said, you know, all of us, along with myself, believe that this thing doesn't really look too like evolution, like happen evolutionary. So he has an Anderson lab at the Scripps, uh, Scripps University in California. This was the headline in August of 2020. New NIAID funded center established a new $8.9 million grant received by the Anderson lab and others are on that grant, but his name is on that grant as well. And so why is all of this important? L look who is the new head of the WHO. This is just breaking headline over the last month. World Health Organization named Sir Jeremy Farrar as chief scientist. Dell, wow. it, it can't get any more obvious than this. And why is this a problem besides everything we just laid out? The WHO pandemic treaty is rolling and America has signed on to this. Um, it's it's in draft formation, but America and the Biden administration has signed on to this. And this is the headline, U.S. sovereignty slipping as WHO members agree to draft legally binding pandemic contract. So this dramatically expands WHO's authority to declare a pandemic. It puts anybody signing on to its GDP. They have to give a percentage of that to the pandemic response. It, it cancels intellectual property for U.S. companies so that everyone can share. So what's happening is you have Jeremy Farrar getting into the driver's seat of this, this WHO with more power than it's ever had since its inception. And so what is the first thing that he does I mean, when just, he gets just in be, there? I mean, it's really, really shocking that the guy that sits literally at the table orchestrating this lie that is now collapsing uh, inside of the Senate here. Uh, in, you know, we've got Department of Energy, we've got FBI, and at the center of it, the guy that clearly is entwined in this cover-up, not China. I mean, China has their own issues. They're involved in this. But this is, this is inside of, you know, our government working with Tony Fauci. Now this guy is going to be the head scientist when the WHO wants to mandate and control every nation of the world during the next pandemic. We've got that lead liar in the position. I mean, it's Je Jeffrey. I mean, it's, it is amazing. I'm not seeing anything like this in the news as they scream foul and the sky is falling. This truly is terrifying. And he's from a London-based organization. So how is someone like that have that much power within our government and to direct the response within our borders? So what is even more 
concerning, I guess you want to say. Oh, great. It gets worse. Thing, you know, I, <laughs> it, it, I'm, I'm following, the, following the data as it's being reported right now. So the first thing he does as he gets into the WHO's head position there is he says this. This is in Reuters. So this, isn't, this doesn't take much research to get this. Develop vaccines for all animal influenza strain, says incoming WHO chief scientist. Then you go to the Telegraph uh, a day later. Prepare birth bird flu vaccines now before virus jumps to humans, top scientist warns. Uh, Sir Jeremy Farr said the avian H5N1 virus sweeping the global bird population posed the biggest pandemic threat to the world after COVID. And he says in that article, so what I would like to see is governments investing in having vaccines for every strain of influenza that exists in the animal kingdom through at least phase one or phase two. What the heck is going on? And why is this guy saying stuff like this? Well, just so happens that there is a, a a bird flu outbreak that's been going on. This is one of the headlines. A girl from Cambodia, 11-year-old girl, died of bird flu, did not have widely circulating vi uh, variant. But then just a couple days later, we have Sky News reporting this. Bird flu spillover concerning Dr. Warren's virus in girl who died had mutations, making it better adapted to humans. If you, Then you, you go into the article and the doctor says, well, the mutations were unlikely to have occurred in the girl and the virus had hasn't yet fully adapted to humans. It's still a bird virus. So, you know, shame on Sky News for reporting am I, that. Am I to be clear that mainstream news around the world are carrying a story of one girl out of the nearly 8 billion on this planet that has, an, you know, some form of flu, that this is, it, this is international news. We must all be terrified. It's happening again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. Right. Some, something stinks here. And seeing the media jump the gun in unison on a story that is not really a story with, with major data behind it is yeah. very concerning. And so who else? You know, it, it's, it's not bad enough with all that evidence. We have Ferrar just turbocharging this thing. Who else is on team bird flu? Well, Check out this headline, Dell. You're not going to believe it. Professor Lockdown Neil Ferguson once warned 200 million people globally could die during bird flu crisis. You know, sometimes I don't like my job. So here we go. Here's another headline. The avian flu, it goes into this article and it talks about this. The UK has an avian flu technical group. This is part of the UK Health Security Agency. It is now working on fresh modeling scenarios on how bird flu could take off in Britain. Professor Ferguson, an epidemiologist whose chilling predictions of the COVID outbreak, which were wrong, led the government to to impose the first lockdown is one of those in the group. It goes on to say, let's go, let's go to the greatest hits for this guy. Professor Ferguson was also, according to insider, insiders, instrumental in modeling, which led to the call of more than 6 million animals during the foot and mouth outbreak in 2001. The move was estimated to cost the UK 10 billion pounds and left rural Britain economically devastated. Great move, Neil. And then it goes on to say, wow. in 2009, his modeling suggested a realistic worst case scenario would, would see 65,000 die due to a swine flu outbreak, only around 400 150 died due to the virus. But, you know, this isn't the first rodeo. This guy for, for cannot fail enough uh, to, to lose a job. In fact, he just he, talked about failing forward. This guy is, has, you know, written the book, Neil Ferguson, Failing Forward. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he had to step down from his position at Sage because he was caught breaking the own lockdown, the lockdown during COVID that <laughs> right. he helped start because he was, you know, seeing another woman. <laughs> Just to add that piece in there. But this isn't his first rodeo. So in 2005, 
uh, bird flu, uh, bird flu basically bit them there too. So the bird flu pandemic could kill 150 million. That was the headline from 2005. And it said this in that article, he was in that as well. Last month, Neil Ferguson, a professor of mathematical biology at Imperial College London told Guardian Unlimited that up to 200 million people could be killed. He says around 40 million people died in 1918 Spanish flu outbreak, said Professor Ferguson. There are six times more people on the planet now. So you would scale it up to around 200 million people probably. And you know who else was there in 2005, Dell? Talking about the same thing, Jeremy Farrar. This guy has been trying to, to uh, alarm people about bird flu for uh, coming up to 20 years now. And this was a BBC documentary film, uh, Panorama, that's their documentary film series. And this was the headline for that, but it, it was called Bird Flu. Uh, the documentary bird flu facing the pandemic in 2005 where he talks about how scary this thing is going to be and so you know when we when we I see mean, these I, people you see where you're going just brace yourselves folks i mean what we've told you these are not conspiracy theories start taking these fools for their word this is something that they're invested in when they start moving in the clown show and neil ferguson is brought back in like you know the, this team of morons is gathering inside the who inside of oxford as we speak and working towards one idea now it really is chilling what is their obsession with a bird flu and by the way i want to remind everybody prior to these people being in charge of our health departments, a pandemic happened on the planet about every 50 years at most. And now we're in the sense, we're getting used to the idea that we could have a pandemic every other year or so. Uh, very interesting how when you start marketing pandemics, they happen more. And when you start predicting them, they happen more. And who was one of the best people at marketing pandemics? Well, we've heard from recently Bill Gates. Listen to this. All right. Bill Gates, how to prevent the next pandemic. Why are you saying there's going to be a next pandemic, Bill? Uh, <laughs> why are you putting that juju on us? <laughs> Given all that we've been through, it may seem surprising that I'm optimistic that we can prevent the next pandemic. We have to make sure that we're ready uh, because there will be another pandemic. And there's so many lessons about uh, how we weren't prepared, how we should have handled things differently. Asia is a big risk and Africa is also a big risk because the boundary between humans and animals is getting uh, closer and closer. You know, if we're rational, yes. Uh, the next time we'll catch it early uh, and it won't go global like it, it did this time. Something people don't like to talk about much, which is bioterrorism, that somebody who wants to cause damage could engineer uh, a virus. What if uh, a bioterrorist brought smallpox to 10 airports? You know, how would the world respond to that? Stopping the next pandemic he smiles will when he says it. a big investment. But I think of this as the best insurance policy the world could buy. Certainly there will be more pandemics. You know, we'll have to prepare for the next one. That, you know, I'd say will get attention this time. <laughs> Wow, the dream team's at it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll be tracking this story, a lot of offshoots of it as well. But, you know, keep an eye on those players, because as you said, these are serious players and they're all moving for one one focused narrative at this point. So definitely and, something and, and to I, keep an eye on. And, and I want to put out there, those of you watching, you know, we really beat on monkeypox early on, showing that they were trying to really create a scare here. I think we stopped that in its tracks because it seemed foolish. I think we all really should start having these conversations with our friend. Like, are they really going to try and push a bird flu next? If we can, I think if we can change the narrative,
narrative around this before they even get off the ground and running. We really are, you know, starting to have this ability to nip these things in the bud. So be clever in how you bring up these conversations with your friends, because, look, we, we're in a boy that cried wolf moment. I don't know that they could even pull this all off again, but it certainly mm-hmm. looks like they are gearing up to try. Oh, man, there's so much to unpack there. Um, They're certainly gearing up to try. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let me see if I get this. Let me get this straight. Yeah. yeah. There's some people at Oxford with a chilling plan for your future. Is that that surprising, Tony? Yeah, they said it was based out of London. It's not like we've talked about (laughs) London or American establishment at all. Bruce Willis said in Die Hard. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> oh, and that's another predictive programming system the most recent diehard with the whole fire sale. And there's thing. also an irony of the Neil Ferguson who did the bogus numbers for the pandemic and the yep. Neil Ferguson spelled a different way. Harvard professor, author of the two volume Rothschild set. Ferguson, yeah, yeah. Neil, but it's, it's pronounced Neil, pronounced even Neil. though it's, sure. it's, it's spelled Niall Ferguson. Mm-hmm but it's pronounced Neil Ferguson. A lot of crossover between their two names because one is a globalist shill specialist and the other one's a professor at Harvard, which is my way of saying it's kind of the same thing. They hired Brian Stelter over there. Come on. (laughs) It's no longer the the bastion of Eastern establishmentism. It's more like a place where woke goes broke to die over there. I don't know what's going on. But uh, I think Matt Eretz said each successive generation becomes more and less and less sophisticated in their ability to control narratives and to be the highest, you know, intelligence in, re- in regards to how they perpetuate. Weak men create bad plans. times. There's the whole yeah. fourth turning for you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. So if there was the weak man award. It would look like Brian Stelter and not Oscar. So, I mean, you know, the Oscar award is shaped after a Templar, by the way, he's holding a Templar sword. That's a Templar knight given to you in a kind of Knights Templar kind of temple out there, that whole ritual call. But this is not esoteric Hollywood. This is Grand Theft World. So please continue. There's that connection. There's that. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, Knights of Malta. which even is what uh, reference to Whitney Webb's books. We've gone through it, but I have to just I've put this. Please the take the welcome leap. The welcome leap. This is Whitney Webb going back to June 25th, 2020. Let me put a figure on here. I'm going to highlight it. June 25th, 2021. So for hopefully people can see that, make it a little, little bigger. A leap toward humanity's destruction is the name of her article. And here's like a, a sort of thesis. The world's richest medical research foundation, the Welcome Trust, has teamed up with a pair of former DARPA directors who built Silicon Valley's skunk works to usher in an age of nightmare surveillance, including for babies as young as three months old. And so let's just DARPA, DARPA, DARPA. Now, what's the date on this? This was June 20. She wrote this, or I mean, she's writing before this, but she published it on June 25th, 2021. All right. Now, if you put that together with her uh, January 2020 DARPA bioweapons, and gene editing article that was printed on the last American vagabond, yes. right? Read those two and then look at what's going on today and see where real news precipitates in our reality. And, <laughs> and combine that with Brian Stelter and Don Lamont. <laughs> no, very much so not. Um, and combine that with uh, Batty Ben's COVID collaborative blog, especially with Rajesh Shaw 
the head of the Rockefeller Foundation right now, Tom Inglesby, the MC for Event 201, um, Dr. Robert Califf, who is uh, the Duke University researcher that partnered with the World Economic Forum, real world data, real world evidence, all these innovations, all these ideas. She's done a lot of that's a euphemism, by the way, for they're testing on you real time in exactly. a way that violates the Nuremberg Code oh, on yeah, medical yeah. ethics and, and experimentation. That's it's the a, euphemism. It was <laughs> real time a, testing. In Nazi Germany, they called it applied biology. Today, they call it precision medicine. So I think I've said that once before, but that's that's essentially the analogy. Um, they're just paying it forward with different terminology. But let me just read a couple sections from here because they this will elucidate, help provide some context what uh, Jeffrey Jackson's brilliant reporting did in that timeline he provided, particularly about Jeremy Farrar. So I'm just going to read two quick paragraphs in the beginning, and then we're going to jump into Jeremy for just a quick paragraph just to give some context. And I encourage everyone, this is on a limited hangouts. It's called A Leap Towards Humanity's Destruction. Please uh, check it out. Read the whole thing. It is a bit of a long read. It's very in-depth, but it's absolutely worth it. I've gotten it on the show a number of times, but let's just jump into it real quick. A UK, nothing ever comes out of the UK, Rich. Nothing to see there. Uh, a UK nonprofit with ties to global corruption throughout the COVID-19 crisis, as well as historical and current ties to the UK eugenics movement, like Fabian Socialism, you know, UNESCO, Julian Huxley, you know, Francis Galton, and then the Galton Institute, I guess it was called the Eugenics Institute, and then it was renamed, but you get the point. Um, it launched a global health-focused DARPA equivalent last year. The move went largely unnoticed of both mainstream independent media. The Welcome Trust... Our, we covered it last year. That's right, we did. The British that's, DARPA. And every time Tony says DARPA, you have to say DARPA, 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 and take a shot. <laughs> that's right. DARPA, 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 DARPA. Uh, the Welcome Trust, which has arguably been uh, second only to Bill Gates and its ability to influence events during COVID-19 crisis and vaccination campaign launched its own global equivalent of the Pentagon's secretive research agency last year, officially to combat the, quote, most pressing health challenges of our time, end quote, though first conceived of in 2018. It's not like anything nefarious on 2018. This wel- this particular Welcome Trust in- initiative was spun off from the trust last May with $300 million in initial funding. It quickly attracted two former DARPA executives who had previously served in the upper echelons of Silicon Valley to manage and plan its portfolio and projects. Now, she gets into who they are. One of them is Regina Dugan. You can see how she went from DARPA to essentially the equivalent at Google and, you know, ushering an age of transhumanism. Here it is, uh, merging man and machine, so you can get into that. But we're interested in Jeremy Farrar. She has a whole section just on good old Jeremy, who's now a what gonna uh, he's been pinned to be the head of the WHO or something like that, which is news to me, which is quite terrifying because he has the same job as Rich, you know this very well, by a man of the name of Philip Zelikow. In fact, Maddie Bannon oh, talks creator about creator of, of urban legends and public myths specialist yeah. who wrote the 9-11 omission report. <laughs> Pre-wrote it before they gathered any evidence. They he had the outline as if Chat GPT was his friend. Yes. <laughs> Before the event happened, very uh, prescient of him. Mm-hmm. There's no confirmation bias whatsoever there. So let's uh, let's dive in a tiny bit to Jeremy Farrar, and again, encourage people to check this out. But just to give some context, uh, a little bit more context to what uh, Jack- Jeffrey Jackson's reporting uh, provided. So it states here. While Dugan and Gabrielle ostensibly led the outfit, Welcome Leap is the brainchild of Jeremy Farrar and Mike Ferguson, who serve as its directors. Farrar is the director of the Welcome Trust itself, and Ferguson is deputy chair of the Trust Board of Governors. 
Farrar has been the director of Wellcome Trust since 2013, has been actively involved in critical decision-making at the highest level. Everyone saw that with what uh, Jeffrey Jackson was able to expose in regards to the email chain and continuing with the article globally since the beginning of COVID crisis. He's also an agenda contributor to the World Economic Forum and co-chaired the WEF's Africa meeting in 2019. Farrar's Welcome Trust is also a WEF, that is World Economic Forum, strategic partner and co-founded the COVID Action Platform with the WEF. Farrar was more recently behind the creation of Welcome's COVID Zero initiative, which is also tied to the WEF, the World Economic Forum. Farrar has framed that initiative as, quote, an opportunity for companies to advance the science, which will eventually reduce business disruption, end quote. Thus far, it has convinced titans of finance, including MasterCard and Citadel, to invest millions in research and development at organizations favored by the Wellcome Trust. So she gets into uh, the UK eugenics movement, some of Wellcome's controversial medical projects in Africa, as well as its ties to the UK eugenics movement, were explored in December article published at Unlimited Hangout. That report also explores the intimate connections of welcome to this is your point, Rich, uh, to Oxford AstraZeneca COVID nineteen vaccine use of which has now been restricted or banned in several countries. This is when it first came under investigation for the issue of blood clotting, and this is back in twenty twenty one. So um, it gets in like, Oxford University Clinical Research Unit in Ho Chi Minh City, nineteen ninety eight. So she gets in the origin. She does a deep dive into it. That gives a little context of who this individual is. He's about crafting narratives. He's essentially the equivalent to Philip Zelikow, which Maddie Bannon explored. If I can find this here, and see Philip, yeah, right here. So this was the her initial. This is now on the Last American Vagabond Substack. You can check out all the phenomenal contributors over there. Um, and she's uh, has the opportunity now to post on there. It's been awesome for her. But the COVID collaborator, COVID collaborators. Introduction by Maddie Bannon. In her introduction, she mentions Philip because he was one of the ones uh, that set up, whereas uh, he was um, pinned to sort of set up this whole COVID collaborative planning group. And he mentions his, uh, he's essentially the project manager for what then became the control of the narrative in America and, and elsewhere, associating with many of these unseemly individuals that we've already talked about. And she goes in the 9 11 Commission report. If we continue to search, Philip. Well, Zelikow is to Operation Mockingbird what Jolly and West was to MK Ultra. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I just baked it. I bake all I bake all my analogies and mix all my metaphors live. Shout out to Yona. That's something he would say. <laughs> yeah, it was more more in the oven, as he would say. But hell, that's a hell of an analogy, and that's exactly right. He's essentially tasked with coming up with the COVID collaborative planning group. Um, and, you know, uh, next installment, she talks about Raji Shaw, the head of the Rockefeller I, Foundation. You know, they can save words. <clears throat> Instead of a COVID collaborative planning group, they could call it the COVID Soviet because a Soviet is a council planning group just like that, right? Yeah. They could save some letters on their stationery. So it's interesting that they coined, they pinned someone that's, in, in the UK, that is, with the, through the Welcome Trust and Welcome Leap, um, these foundations about crafting narratives. And notice what Jeremy Farrar was doing. So Whitney Webb, you have Maddie Bannon both highlighting and detailing the machinations of the, these individuals. He is seen at the very beginning of making sure that he, they can control the narrative around this whole lab release, lab leak, quote unquote conspiracy theory, supposing that the 
coronavirus emerged from the Wuhan Institute of Virology in, in Wuhan, China. So he immediately was one of the ones that sort of coordinated all of it, helped to craft the narrative, helped to get the, you know, Gary Webb and Anderson, all these people together with Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins in his emails and say, hey, look, what do you guys think? Oh, you guys think it came from, OK, we got to like not get the lab thing, even if you think it came from a lab, just st- stop that. And they we'll didn't sure. seem too worried as they covered up the crime. Like right. if it was an accident different activities and behaviors are demonstrated but this was from the get-go clearly they knew and they decided not to tell people at the cost of millions of lives and then the added torture on top of it was denying therapeutics early treatments and the heavy doses of fear and subjugation through lockdown and capitulate and lose your job lose your career or take this experimental illegal but if you wait for the law you'll be dead vaccine offering that they had right which wasn't a vaccine it was an mrna gene therapy that was offered without informed consent that's right that's well said i'll just add into what you just said the hospital protocols i mean there's so many different things with if you get submitted to the hospital you essentially waive your rights you then you get remdesivir you get intubation um you get all host of toxic um pharmaceutical chemicals uh, thrust upon you that seems to also be implicated and then they would count that in case you know they wouldn't count that as possibly being part of the reason why someone uh, possibly died from it they would just say it was COVID that did it so there's so much uh absurdity around all of this and then now they're talking about i mentioned earlier h5n1 you have bill gates of course saying well we can get in charge you know in front of the next pandemic and all this sort of now nonsense. where did that originate and was there a lab or three or five involved? Oh, because yeah, the stars yeah itself came from chinese labs back in the day and these people didn't take that as a warning they took it as oh we'll get more funding so they almost learned lessons like oh an innocent lab release or leak back in the day might have spawned purposeful intentional releases on schedule so that they can maintain their their schedule their calendar they have goals and they got timelines and they don't want to wait for things to happen naturally that they can make happen artificially in a lab 100 percent, yeah 100 percent. and to your point you know when did they start with this narrative 2005 uh now neil or uh, ferguson comes up with the models and then 2009 100 million dead in 2005 he says 200 million i think in 2009 steve hankey who is one of the authors he's the part of the yeah he made the uh the the jfk uh bushwhacked series Steve Hankey, is that what you're talking about? The filmmaker? Not the filmmaker. He's okay, uh, he's a researcher. He's um a researcher. He has a, 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 sort of a spinoff department as part of Johns Hopkins. He's the one who did the whole showing that lockdowns didn't prevent any sort of deaths. And Jimmy Dore had him on um to go over his his sort of longitudinal study associated with it and stating like how what do social scientists do as researchers? You know, they they take these studies and they collate them. Anyways, you can check out the Jimmy Dore interview. I had it, I played it when I hosted like a year ago. It's phenomenal because he mentions Neil Ferguson a number of times. He's like, this guy has screwed up so many models. And I'm essentially there showing that all his models and he broke been, the rules. He's the guy who was having the affair and cheating right. and you know doing all that sort of stuff while everyone else was locked down and can't see grandma. Yeah, exactly. He's driving like across britain essentially to (laughs) infect people (laughs) in more ways than one but uh here i think this was simple cover this about two weeks ago and this caught my attention because now with this h5n1 narrative this is from february 8 2019 and this is from i think i said science drug is science.org actually 
exclusive controversial experiments that could make bird flu more risky poised to resume. So this goes back again to 2019. This is talking about H5N1. Um, I'll just read a couple of sections here. Controversial lab studies that modify bird flu viruses in ways that can make them more risky to humans. What do we call that, Rich? When you uh, gain a function? Oh, is that gain a function? Oh, okay. I'm a layman. I'm not a 40-year veteran of the National Institutes of Infectious Diseases. That to me used to mean gain of function until they changed the definition of gain of function. So you're like a layman like Bill Gates? Is it layman? No, I graduated college. <laughs> well played, sir. Thank so you. Continue and I didn't this. steal anybody's software products to That's go true. into business for a company my mommy and daddy helped make for me. That would be the story of Bill Gates. That's true. He stole the kernel upon which modern day operating systems are built. Uh, anyways, coming back to the article, controversial lab studies that modify bird flu viruses in ways that can make them more risky to humans will soon resume after being on hold for more than four years. That would be talking about the moratorium in 2014 and beyond. Uh, Science Insider has learned last that last year, a U.S. government review panel quietly approved experiments proposed by two labs that were previously considered so dangerous that federal officials had imposed an unusual top-down moratorium on such research. One of the projects has already received funding from huh, the National Institutes well, of Health. NIAID. But that's Tony Fauci's group. And what's a moratorium oh. mean, Tony? That's, that's a big word. It's like a, a twenty-five law. cent word, but now it's yeah. with inflation. It's like a, a five-dollar word. The law or policy put in place to ban specific type of of research being conducted within the, the continental America. They're putting will. a little hold on that gain of function research. Why? Because it was so useful in predicting pandemics. Never yes. did they ever predict anything or stop anything. All they did is put the whole human species at risk. For a number of generations out that we can't even tell yet. 100%. And now, since this has happened, there has been an expansion. Since this February 8th, 2019, which they said it began in a year ago in 2018. So between 2017, 2018, the moratorium was lifted in 2017. So in less than a year, they're already starting up the research in H5M1 through the NIH's NIAID, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, headed by Anthony Fauci, who controls the money. He starts funding not just gain-of-function research again and uh, with uh, back coronaviruses, but he starts funding gain-of-function with H5M1. And since then, there has been a plethora of animal reservoirs that never had this specific virus, H5N1, and supposedly... Um, and this is where it goes with a lot of different theories. Supposedly, it's 60% deadly to humans. It's much more virulent. It's something that was portended by uh, Bill Gates in regards to the next one's going to be much worse, gets people's attention, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, there's different ways to look at it. One, it could just be narrative control, get everyone fearful. Two, it actually could be something they're very much invested in. You know, they're serious about eugenics, depopulation, especially Bill Gates and his foundation, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization. They're all in the climate, too many people, too much carbon, all this sort of nonsense, recapitulation, the Club of Rome agenda. So it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, you know, Some people don't want to, you know, don't take the theory that it's necessarily a virus, whatever. They're working on seemingly something that could, that portends a very uh, disconcerting future in regards to potential pathogens or disease that could emerge in humans. And uh, now that seems to be the big narrative. Marburg was a little bit a couple weeks ago. World Health Organization, I believe, or World Economic Forum, one of the two, were talking about it. But then it seems to transition over the past couple weeks to H5N1, which is curious. And now that I see that they pretty much began researching, not they're doing a bunch of gain of function, and they're still doing it. In fact, the I forget who was recently came out and uh, part of the the state. Uh, I forget who it was one of those. 
many branches of government stating that it was of vital importance that they continue doing gain-of-function research because essentially their argument, especially as it is, is that other nations are going to do it, terrorists to ourselves, organizations, nation states, and we have to do it to keep up with them. It's a classic uh, bullshit argument. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it seems like right now they're just like rolling over their weapons choices. They're like, oh, <laughs> we could use the Marburg or we could use the H5N1. Well or we said. Could bring that- Right. I mean, that's true. If you were in a game and you saw somebody going through their weapons options, maybe shields up, maybe evasive actions, maybe all hands on deck, because when you get down to it, what people are realizing now is that we have moved from in the past, traditionally in my work, I've talked about intra specific kleptoparasites, people of the same species, species that plunder and pillage the production of other people in the same species, but they have moved beyond that. I didn't think they could but they did. They have committed treason against own species first by labeling humanity as the problem. And then by conducting the past three years of psychological and physical bio operations, humans thinking that humans are the problem and that they have the right to make decisions over the right lives of billions of people now and into the future. It's not right. It should not proliferate or precipitate any further. And we should start drawing the line now. And you're starting to see more and more evidence and more and more people say, oh, actually, yeah, that's probably what's going on because we can't afford to let this happen again and still expect to not live in a gulag, lockdown, loss of freedom, social credit score situation forever. We have to see them for what they're doing now and not meet them on the battlefield of weapons and physicality, but to see the game that's being played and make their game obsolete through peaceful means, non-aggressive means by outgrowing that status quo, by not trying to fight that model, but by making a model that makes theirs obsolete. Well, I think uh, Dell said it best in regards to if we can jump out in front of the narrative, um, you know, they can only do so much and there's so much exhaustion in regards to the COVID narrative and what happened with COVID and so many people essentially going back to normal, seeing friends, family, traveling again. Uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see how much people leap onto this, which is why I'm concerned that they are essentially trying to make a more deadly pathogen or weaponize a more deadly pathogen. And Rich, is this interesting date, and I just want to put this on the record here. This goes back to Whitney Webb's article, um, A Leap Towards Humanity's Destruction. I wanted to read this real quick. This global health DARPA known as Welcome Leap, seeks to achieve, quote, big breakthrough science and technological solutions, end quote, by or before 2030. Um, I find that... Hmm. Very... Who else has a 2030 plan? Right. Well, the World Economic Forum yeah. or United Nations, they all got 2030 plans. So it seems like 2030 plan. They figure out, here's what they figure out. If they don't get locked down on tyranny and despotism, they might lose their chance forever too. So while our freedom is at risk and we might lose freedom on our side, they are also at risk and they realize it because they have plans and goals and agendas and funding and advertising and travel budgets and all this sort of stuff that the freedom side, we don't kind of have that yet, but we are recognizing there is a force to be reckoned with. We have heretofore given up our power through assumption and not thinking for ourselves. And the moments when we take back our power in every moment, we take back our power. They start to disintegrate and crumble under their own fucking weight. And we can just sit around and watch it and live a lifestyle of freedom. But we're not going to do that if we're still on the Titanic when it's going down. So I'm saying, I'm not saying take the lifeboats away from other people. I'm saying you have an opportunity to not be on the Titanic and to watch it from afar. 
Yeah, you can hedge your bets. You can prepare yourself, friends, family. And it, I think the narrative control is very important. You're sort of alluding to that. And Adele Big Tree made a big point of this. But if, you can get, if we can get out in front of this and, and make it very difficult for them to be able to control and craft the narrative, which they were able to do to assert very well, at least initially on in the pandemic, uh, until too much contradictory data came out about vaccines, about lockdowns, about other therapeutics, you know, and it just became harder. And the fact that it wasn't what it was claimed to be, this horribly deadly virus, that a lot of them were due to the hospital protocols, as I mentioned, intubation. They were, you know, the way the hospitals being compensated for counting COVID deaths, all this sort of nonsense to inflate the numbers, as well as the PCR test nonsense. There is just so much to it. And when that sort of begin to unravel, especially with platforms like Joe Rogan, whatever one, whatever anyone thinks of him, the fact that he on like Dr. Peter McCullough or Dr. Robert Malone or these individuals and, and was willing to say, hey, look, I'm not taking the vaccine, you know, has the largest podcast out there. And he's willing to come out and allow other individuals to have a different narrative that are well credentialed to say, hey, look, this is not safe. You know, people should think for themselves, try to seek alternative treatment. It's not the end of the world. You know, you know. Think for yourselves, take action for yourselves, and you'll be in a better position than what the you know our corporate and government overlords are dictating. Or you could us. listen to the veterinarian known as Albert Borla and take his Pfizer product. And his Bortain. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, he did. He did. He got famous because of the Bortain <laughs> cure that he came up with, or he was in charge of marketing. It was called Improvac. And I think his tagline was take it. <laughs> Pretty sure. That was Albert Borla. Maybe like LD will find the clip. But Albert Borla, to make the bacon taste better, he had a chemical castration serum called Improvac that they would put into the hogs. And uh, that's how he got to be in charge of Pfizer and the medical experiments of the entire country of Israel taking an experimental product that they didn't have informed consent on. That's how he got to that position because he's a veterinarian. See, it, it all makes sense. Now, that's if we don't have the... If we don't have the Pfizer marketing slogan from that campaign, which I thought it was like, you know, take it. That was the campaign. We'll, we'll figure that out as we're, as we're moving through. But that really is the, I think a lot of people could emulate Albert Borla in their rise of fame uh, just by coming up with other chemicals that castrate various animals, because it's not just boars that suffer from taints. Many animals have taints. That need to be treated with Pfizer pharmaceuticals and likewise have snappy ad campaigns that feature words like take it. Take it. Take you it. <laughs> Took long there enough and it was worth it. Thank you, LD. I know it's not easy to find those clips on the fly like that, but uh, you know, that is the campaign from Pfizer, as far as we all know. It's not surprising because I think it was Jeremy Farrar and many others that are coming out himself, not being a virologist, but you know, they're trying to vaccinate all chickens vaccine. It's the market's massive for, for, for any type husband. of life form that can't yeah. talk back. It's there a big go. market out there for these people but that to humans jab need. their concoctions into humans got to eat them, you know? Right. So that's, that's essentially in between you and your food source. There should be many Pfizer vaccines. That's what they think. Oh, for sure. <laughs> unfortunately but that is uh that's their goal you know there's profits are going down people the uptake for the the annual booster has been very low around Dude, the did you see that disclosure this week where they're uh let's see uh anthem blue cross blue shield insurance company was bribing doctors they give doctors 50 bucks for every six month old or older kid that you can give the covid booster to 
this is a demographic that has like 0.0000 like they're not at risk from this thing and yet they want to go and like bonus for the boosters and make an extra 50 bucks so you can have two netflix accounts mr doctor or mrs doctor right like they're bribing people to take the thing and it's like with an insurance company in between the pharma company and the doctors. So, well, it's part of the vaccine schedule. Well, I mean, un- compared to other first world nations of the European nations, whatnot, they've pretty much the many nations besides our own have made it. So unless you're an older individual, the risks are too great. And, uh, but the U S government has, because it's so bought and paid for by big pharma has gone ahead and through policy and through the FDA have part of, and made it a part of the childhood vaccine schedule, which means for a child to go to their 15,000 hours of indoctrination camp, we call public schooling, they have to get the jab that can only essentially do harm to them and so ever. And that's just evil on so many levels, considering that when you take other comparative nations, they're doing the opposite. Yeah. So I mean, we- it's a, it's a, it's, it's layers of that though. So as an example, if I had three ingredients and they're on the table and you take them separately and they don't do anything. But if you take them all together, you blow up, right? It's kind of like that. But instead of three untested in you ingredients, there's 65 injections and 50 different vaccines over a short period of time during people's formative years that have not been studied together in a a single human being, let alone many human beings. So all this stuff is like out the window because those companies have prosecution uh you know they're excluded from prosecution with the reagan vaccine right the 1986 vaccine children's vaccine act um so that offers them opportunity to not do the testing and not actually keep things safe effective like you would think so so as a trusting parent you say i want to keep up with that vaccine schedule you might be surprised at asking questions and how nervous doctors get when they don't have competent answers to someone who actually is informed on the matter because they're used to snowballing people and getting their 50 bucks per prick at least at the very least oh at the very least uh and what's disturbing too about that is like much of del big trees um research and then the the high wire production team like their full focus was on that until COVID came in and so like if you go back and watch productions like before COVID started that was pretty much they were full force on going over the fact that like there's been no actual real safety trials done in regards to the 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 milieu the all these concoctions that are being forced upon the youngest the most undeveloped amongst us uh you know when it comes to this quarter well that's vaccines. an interesting point because if you go back to the uh uh, the the BARDA, do, uh, the Milken Institute, October 2019, Fauci on stage presentation. Yep. And then you also have uh, this other problem that you just hinted at, that at the time of COVID, the World Health Organization was on the ropes about vaccines, especially childhood vaccines. And Dell Bigtree had got them like all this tape of them admitting that they, does, they don't have the studies and we better do the science. And I was at a uh, protest in Connecticut because they wa- they wanted a statewide mandate for kids to have vaccines, the whole schedule, to go to public school. And this is before any COVID vaccines or even even any COVID. And I think it was but for children that wanted to that, participate like, in like Dell and Doctor Shiva, and uh, yep. I went there with my doctor. And we we interviewed Dell at that event. And then like two weeks later, COVID became a thing in in this country. But prior to that, we were just trying to protect children from these companies and these organizations who don't care about the children and have no right saying what goes in their bodies. That's right. 
That's right. And I think that bill in Connecticut, correct me if I'm wrong, it didn't just prevent kids from participating in public school, but even if you're homeschooling your child, one of them participate in It prevented in religious exemptions, too. Yeah. It, it, that it, was it, the other part that got people up in arms that, yeah. you know, it's too far. State indoctrination camps have been tolerated. But when you go to the point of eroding the foundations of America and the, the culture and pride and heritage of Americans, it's not going to work so easily. We are not the rest of the world. Sure. We have not been subjugated by kings and queens continuously for thousands of years. That's going to be something that takes us a little time to adapt to globalists. So keep working at it. Indeed. Yeah, that's ex- <laughs> exactly right. If we can find a, a basis of individual rights and constitutionalism on which we were founded and get rid of this deep capture, which will be a very difficult job. But, you know, hopefully that's something that uh, through information, through sort of uh, hope, perseverance and love, you know, and some form of nonviolent resistance, or if we have to take some form of violence, it's in the sense of defending our body against people that are trying to accost us and not, you know, being the ones to, uh, you know, cause that in any particular way, um, incite that in any way, then, you know, we're within our ethics, within our integrity and within natural law, within our right to protect ourselves. And hopefully we can do it through nonviolent means so we can perpetuate a message of coming together as a human species, both as individuals and as a group that sees that we have common interests, can get back to a sense of reality because that's the biggest thing. People have been so gaslit. You look at the culture right now, have a huge culture section. You know, it's the same thing every week where people just forego reality for fantasy and then try to enact the, their fantasies as being reality, which is not the way this game works, this game of existence so anyways all right so real quick i'm going to take a right turn at albuquerque i'm going to take you over here to the tweeter and here's a a twit a tweet from earlier today uh what did timothy mcveigh sirhan sirhan ted kaczynski and charles manson have in common louis or lewis jolian west now jolian west was one of the prime candidates in the CIA MK Ultra Mind Control Project. Now, when I say CIA, I don't just mean CIA. I mean CIA and MI6 and Mossad. They all work together behind the scenes on these sort of things. And then they share what they have with the Chinese and the Russians to keep all the populations kind of equally segregated and subjugated. So going back to Louis Jolly and West, I saw this tweet and I said, huh, that's a good meme. Whoever made that knows quite a lot about history and has made some important connections, but I can do one step better. I said, fucking a right. He also visited Jack Ruby too, if memory serves. Yes. And then here's a reference. And then I said, see also state of mind, the psychology of control plus the minds of men by Aaron and Melissa Dykes over at truth stream news. And then I provided uh, two useful YouTube links. Cause thankfully these movies are still available, even though they're heavily censored, blacklisted search banned, this sort of stuff. If you have the link, you can watch it. So learning about just one guy in CIA MK ultra history touches on all these huge conspiratorial single lone nut lone gunman type of things that they say, Oh, you know, it's just one person, one person, Ted Kaczynski was in, ultra at harvard sirhan sirhan certainly did not shoot bobby kennedy's dad timothy mcveigh if he acted did not act alone and the levels of cover-up were far beyond his ability to do anything like that and when you couple in that uh you know julian west 
is there to go see Jack Ruby in prison before Jack Ruby suddenly dies of a lung cancer. Like he's Andrew Tate. Then you start to see like, there's a, a pattern of history. It's going to continue to repeat until people start to learn what's going on and put up intellectual and physical resistance to stand your ground and say, no, no, thank you, please. No, thank you at all. What do you got there, Tony? Well said. And I, first of all, thank you for the book cam. I've gotten good use out of this past couple of weeks. Got to show you how we rigged this up because, uh, the arms kind of gnarly. So, but world is laboratory. Rebecca Lamal showed this many times, but I'm just going to do, do I figured it might be nice to get a little deep dive in his origins and how he got started with the CIA. Started at UCLA, which is an interesting, that's a whole tangent we can go on some other time, but uh, let's just read the second paragraph here. This is on page 189. The impossible experiment is the name of the chapter. This is chapter 10. And this is Rebecca Lamov's book. World is laboratory. Uh, subtitle mice mazes and men experiments with mice mazes and men so second paragraph yeah, it's kind of like human use for human beings only rebecca, rebecca lemoff is a friendly who is telling you about these things whereas norbert wiener said these are this is how things should be <laughs> it's basically the analogy there would be like norbert wiener is the cybernetics version uh dr julian west is the psychiatric version but they're all after the same goal of controlling human beings so uh, it says here, West was one of many social scientists. It's interesting. We had Mandy Bannon on talking about her article with Sam Beckman Freed and the origins of effective altruism and Jeremy Bentham and social sciences. And it got into foundations and the power and influence. Renee Worms were talking about the social scientists, Ford, Carnegie, Rockefeller Foundation. Why is social science is so interesting to these people? Obviously, Bertrand Russell talked about it. I got into that uh, last couple of weeks, but let's just continue forward. West was one of the many social scientists who began conducting research for the CIA in the mid-1950s during the heated years in the international, quote-unquote, brainwashing scandal. What distinguished West was, his, was the link he forged between the models of behaviorism and the particular interest in demands created by the Cold War. His work flourished during a time when first world leaders were demanding new weapons to combat an enemy who was evidently capable of any violation of human dignity or a code of decency. This much was clear from the willingness of the Soviets and the Chinese to use brainwashing in their own subjects as well as on American captives. As the CIA's newly appointed director, Alan Dulles, commented in the 1953 address at Princeton University, communist uh, apparatchiks could render someone into a state of robot-like obedience in which the victim's brain, quote, becomes a phonograph playing a disc put on its spindle by an outside genius over which... It has no control, end quote. Americans have failed to, so far to face up to these uh, dire developments, Dulles continued, but now we're compelled to respond in kind. There was an urgent need for American-designed brainwashing techniques that would do everything from quote-unquote depattern and rewire a single individual to mold and shape an entire people's attitudes and actions. It was not long before the agency began its own program to explore, quote, avenues to the control of human behavior. <laughs> Exactly like Norbert Wiener, end quote, including, quote, chemical and biological materials capable of producing human behavioral and physiological changes, uh, end quote, as well as, quote, radiology, electroshock and various fields of psychology, psychiatry, sociology and anthropology, uh, graphology, harassment, substances and paramilitary devices and materials, end quote, according to a CIA catalog of its endeavors in the line. And footnote there is to number four so i'll have to look that up there's a couple there 
But this goes to show that's Alan Dulles and what he had to say. And it's, it sounds similar. Like, we have to do gain-of-function research because our enemies are doing it. And like now Dulles is sitting there saying, well, we have to do mind control because our enemies are doing it. So, Meanwhile, Dulles is the lawyer for the people funding the enemies. Nelson Rockefeller. Right, right. I mean, and then he sits on the, uh, the Warren Commission after he... They so, like, the story only goes... It only floats until you bump into that other side of the facts and you're like, oh, shit, there it, it's corruption. It's yeah. immorality run amok. Well, it's corruption on a level that's so unimaginable hard. to the average person with a you goldfish get- mentality. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. That's that's what's that's exactly what we have here. <laughs> Not a failure to communicate. We're doing our part. A failure to understand what is being clearly communicated for a long time at this point. <laughs> yeah, like 100%. And at this point, it can't be any more conspicuous. Ten years ago, especially when I was living and working with when you, they Rich, came and you, out and in you Time showed magazine. me books like this back yeah. in the day. It's like when now, you know, I was a, a fledgling, a youngling, you know. Um, this this is the stuff you'd show me. And now, like ten years ago, it's hard to like talk to my dad, my family, my friends about this. And now it's like, oh yeah, I can. Yeah, they may not want to listen. A couple of my well, now my, they have Time Magazine article, like the whole app, like the whole issues about how they did it. That's true. That's true. The revelation of the method, sort of thing now. Admission. <laughs> is I guess it you know? feels like they wash as their karma and the cremation of care thing where they're dancing and prancing with effigies up in the Redwood Forest, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. All right. So that's a foreshadowing of some of the things we're going to talk about in intermission. And then uh, we're going to have uh, it's going to be a mashup because the, the reason we're bringing this up, I saw that tweet. Yes. And I did comment on it. Yes. And I did help to make a documentary that was part of that answer yes and i do respect the minds of men it's the it's a better movie than state of mind the psychology of control but in order to like understand what those all mean you have to go back to something that happened last century something called the oklahoma city bombing and part of that was an investigation conducted by an officer named terrence yakey terrence yakey was suicided he was killed in a way that does not correspond to taking his own life. And yet the official story, the official urban legend or myth of the story was that Yankee took his own life in a way that doesn't make any sense. Just like so many other people, like Gary Webb. Yes. Many, many instances. Now this is not recent news. This is 30 years ago. However, last week, CNN did an article that brought to light. His death doesn't really make sense. And maybe there's more to this than previously. Yes, this is. Well, so I miss this. I'm on curious. one hand, I'm like 30 years later when there's no risk to saying this, you can distract us with, hey, look what happened 30 years ago. But, but it is important for these facts to come to light to a wider audience for people in the future to know that there's more to Oklahoma City than Timothy McVeigh with Jolien West from MK Ultra that we were just making fun of in that meme, right? When that guy from MK Ultra is involved in not just those other things with Manson and Sirhan Sirhan, but with Oklahoma city bombing and, and Timothy McVeigh, that starts to bring more scrutiny of, Oh, there's been a big move against domestic terrorism in this country. And maybe domestic terrorism started in 1947 with the national security act and the creation of the CIA. We didn't have a whole lot of domestic terrorism before that. And we sure do seem to have a whole lot now. And the FBI seems to be part and parcel with that, given the evidence. That's not my opinion. It's my observation of the news landscape. So I don't I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm just saying it's isn't getting it pretty cu- obvious at this point. <laughs> isn't it curious, Rich? I just got to ask you a question because like yeah. still yet we can't talk about JFK. That's been now, f- what, 60 years? 
something like not that. Not as long as Britain has a monarchy, you're not going to know about those secret files. In but our finally, lifetime. after 30 years, we can talk about Terence Yeah, That's interesting. It just goes, okay, that's yeah. put that in perspective. But I'm curious to see what this is about. I, I missed this. So we're going to go to a news clip from this past week, but then it's going to tie into what we're going to see in intermission later on this evening. So LD, thank you for being a rock star and finding not only the clips from intermission that pertain to Jolian West, which is not an easy task to find amidst nine hours of MK Ultra movies. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> he just did it in like 10 he, minutes without chat GPT, hopefully, too. That's his intellect going right He's there. A beast, yeah. But but this Terrence Yakey thread will follow through with more information that we have uh in, in the intermission from Oklahoma City, uh, a noble lie. So let's go ahead to the news clip and let's get uh learnified on you know Terrence Yakey. He's just like a, a Vince Foster in this situation. Oh, or, yeah. yeah. You know, any number of people uh that have died this way. So Mark Middleton is now another one part of the China. A recent one. Recent one. Very recent. Yeah. I've got a, a 10 was... minute video, but it's two years old. Um, and then there is a one minute. It's probably a music video. The, uh, a jinx edit. Uh, visually it provides a lot of information, but, uh, you know, maybe you can drop that in the chat, but this, this video is from, Two years ago, right, so let's I'm not go, really finding uh, any anybody talking about it this week, other than all right, well, then Tower we're game. still cutting edge. They'll talk about it later this week. Then that's what happens. All right, so let's go to the uh, the ten minute video about Yakey, and then we can cover like a couple of the tweets by uh, Scott Horton. I saw I was tweeting about it a couple of days ago. Yeah, so let's take here, in. Here's the article. Yeah. Oh yeah, you got that. Yeah, yeah, you got. That. I'm sorry, LD. You found this, but yeah, why did this cop turn up dead? This is the CNN. Is this what you're referencing, uh, Rich? This is the article yeah. It's the from, same outlet uh, yeah, that Don Lamont works at. Okay. Yeah, uh, I see. yeah. That's right. That's why it's ironic. It came from CNN, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's well. CNN said this is okay to tell the public. That's the news. Yeah. All right. So we'll go to the con- contextual history, and then we'll take a look at the article, so that you guys know a little bit about Terrence Yankee, and uh, then we'll follow through with that in the intermission. Hello and welcome to Unsolvable. In today's episode, we will be discussing the tragic death of police sergeant Terence Yakey and the believed US federal government cover-up. If you're ready, let's begin. Terence Yakey, known as Terry by his friends and family, was born in Oklahoma in 1965. He served his community as a police sergeant for the Oklahoma City Police Department, having served in the armed forces as a younger man. Many who knew him would have described him as a caring man, someone with much love to give, who would always put the needs of others before his own. The standout moment in Terry's life, the thing that most people remember him for, is the heroism he showed on April 19th, 1995, the day of the Oklahoma City bombings. The Oklahoma City bombings was a tragedy that shook the nation after taking the lives of 168 people, including 19 children. 
Terry, among other services, played a major role in the rescue and recovery operations following the bombing of the Mura Federal Building on April 19, 1995. Terry was one of the very first personnel to arrive on the scene that day. He was on patrol nearby and rushed to the blast site upon hearing the explosion without any regard for his own safety. Terry is responsible for saving the lives of eight people that day. In line with his character, he put the needs of others before his own life and began pulling injured civilians from the rubble of the building following the effects of the explosion. Repeatedly hailed as a hero, Terry shied away from the attention. Police Lieutenant Joe Randall, Terry's superior, said, there are some people that like to be heroes and some that don't. Terry was not one that wanted that. In honor of his heroics and bravery, Terry was scheduled to receive the Medal of Valor from the Oklahoma City Police Department on May 11th, 1996, one year after the bombings. However, just three days before he was due to receive this honor on May 8th, Terry, according to the official report, committed suicide. His death shocked many, including those closest to him. Terry's body was discovered in a field near to his home in El Reno, 2.5 kilometers away from his abandoned, blood-soaked car. Terry's body was found mutilated with a gunshot to the side of his head. His wrists, arms and elbows were slit and he had suffered two stab wounds to either side of his neck, close to his jugular vein. There were also signs that suggested his body had been carried, such as rope burns to the neck and handcuffed bruises around the wrists. It is also worth noting that there was no evidence of alcohol found in Terry's body. Many have questioned how he would have been capable of hiking 2.5 kilometers from his car after having inflicted such injuries onto himself. Surely, he would have bled out before reaching his destination. One of the more significant observations was the gunshot wound to his head, which police reports suggested was the fatal blow. The shot was taken at a 45 degree angle pointing downwards. This was considered odd by many, since Terry would have needed to stretch to angle the gun in such a way. Also, according to unnamed officers who were present at the crime scene, no weapon was found at the scene initially. That was not until an FBI helicopter arrived. This piece of information 
will not be found on any official documents, since it would have directly contradicted the notion of a suicide. There were two common narratives of Terry Yakey's death. The official report declared Terry's death a suicide. It maintains that Terry was distraught, driven by guilt and sadness. He mutilated himself in his car before walking 2.5 kilometers through rough terrain before shooting himself to death. The police claimed Terry left no suicide note, but speculated that he was driven by guilt over his inability to save more people during the Oklahoma City bombings. The authorities also suggested a troubled family life played a part. The investigation was brief, and at no point the notion of murder was pondered. Police officials pressed on with the suicide story, and it received relatively little pushback from the media. The alternative narrative, believed by many people, including Terry's family, question the official report of a suicide. They claim that Terry's death was a murder, and local law enforcements were involved in covering it up. Their conclusion is based on the manner of Terry's death, and the lack of investigation and autopsy. The family also spoke of his personality and mood leading up to his death. They said that there were no signs of despair or guilt, and how he would usually talk about the future, which is not something someone contemplating suicide would usually discuss. Lieutenant Joe Randall recalls a discussion with Terry about his future in the department just two days before his death as being optimistic. He was inspiring, she said. He brought joy into the unit. Skeptics of the official police report linked the assassination of Terry Yankee to his investigation into the Oklahoma City bombing, claiming that he was silenced by the federal government in an effort to keep him from exposing their involvement in the terrorist attack. According to his family and friends, Terry became aware of something disturbing at the bomb site that day, which led him to reject the official story of the Oklahoma City bombing. Over the next year, he began a private investigation into the bombing, which resulted in finding, according to him, evidence of a cover-up of the bombing by federal agents. Terry did not reveal what he saw at the bomb site and kept the details of his investigation secret, even from his close friends and family. It is possible he wanted to keep them away from harm, knowing that the knowledge he possessed posed a threat. His family speak of the household being subjected to numerous threatening phone calls by unknown people during the month 
leading up to his death. Terry told his friends he was being intimidated and tailed by federal agents. The last known words Terry spoke were to his family. He said, as soon as I shake these feds that are following me, I'll be back and we will go to dinner. After Terry's death, the reports relating to his private investigation into the bombings were not found. Thus, there are only assumptions about what he might have discovered. It would seem that we will never know what Terry had discovered or what involvement the government played in the Oklahoma City bombings. While it may be hard to believe the conspiracy that federal agents were behind the bombings, whatever Terry had discovered must have been significant. Significant enough for them to assassinate him. All right, so that's a solid analysis. But when I listen to that, I can't tell if that's a story of Terrence Yakey or Michael Hastings or Gary Webb or Mark Lombardi or Mark Middleton or Vince Foster or Barry Steve, Barry Seal. A lot of these people met their demise in a way that was claimed suicide. And there's a whole bunch of foul play evidence that is conveniently ignored by the fraternal organization that has custody over the crime scene all the way up to the top. And <clears throat> Barry Jennings from 9-11, he was a, a whistleblower and, um, you know, Dylan Avery and Jason Burmis and those guys interviewed him. He was on film saying what he said. And then shortly thereafter, he was told to shut up. And then shortly after, he's dead and at a young age. And I think there is truth to, in this case, Putin's observation that in, you know, he says, in my country, you say that we have political assassinations. And in your country, you say that journalists go off to the woods and hang themselves. I would point out that Terrence Yakey, if I remember correctly, and I'm not mixing him up with one of these other tragic cases, Terrence Yakey was scared of blood, like the sight of his own blood would make him like pass out. There's no way that dude and the people who I think orchestrated his murder knew such things to construct something that's like, if you know this guy, you know, this isn't real, but we're going to tell you it's suicide and gaslight at the whole family and everybody in history about that. Right. And I didn't know anything about Terrence Yakey when the OKC happened. I mean, I was in college and then I was dependent on mainstream news when I got into the 21st century and start learning about these things, right? You learn about Waco, you watch a movie like Waco rules of engagement. You see what really happened, right? Likewise, when I got to the movie, OKC, Oklahoma city, a noble lie that was put out by James Lane and Chris Emery and, and Austin green, that movie brought to light Terrence's situation in midst this whole situation where it looked like federal agents were involved with the Murrah building bombing. And by that time, you already know that Imad Salem for the FBI was the paid informant to create the bomb for 1993 World Trade Center bombing. So there are historical precedents of federal agencies paying informants to create these terrorist events to then raise their budgets. So Yakey could have had a credible story had he gotten it out to the journalist and the news, but there's not really internet journalism. There's not Rockfin back then. There's no Odyssey. There's no free speech platforms. So 
they were able to silence Yankee. But people today now are learning some of that story through CNN. But people who watched, you know, Oklahoma City and Noble Lie 10 plus years ago, they got the story a lot sooner, right? So if you wait for CNN to tell you the news, they'll tell you 30 years later. <laughs> or you can stick with the independent researchers and journalists who are actually muckraking and bringing these important facts to light to do justice to the lives and the courage of people like Terrence Yakey or Barry Jennings or any of these other numerous people who have given up their lives instead of compromising their integrity and becoming part of the problem. Well said. I remember watching that documentary with you over 10 years ago now. Um, it, sh it shook me to the core. It reminds me sort of as an analogy to a documentary that we watched around the same time about uh, Ted Gazinski called The Net or Das Net, Unabomber, LSD, and basically the internet. And we were talking about cybernetics and, you know, they talk about John, Lots Dr. Julian West in there. The, the filmmaker, right? For that one, yep. the Das yep. Net. Yeah, go ahead and give the brief synopsis of, of that for the audience, because it does play into Jolly and West and MK Ultra and Ted Kaczynski and all things mentioned in Goodwill Hunting. And <laughs> bound in harmonic functions. That's my pun. And for if people want to watch it, I actually did find, if you give me two seconds, I don't know why I took it down, but um, I did find it. If you scroll, it took me a while to find it, but it's on BitChute of all places, which is one of the more dubious platforms. The Net, the Unabomber, LSD, and the Internet. It's like a two-hour documentary, um, so check it out. You can still find it on BitChute. It's a bit far down when you search the net documentary, so it's like down here somewhere. Anyways, yeah, they want to show you the Sandra Bullock. Yeah, they show you a bunch of nonsense. That that's the problem with BitChute is that was a movie to scare people about the internet before the internet became popular back in the day. But the synopsis uh, last century, kids. That's true. That's true. The synopsis <laughs> of the net basically goes to the fact that they follow the um, the Beginnings of cybernetics, starting in the 1940s and 50s with the Macy conferences, its influence with the, the emerging sort of technology hub and out west, the culture in New York City and artists and musicians, and essentially then also machinations associated with the FBI, CIA, and the, the, the people who conceive of culture the and movement. the people who create culture got yes. together, right? That's a yes. And the idea was essentially modeling everything after cybernetic concepts is everything's a closed system of energy flows. And they definitely got to the hippies. Um, what was it called? The, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the bus that went around in the 60s. The electric Kool-Aid acid test was the yes. documentary book That's written it. by Tom Wolfe about those guys with their bus called further Ken Kesey. Thank and you. the uh, Mary Prankster. The Mary Pranks. That's something of the Mary Prank. Because they follow they, that specifically. One flew over the cuckoo's nest and sued. What's interesting about the net is he actually this this filmmaker did a brilliant job of sort of concealing his intentions and went and interviewed some of the main sort of progenitors of this mind virus we call cybernetics and they took so much ownership of it. You know they talk about the dubious sort of and certainly more relativism is dubious, but they you know they try to coincide that with Ted Kaczynski and then they're actually I don't want to give it away, but there's it sort of does a deep dive into who was Ted Kaczynski, what was, you know, what was his influence, who were his influences or influencers, uh, who <laughs> who you know, were his him. teachers? Right. Was it uh, Gilbert Murray? Murray? What's the guy's name from Harvard that was his teacher? Uh, Gilbert Murray might have been his name, but Ted Kaczynski's one of his professors. Now he's a kid whose parents are paying to send him to one of the finest Ivy League universities on the East Coast, right? Like they're all on the East Coast, but it's one of the better ones back in the day. 
while he's going there, like, so his parents are paying top-notch tuition for young Teddy to go to Harvard. He's a math The United Swiss. States government, by way of, what's his name? Uh, his professor, who's working in MK Ultra for the CIA, experiments on Ted Kaczynski as a student at a university. And he's not the only case. He's just the most famous case in a super max lockdown place wherever you're never going to see him again. Henry Murray. Henry, Henry Murray. Murray. Yeah, I could bring up the history blueprint, but I think it would really crash this laptop. So I'm just going to keep Oh, dude, I have a powerful computer and I tried to bring it up during the town hall and it crashed my computer. So that was a funny meme that people were. Yeah, it's deep thoughts. It's deep thoughts in that brain. So here's, uh, let's just dive into this a little bit. This is just from the wiki, so take it, take from it what you will. Harvard University, I'm just talking about Ted Kaczynski. During his first year at Harvard, Kaczynski lived, blah, 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 um, designed to accommodate the youngest, most precocious incoming students in a small, intimate living space for the following three years. He lived at Elliott House. Sounds familiar for some reason. So he's like a young William Sidus. If you yes. watch the Goodwill hunting uh, analysis that we did with William J. Sidus, William James Sidus, named after William James, it was a forced child prodigy situation. That is also the story of Goodwill hunting because it's based on William James Sidus's story. Ted Kaczynski is in that whole milieu of parents who wanted their kid to like be the next wunderkind, and uh, they got it. Yeah, John Stuart Mill was also a product of that as well. His father essentially, you know, trained him to be this ultra high IQ individual. And he had a mental breakdown later in his life and denounced a lot of the sort of logical sciences, the Bertrand Russell types and uh, positivism and altruism and stuff like that. But that's a different story. But it does coincide with Sidus. It does coincide with this Ted Kaczynski story because that was all 19th century movement towards eugenics and this perfected scientific society ideals they had. But here's the, the psychological study. In his second year at Harvard, Kaczynski participated in a study. Let me make this a little bit bigger. Described by Arthur Alston Chase as a, quote, purposely brutalizing psychological experiment and, quote, led by Harvard psychologist Henry Murray. Subjects were told they would debate personal philosophy with a fellow student who and were asked to write essays detailing their personal beliefs and aspirations. The essays were given to an anonymous individual who would confront and belittle the subject what Murray himself called, quote, vehement, sweeping, and personally abusive, end quote, attacks, using the content of the essays as ammunition. Electrodes monitored the subject's physiological reactions. These encounters were filmed, and subjects' expressions of anger and rage were later played back to them repeatedly. The experiment lasted three years, with someone verbally abusing and humiliating Kaczynski each week, Kaczynski spent 200 hours as part of the study. Uh, Kaczynski's lawyer later attributed his hostility towards mind control techniques to his participation in Murray's study. Some sources have suggested that Murray's experiment were part of M Project uh, MKUltra, the Central Intelligence Agency's research into mind control. Ch Chase and others have also suggested that this experience may have motivated K Kaczynski's criminal activities, Kaczynski stated he resented Murray and his co-workers primarily because of the invasion of his privacy he perceived as a result of their experiments. Nevertheless, he said he was, quote, quite confident that his experiences with Professor Murray had no significant effect on the course of his life, end quote. That's, so they kind of skip over where they gave him a bunch of LSD. That's that lots of times. That. And the <laughs> thing about the net is they sort of expose that. Yes. Uh, yeah, the documentary does a good job. Will you click open Henry Murray's profile so we yeah. can see if he's the if he's cut of the cloth to work in such a prestigious project as MK Ultra sub project, whichever it was? 
pretty sure he's like second to Jolly Blaster. He's one of the ones like. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that once you start learning the the basic grammar, who is the individual, and where did they come from, and how did they get their comeuppance in life? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is like his claim to fame. It's one of the most famous things he did was teach Ted Kaczynski. That's right. And this was, uh, he was an American psychologist. Henry Alexander Murray was an American psychologist at Harvard University, where from 1959, 1962, he conducted a, a series of psychologically damaging and purposefully abusive experiments on minors, undergraduate students. Um, he goes on to early life. Let's see. Where'd he go to school? Let's see. So Henry Alexander. Murray, oh, the Groton school, the Groton school yep. and Columbia university as well as Harvard. Yeah. Uh-huh. And okay, he's a so in physiology at Harvard, and he received his doctorate in biochemistry at Cambridge. And then he married Christiana Morgan, who has her own wiki page, dude. Is that related to JP Morgan? Who's she? American artist, writer, and lay psychoanalyst at Harvard, best known for oh, okay. co authoring the thematic apperception test. Remains to be seen. But so he definitely has the pedigree, and then working with Alfred North Whitehead. And these OSS other guys, yeah. connections during oh, World look. War II. He left Harvard and worked. Oh, Lieutenant dude, Kern. there's the Langer report right there. Okay. So in 1943, Murray helped to complete the analysis of, of the personality of Adolf Hitler, the OSS. It's the Langer report is what it's called. Right. And in that report, which is propaganda, if you will open that report in a second in yeah. there, it makes the accusation. Now this is the OSS creating psychological warfare to undermine Hitler in that Langer report. It claims that Hitler's mother is related to the Rothschilds via the Schickelgrubers or something like that. And they made it up because they're like, this will make them go crazy. So that's a really interesting piece of history for him to be involved in prior to MK Ultra, which is Nazi research experiments and technology brought back under Operation Paperclip. Yeah, I mean, the report stated, quote, the belief that Hitler is homosexual has probably developed, A, from the fact that he does not show so many feminine characteristics, and B, from the fact there were so many homo... So it made up a bunch of false stories in regards to some of, you know, the, the his Jewish origins, homosexuality, all these sorts of things to sort of drive him insane. And then it goes into his experiments. So let's bring up the Langer. Report. But in fact, he was not really related to the Rothschilds historically. This is a ahistorical document that was created as psychological warfare. But if we open the document, I'm willing to bet if we uh, searched Rothschild and or Schickelgruber, we would find that reference, which is pretty hilarious because you got to think of OSS and MI6 sitting around thinking, hey, we're making up fake news about Hitler. What should we do? And that they thought that was funny. They, you know, they've been making fake news for a long time. It took until Trump to brand it and be like, this is what they're doing. It's fake news. Like this whole report, the mind of Adolf Hitler, Walter C. Langer, OSS. It's very official and it's completely 100% full of shit. I'm not a fan of Hitler. I'm a fan of actually things that happened. And this is not something that describes something that happened. That's all. No, hundred percent. I'm just taking a look here in the book, but um, before I jump into the book, so let's jump into this. The mind of Adolf Hitler, the secret wartime report published. In now we're talking about this because Ted Kaczynski's professor who did MK ultra LSD experiments on him before he did K Ted Kaczynski. He did this with Langer. That's right. That's exactly right. Nothing. It's his qualifications to handle Ted Kaczynski, just like Jolly and West's qualifications to handle all these people as well. 
just like uh who was that guy uh pasternak with kanye yeah pasternak. that's another it's another example speaking of, of handlers which, like, kanye where is kanye he's he missing he had a number of meltdowns and he goes to a special UCLA psych ward out of which Dr. Julian West started at UCLA. I'm not saying there's a yeah, but it's no, just there's curious. no continuity yeah, of MK ultra project still ongoing today at all. So that looking at this, this is a book about it, but essentially the book contains not only a versions Langer, a version of Langer's original report, but also a forward by his brother, the historian, William L. Langer, who was chief of research and <laughs> historian who is chief of research and analysis at the OSS during the war, an introduction by Langher himself and afterward by the psychoanalytic historian Robert Waite, Robert G.L. Waite. The report made several predictions about Hitler's future, which proved to be accurate. Um, let's see. If there's... Yeah, because these are the people writing yeah. Hitler's script in the first place. Here it is. The report oh, right brief, there. briefly mentioned some claims that a Rothschild fathered um, Eloise Hitler, Adolf's father, or father, father. excuse me, who was illegitimate when Hitler's Dude, that, that's such a that's a they're trolling him so hard. They're like, your dad is illegitimate and he was fathered by a Rothschild. Askenazi's <laughs> <laughs> Jew, Jewish ancestry in his past trying to bring that all right. So read this paragraph because this is this mm-hmm. is what we came here for. This is the quote from that report. So it says your report briefly mentions some claims that a Rothschild fathered. Alois Hitler, Adolf's father, who was illegitimate, when Hitler's paternal grandmother, Maria Schickelgruber, supposedly worked as a house servant in Vienna, but concludes, quote, it is absolutely necessary to assume that he had Jewish blood in his veins in order to make a comprehensive picture of his character with its manifold traits and sentiments. From a pure no, they said not necessary. It's absolutely, it is me. not absolutely necessary oh, not to absolutely assume necessary. this. Yeah. Sorry, but it's a fun part of their report. That's what they're saying. (laughs) From a purely scientific point of view. Therefore, it is sounder not to base our reconstruction on such slim evidence, but to seek firmer foundations. Nevertheless, we can leave it as a possibility, which requires further verification, end quote, which basically means they made it up. This is the World War II version of the PP dossier, everyone. (laughs) Okay, this is the Christopher Steele dossier that turned into Russia gate for six years, the same thing going on back then. Uh, yeah. It gets into purposes and effects and it sort of whitewashes aspects of it. Langer report was ostensibly an objective analysis of the mind of Adolf Hitler and related aspects of his life and society. Now people remember what I played, uh, who was the individual from, I was part of, um, uh, Tarpley's he, he talked about Freud and the implementation of uh, uh, behaviorism and Freud's ideas into America and in Europe. I uh, forget the name. But anyways, uh, you can if you remember that when I played it during the town hall, this sort of comes to view about how unobjective Freud's work was, how much it lacked sort of scientific rigor, how much Carl Jung, his protege, even said, like, we should consider ourselves more of a religion than a science. And that pissed Freud off. So here they're claiming it's an objective analysis, which is absolutely absurd of the mind of hitler as it relates to his life society based on materials interviews blah 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 the first words of the uss report are quote this study is not propagandist in any sense <laughs> Dude, it's, that's a fucking lie and it's gonna i'm gonna show you it's a lie in a second but keep oh, reading please so absurd represents- they're playing they're gaslighting their audience and playing them like they're stupid they're cnn that's what oh, yeah. it sounds like oss cnn they just change letters 
It represents an attempt to screen the wealth of contradictory, conflicting, and unreliable material concerning Hitler into strata, which will be helpful to the policymakers mm. and those who wish to frame a counter-propaganda. So they're framing a counter-propaganda, but it's not propagandist. Uh, that's a little bit contradictory and circular in nature. So um, good job, guys. Um, that's a classic Petitio Principi fallacy or circular, a form of circular reasoning where you read. That's why they don't invite you to those meetings, Tony. (laughs) I mean, this is so bad. They don't even, anyways, the preface further asserts that despite the quote, extremely scanned and spotty unquote material for a psychological analysis, one was possible due to their informants knowing Hitler well and their descriptions agreeing relatively well with each other. Combined with the writer's own clinical experience and dealing with individuals of a similar type. Ernst, All right, now you're going to bring it home in these next three pair, uh, three uh, sentences right here. Go ahead. Ernst Hans Stengel. Hoffenstengel. Yeah. Hoffenstengel has been noted as likely the main informant, a Harvard educated German businessman who was an intimate of Adolf Hitler, who was interviewed for several weeks, once returned to the US. Others, however, have suggested that the analysis was intended to be useful for propaganda, but they said it was not propaganda. I know. And psychological warfare. Oh, oh, you mean. Wait till you find out where it comes from. Go ahead. You mean like that? Psychological warfare against Nazi Germany, which I got on the record uh, about the way in which they do it a couple weeks ago. And Rich has read from that book many times. He has a for Rich has the first edition. Actually, I don't. Uh, Anyways, others, however, have suggested that this that the analysis was intended to be useful for propaganda and quote psychological quote unquote psychological warfare. Historian and authority on the OSS Bradley F. Smith states that Langer's report was known in the OSS as the quote unquote spy stuff, (laughs) and that the idea originally came from Fred. Oshner, the chief of the London station of the OSS morale operations. Oh my God. Oh, the London station of the double cross committee. Yeah. So the, the talking points from London come down that the OSS should compose an, uh, you know, a dossier on Hitler, a PP gate. Here's the mind of Adolf Hitler and his dad's illegitimate and Schickel Gruber banging, getting banged by Rothschild. (laughs) And this whole thing that they paint out this whole, like, daytime soap opera drama that they draw out as an objective analysis during fucking wartime. Right. <laughs> I mean, Just, I mean, the precedents like- that they have set, they haven't changed them too much. And the Harvard overlap and the psychological warfare overlap of these characters goes back to Alan Dulles, Nelson Rockefeller, Charles Douglas Jackson, yep. and a whole bunch of infamous people who also had something to do with JFK's assassination. So Nazis and JFK dying. You know, they're not that far apart. MK Ultra's in the middle, and JFK had a little LSD from Mary Meyer, and she later ended up uh, suicided on the freeway, That's brutally true. murdered, possibly by her husband on the freeway, because the the people that they ran with, who ran assassination teams, didn't like leaky documents like diaries that are being kept and leaking out there, and Watergate and all this sort of stuff that went on. There's a lot of interesting history just like a couple sentences away, but you're not going to get it through USA Today. Uh, that's for sure. I'm trying to find the, I uh, probably won't find it. It's in, I had this mark before, but it's in the psych war. It just shows you the hierarchy and you'll see how much it coincides with British state departments. Yeah. yeah. President of the US, Prime Minister of the UK, the LPCC, OSS, PWE. Yeah. Yeah. Here. Yeah. The OSS from the get go was an MI6 project. And then they just improved on that when they created CIA as far as Anglo American establishment in America. There's, yeah. Yeah. There's the org chart. And then there's this as well. Yeah. uh, McClure at the top, 
There's Bradley. And then Eisenhower's over all of these guys because he was the five star in charge of uh, Shafe Psych War. Yep. Yep. So you can see how this whole thing works. Let me go back here and see how connects, how OSS, how Shafe works. There's Eisenhower at a Shafe. Yep. Commission chiefs of staff. Yeah, with the two prime well, you president and prime minister giving authority. So before he was a president of the United States and a five-star general, he was in charge of propaganda agencies. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. And then CD Jackson goes to the work of Time Life, comes yeah, just another that. propaganda agency and during peace. Project time. Mockingbird sort of intimations there. And then he buys a Sapruta film and yeah, nothing to see there, anyone. It's all- well, he doesn't have to buy it, it's just kept by them because they're in <laughs> control of stuff. That's all. It just happens like that, Tony. They're uh, time life. Skull and bones. Don't worry about it. Now, wasn't there a chapter called How the Order Controls Media? Education. Well, there's education, but oh, let me just open They control the media, too. They got Anthony Sutton America. has a chapter on that, too, I'm sure. Anglo-American establishment. Introduction. Blah, blah, blah. We're not getting into that. Where is the... Here. I think, yeah. The content. Yeah. Chapter six. The Times. Huh. The Times is like the New York Times, only it starts in London. It's older and more prestigious and has more influence around the world. So they so nothing, about nothing the to see there. Importance of controlling the narrative, it seems like back then. Now, does that have anything to do with powerful people at Oxford making plans for your future? That thing you just referred to? Oxford and then Harvard and well, Oxford. in this case, Oxford and in, in specific, yeah. Did you like, know that Oxford is based on all a souls ritual sacrifice site oh just like the the london bank uh, of london bank of bank england of london, yeah bank of england rather yeah, yeah well they they really paid it forward from taking it from the the roman empire didn't they you know that's yeah. uh, they want to re-manifest that i guess and the the, the ideals well, you know of what? the kaiser the caesar or you know the continuation of the divine right of kings they they really Really took that to heart. <laughs> I'm glad we don't need to know history at all. We could just watch current events and understand things, Tony, because history be hard, dude. You got to read lots of stuff from the past. Who needs that when you got TikTok? That's right. Yeah, I mean, there you go. You Bro, I got fantasy football. Well, I got to keep track of these numbers over here, of these men playing games. <laughs> yeah, the people, the, the depth that people go to in regards to understanding analytics and sports and providing logical arguments, and yet they don't understand what's actually being done to them at every single moment. They are looking at their phone or turning on the TV or reading a newspaper. Yeah, it's, it's unreal. But it's almost like MK Ultra went public and everybody got the update, but didn't get the, uh, <laughs> the virus protection <laughs> definitions. So they got the virus. It's sort of like in that that it's poor movie, but in the third Terminator, where like Skynet like presents itself as not being as it's the virus, but no one knows it's a virus. The Joint Chiefs says like get it online because we need Skynet operational to go against this virus when in fact it was the virus. So did they ever make a Terminator where the Terminator impersonated John Connor? Oh wait, did I disclose the next Terminator movie? I shouldn't talk to James Cameron on the phone. Is that who makes it? I don't even know. I don't care about these things. <laughs> well, I don't even care enough to get the details right to be funny on that. I, I don't care. I didn't even see the last Terminators, but no, I'm aware they exist. And that I thought it was a movie that was a warning, and these people took it as a business plan. And they're like, let's create Skynet. 
You know? Yeah, they seem to like the idea of Sam <laughs> and disguising it. I mean, Aquatic they have gone full there. rearmament on that one. <laughs> we should actually train. We should segue into that. Actually, can we get? Can we get a so I don't have to say it. Can we get like a sound clip of that LD? That phrase that I'm. I mean, I've said the word before on the podcast. I just don't want to say that phrase because you know gets taken out of context. That we have eleven labs or whatever to make new sound clips of these things now. Let's see what it can anyway. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, deep fake things scary because you can just make people say anything, and then they can so put it out. Not... And... That means terrorists don't have to torture you anymore. They can already have your confession right there on the laptop and be like, "Push play." <laughs> Well, LD, is that a sound clip that you're going to find? Then I or are you like laptop. hands off on that? Like, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> it's a kryptonite. <laughs> now I can pull that up. Yeah, because it's funnier if I don't say it. Because <laughs> I'm not trying to offend anyone in reality. I'm trying to refer to something that took place in reality and compare that to clown world actions going on today in reality. So really, I'm just pointing toward it. I don't want to be in the middle of it. If you know what I mean. Today's cancel culture has us thinking this way. All right. So, Tony, before we get to intermission tonight, which is going to be juicy in and of itself, mm-hmm. do we, uh, should we cover a deep fake? Since you just brought up a little deep fakery, should we check out that Biden deep fake that fooled people a little bit this week and see what's yeah. going on in the, the AI wars? Yeah, it's either the deep fake or the Sean Penn. Both are good segues into what we were just talking about. So we should probably well, once we get that sound clip, we can play the Sean Penn. Yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. So let's play the deep fake first, deep fake first, and then jump into you know Sean Penn. I mean, gave the Templar statue to uh, Zelensky. He's like, you're now you have to be of this quality of an actor in order to continue to sustain the funding of now what is like whatever hundred. Well, I think the Oscar was for Sean Penn's deep admiration for all things in Zelensky's closet that had six inch heels and also for him playing the keyboard with his dongle. I mean, those are things that Sean Penn, I'm sure Spicoli, I mean, come on. Spicoli really respects that Zelensky actor who was a comedian who became president on a show and then became president in a country that is leading to world war three. It's all accidental and not scripted. And you should, you should believe what you see on TV, Tony. Don't question uh, that stuff. Oh, help me sleep easier. At night. Watch the view. Have you ever seen the view? These nice ladies in the morning tell you how to think about all these things. So you don't have to think for yourself and you can be brain dead for the rest of your week. They really are doing a service to humanity, bottomizing their audience one morning at a time. Oh, you mean the erudite audience or the erudite <laughs> commentators like Whoopi Goldberg, who sat up there and it's like, I don't know where the virus came from, but Trump racist because he said China, something like that. We played earlier, you know, when like I say that. don't go full re armament there they went there 10 years ago dude like that's their whole shtick that would have been a good full rearmament that would have been a good title you never go full rearmament that's that the lesson been a good title yeah i'm gonna keep that in the back pocket just in case things precipitate in regards to the ukraine russia theater the sound clip that you'll hear soon was what i wanted to respond on twitter when i saw this story but i thought no, that's going to cause a, a fuck storm on Twitter. See, I'll say that, but I won't say this other thing. See, and then Bob Murphy, the libertarian economist, and also he's a funny comedic type of personality. He says, 
never go full re, re, rearmament. <laughs> and we all knew exactly what he was saying and not saying at the same time. And that's what made it funny. You'll get it when you hear the clip if you, if you haven't got it already. I know I'm causing great anticipation about this movie clip. <laughs> do we have that? Oh, did you have it's that? the centerpiece of the whole show now. <laughs> yes. You want to roll okay, this is no. Wheels Off Liberty. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> this is what happens up there. Rich is All right. Let's, hours, let's see. I'm going to go like this and put uh, that on screen while you play this clip. <laughs> <laughs> you went full retard, man. Never go full retard. Oh man. oh man we didn't now say what's that? funnier is uh who's the actor who's playing isn't that from tropic thunder is that robert tropic? downey yes. jr oh okay i didn't see that uh, oh my god well now that is a real lesson for sean penn right there <laughs> another one all right so now with that clip present we can let's cover the sean uh sean penn story and then play that sound clip right afterwards and that'll be like a little time capsule in a bottle for people all right never go full rearmament so sean penn is at it again look how he's dressed I don't. So he has. So Sean Penn. Well, let's let's just play it. Thing I'd I'd like to say is, you know, having just just returned from Ukraine uh, uh, about uh, ten days ago or so, is that the the impact of President Biden's trip was extraordinary. I mean, that's uh, that that's extremely encouraging. Um, right, pause this. Yeah, clip it would have been nice if he actually play that soundbite. You went full retard, man. Never go full return. It's because it's not believable, Sean Penn. How comes we all know this and you don't know this? But let's keep watching because this is hilarious. That's phenomenal because when I played right? clips last week with Jay Dyer talking about that, like the staged elements of it, like the air sirens going off when he lands. Yes. Kiev, oh, yeah. I mean, it's just high production is, value on oh, that one. My goodness. That's the context is just dripping at this point. Go ahead. All right. Let Jimmy Dore. Do his thing. He visited someplace in the United States that needed help. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be extremely encouraging? So what they're showing here is video of his group called Core. So Sean Penn has a, a nonprofit and it's called Core. And it's that's called an NGO, a non-governmental organization. It's like oh, a charity. Right. And but they get money from the government. I'll guarantee you that he's his his charity, his core, this non-governmental organization is getting funded somewhere through the government. And so he gets all this money and then they send him to places like Haiti or they send him now to uh, Ukraine. And he's just there to do propaganda for the war. And that's what he's doing. So here he is. I think that when it, that one of the, the things that's concerned me and I, I, I you know, I, I think that there's no question, but that they need more ammunition, more uh, more war. That's because they're winning so We hard. need more war. <laughs> it's going so well. <laughs> what we need to do is prolong this war. Everyone knows how it's going to end except Sean Penn. Everyone knows how this war is going to end except Sean Penn. 
Uh, hold and on. he wants to extend. So what he's doing is repeating CIA talking points. Well, look at the, th- the uh, Jimmy, we got a special report coming in. Uh, Sean Penn says the impact of Biden's okay. trip is extraordinary. extraordinary. Well, thanks for ooh, special. What, what a special report. Wow, it is extraordinary. He's very special. All right. Long range precision weapons. And Wait, yeah, hang on. The they they need more ammunition. And what else? They need more ammunition, more uh, long-range precision weapons. More long-range precision weapons. He's advocating for specific artillery (laughs) in a war. Instead of arguing for peace talks. They need long range that, you know, I wish they had long range. What is he? What did he say? Call it long, artillery. Oh, but he, he used us uh, precision. precision. They don't have that when they deliver weapons. the weapons. When we try to send the weapons, we have no long range precision. Uh, yeah. We Most don't go somewhere else. They, they go to Africa. Right. We don't know where they're going. So we need about 70% over percent. what we were going to send them. Is what <laughs> it's Kurt like Metzger says special. It's well, special. All right. Dude, you know what's special about their relationship is Sean Penn dropped off his Oscar and Zelensky has Sean Penn's phone number. So Sean Penn's basically like reading his phone with the list of things they need from Zelensky. (laughs) He's like, they need some long range precision weapons. He doesn't even know how to say the words. He's just like, this is what they need. And you should give it to him. And Wolf Blitzer, to his credit, you won't hear this much on this show ever, ever again, ever, ever again. But he's incredulous he's giving him the sideways eye he's like whoa dude you're asking for more stuff than we give israel and i don't know about this so no, if you look at that freeze frame that wolf is frozen on jimmy's screen right before he went back to kurt right there wolf blitzer's giving him the sideways eye like i don't even know if i believe it at this point i'm about to retire is what he's thinking <laughs> he's been here since gulf war one wolf oh, blitzer yeah. <laughs> good keep rolling with it oh my god Oh, but he used us precision. precision. They don't have that when they deliver the weapons. When we try to send the weapons, we have no long range precision. Yeah, we don't go somewhere else. They they go to Africa. We don't know where they're going. We need about 70% over what we were going to send them, is what he's saying. (laughs) And yes, fighter jets. Fighter Uh, jets. And uh, And fighter jets. So we should just give them a whole military. To fight a war they provoked. So he doesn't, again, so I, I if this is the first time you've ever seen my show or, or they never tell you what's really going on in Ukraine. Ukraine is an economic war by NATO that was provoked and started by NATO. How did they do it? They overthrew the government in Ukraine in 2014 and installed a puppet. And then the Russian speakers in the east part of Ukraine didn't want to go along with that. And then the Ukraine government started shelling those people. They had a peace agreement called the Minsk Accords. And the Ukraine government was supposed to stop shelling the Russian speakers in the eastern part of Ukraine. They never did. They killed 14 to 15,000 Russian-speaking Ukrainians in what's called the Donbass, the east part of Ukraine. And that's what provoked Russia to... One of the things that provoked Russia to invade to protect those people also so that Ukraine would become demilitarized so they wouldn't become a threat to Russia, just like we don't want Russia or Mexico or Canada to be a military threat to us. And if they got into an alliance with China or Russia, we would be upset about that, just like we did with the cruise, the the Cuban Missile Crisis. We almost started World War Three over that. So they are doing the same thing right now with Ukraine. And so NATO keeps threatening to put Ukraine into NATO, which is crazy. 
crazy. And everybody from Noam Chomsky to Henry Kissinger and to secretaries of state and every administration has said that's crazy to put Ukraine into NATO. So we're doing everything we can to start this war. And we got it. And now we're doing everything we can to extend it. Sean Penn knows none of that. <laughs> he knows none of that. He thinks the war started when Putin invaded the Donbass. That is not when the war started. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> um, I forgot what it is. Okay, sorry. So let's listen to more of this. Uh, this and, and the and the issue really is that um, you know right now they're dying. Every day they're dying. So. And so we got to keep this going. You know, there was a peace agreement last March. They had a peace agreement. And then NATO, the United States, killed the peace agreement because they don't want to stop this war. They want to bleed Russia. And to, in order to do that, you got to slaughter a bunch of Ukrainians. And they don't give a shit. And Sean Penn is here making. It was Gordon Brown, the UK prime minister, who flew in, I think has his name. The, the orange Trump guy the, from Britain, former prime minister. No, no, yeah, former prime right? minister. It was. Um... So I'm just saying the dude from London flew over and scuttled the peace plan. It wasn't right. so much United States or NATO. It was the people that still have a king that were doing that. Pardon me for having a snack. It's been a long work day. I was having some pretzels. Thought I could listen to the door, but I have to make that correction because it's very important. Jimmy throws the United States under the bus. And I'm saying it's the people that Boris never Johnson. stopped being our enemy. Boris, Boris Johnson. Johnson. Thank you. Thank you yeah. so much, everybody who helped to get that inf- information to the audience. All right, go ahead. Let it roll. Yep. Yeah, I was born. Boris. Making sure more Ukrainians get slaughtered. And he's such a moron. He thinks he's helping those people. Oh, now I remember. So we had the video of Zelensky himself saying they were never going to let him in NATO. So never mind NATO. They were just saying. Let, just tell Russia. Let's threaten it. So we piss it, off. But we're not even going to put you in. NATO. Yes. So that's really like dirty on a lot of levels. What what we're waiting for seems to still be attached to this, I would argue, overcautious concern uh, related to uh, nuclear weapons, because I, it, for one thing, if we're going to. So Sean Penn is telling you, don't worry about nuclear war. If someone starts a nuclear war, don't worry about that because we have to. We that's just part of the price you have to pay. It, I'm not making this up. That's what he's saying, and I'm going to play it for. Let's please play it. Concern uh, related to uh, nuclear weapons because I, it, for one thing, if we're going to uh, live in a world where uh, a bully with nuclear weapons. Um, runs the show. Uh, you know, there are... Yeah, you know what country that is? Yeah. That would be the United States, fuckface. Not Russia. The United States. We're occupying a third of Syria right next door. You know why? Because we're a nuclear power bully. We did the same thing to Iraq. We did the same thing to Libya. How about we his pal th- Hugo Chavez that he still talks about how he's friends with him? That's right. friends with him. We overthrew him. Did... <laughs> I saw him Bill Maher talking about how Hugo Ch- like he still is like, yeah, well, Hugo was being threatened by you. Just, what did you say? He was being threatened by America. <laughs> so. He doesn't know a- anything about anything, and he's advocating for more murder being a tool of the CIA and the military industrial complex. He's not helping. He's Sean is now a tool of evil and murder. He's cautioning against caution. Yes. (laughs) 
He doesn't want you to worry about we can't we have to risk a nuclear war. Believe me, Russia will use a nuke if they think they're losing. The only thing we have to fear is fear of nuclear war. (laughs) Don't be afraid of nuclear war. That's Sean Penn's message is we can't be afraid of nuclear war. Otherwise, of course, you should be afraid of nuclear war. And that should be paramount in every decision. Of course, you should be afraid of nuclear war. He's saying we can't worry that someone's going to start a nuclear war. That's exactly what you should be worrying about. You fucking moron. I mean, that freeze frame is not making him look smart. He looks like one of the guys from Deliverance in this in this video. Looks like the one that Burt Reynolds shot with an arrow. It was a, uh, a, a, a former um, intelligence officer I'd spoken to in Ukraine at one point. He said, you know, he doesn't live in that, want to live in that world, and Ukraine won't. And so I just think we have to make a clear decision to start. Um, world War Three. To so start World War Three. He spoke to a former He's, intelligence officer. He talked officer. to some rando fucking guy inside Ukraine with a bias and an agenda. And now I'm here to tell you about it. And Ukraine doesn't want to live that way. Oh, I, I oh. care. <laughs> Take all the money I yeah. have, please. Saving lives, saving infrastructure. And what that means is supplying the Ukrainians. They have no interest in having Americans or others in the fight. They're ready to take the fight themselves. And their their ability to transition on these platforms, be it the F-16s or, or when it comes to the uh, Patriot, uh, is is not I don't think there's been an honest conversation about how how quickly they can transition. I think it's oh, there's a lot. Sean Penn is going to be here to let you know how fast that the military in Ukraine without any training can learn how to use a sophisticated missile system that takes months and months to figure out. And and by the way, they don't have the spare part. They don't have anything. It's like yeah, you ever saw Battlefield Earth when they all learn how to do fighter jets to fight the aliens no. in like a day. It's like that. <laughs> <laughs> in the air about how long it takes out maintenance so now what where's code pink to call him out that would be nice right aren't anti-war organizations supposed to mock him now and tell him why he's wrong and that he's an actual evil person yeah because that's I, he's doing evil listen if ukraine doesn't win this war i don't want to be alive <laughs> I don't even want to live in the world if this conflict doesn't go. The Ukrainians won't. All of that. But there are a lot of uh, many ways in which that can be, um, uh, you know, uh, sped up. You could speed up uh, the any. So I love what this guy says. He says liberals are mad at Woody Harrelson, but they applaud this piece of shit. (laughs) Wow. That's the world we're living in. They're pro-war. Like, he's not embarrassed to do this. This would well, be like saying, we got to arm the Vietnamese. We got to send more arms. We got to send more missiles to Vietnam. We got to send more long-range missiles. We got to send fighter jets. We got to send this stuff to Vietnam. That's what that... We got to send this to Iraq. Let's send it to Libya. Let's send this stuff to Afghanistan. Don't worry. They don't want us there supervising what they do with it. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, so if you said that about Vietnam, you've said that about Iraq... Or you said that about Libya, or you said that about Afghanistan, or you said that about Syria. Everybody would laugh you out of the room, but you're allowed to say that about Ukraine now. But an intelligence officer told him. But some rando intelligence officer. You know how the intelligence that got us into Iraq, the thing that yes. he thought was crazy of us to do? Yeah. 
Well, I like what uh, Spit and Venom says. He says, when calling out corporate greed and corrupt politicians gets people labeled conspiracy theorists that they did to Woody Harrelson. That's how you know the state-sponsored propaganda machine is working. Sean Penn loves war and vaccine mandates, so he's he's portrayed as a purveyor of truth and decency because he's a good boy. Oh, he's Sean Penn. He's he's a good boy. All right. Let's just talk about the hypocrisy for a moment. Sean Penn will say that you can't have Second Amendment or protect your family, and he'll also say with the the money taken from your family for the resources of this country that we send it over to Ukraine to arm those people against some people that the CIA has been proxy fighting with for the better part of a century, right? He says all of this in a frame of um, him, him playing a fish out of water. Like that's Sean Penn playing a fish out of water. He did a really very sort of sensitive coy sort of like uh, very sort of, retentive like he's just in the background he's he's acting sort of like this not dismissive but reserved or not reserved but he's he's fidget he's he's agitated he's an evangelist he's, for war yeah. he's a warmonger is what what i was hearing it looks like he missed a cycle of his steroids i wonder what That's he said about thing I'd, I'd mentioned he's looking a little frail there has he been in prison in romania for a month what's going on with you sean penn but i also want to mention that he's doing all this anti-freedom type of stuff while wearing a hat that looks like it came off the set of tank girl and i think that's very bold and courageous on sean penn now if you guys aren't familiar with sean penn's acting he's right up there with one of the greatest actors of all time uh volodymyr Zelensky. and i want to show you the other end of the spectrum of, of sean penn's acting because he doesn't just play fish out of water or california stoners he also plays uh do we have that clip lt now this is the actual clip of Sean Penn. We're not we're not yeah. fooling. This is not like a gig or a gimmick or this is a clip of a movie Sean Penn is known for because of his his acting skills. Oh, and he was a retard. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> that was <laughs> I have had a lot of time see to think about what it is that makes somebody a good parent and it's about constancy and it's about patience and it's about listening and it's about and it's about pretending to listen even when you can't listen anymore that actually makes more sense than what we just heard like she said and I made it the best I could. And I don't and think we should perfect. confuse people with. And I'm not uh, a perfect parent. Go ahead and pause that. And sometimes. What a range. Yeah, I, I don't think we can uh, uh, or that we should uh, confuse natural inabilities that exist in people with Sean Penn's self retardation that he is doing to himself purposely and then sharing with the world. Like uh, he wants to buy the world a Coke only in this case, a Coke is a bottle of ignorance that he's going to pour all over people and say, use your taxpayer money to send F 16s and precision long distance fighting range weapons that make Raytheon and Lockheed Grumman come in their pants metaphorically speaking of course and it's a it's a mockery and a sin to those that actually suffer such stability 
you know that's the thing like for his own self like effacement his own debasement you know for him to portray that level of debility when he doesn't actually well i don't know maybe he does have that but i think that's uh, actually the name of his show in the basement (laughs) it's not like from the basement that studio and the bbc that's a great series but in the basement might be it Brian Skelter lives there. He's in the basement, like the gimp in <laughs> fucking Pulp Fiction, you know, getting debasement, ready to take it. Yes. And debasement. Yeah. Getting ready to take it for sure. That's what he's doing. So what a range though, you know, my goodness. What a, what a range of an actor, quite an actor, but I really do like the Tropic Thunder advice for him that he, you know, cause it's not believable when you go full rearmament on people like that. I'm so inspired right now. Well, sometimes it takes a good movie like Tropic Thunder to really bring out like the savviness of Sean Penn's position. And I think that uh, sophistication, it really really makes him look like he's an erudite personality Mm -hmm. to be reckoned with. And we should all do our homework accordingly. All right. So now even memorizes a, the lines look at that he doesn't read from a script he memorizes the script beforehand then he gets on tv just like he does for his movies well that clip we just showed that wasn't him acting that was just him in a movie whereas the <laughs> clip with wolf blitzer was him acting but not in a movie you have to learn how to disambiguate these things tony uh, i see uh-huh. it's going to get even harder with Where's the it? ai generated content i'm sure but that was sean penn in his natural state of stupidity that was not augmented in any way shape or form Moving on with more important things than what Sean Penn did this week and his tank girl hat. <laughs> what other juicy tidbits should we think to cover before we get into MK Ultra intermission with people? Oh, we found a, another piece. LD found a, a classic uh, Corbett with the uh, Requiem for the Suicided series. Terrence oh, Yakey yeah. so will play a, a solid chunk of that. And then you have three things you could dig into to learn more about such things. Should you want to be informed and not be part of history repeating continuously? <laughs> There's uh, two clips. We kind of we touched on this. I actually did a, f- a fairly deep dive into this last week with Redacted. But Kim Iverson and John Bound both came out with good clips. So talking about the Gates-funded World Health Organization seeking to increase its pandemic pow- powers through... The, this pandemic treaty, which is, uh, I can't believe that they soon. would try to aggrandize their powers through this secret treaty they're passing in the background. I just can't believe it, Tony. <laughs> they wouldn't do such things. I mean, they have our best interests at heart. So they really do I, love us for our freedom. <laughs> specifically, specifically, they're loving us hard. They're loving us long time for that freedom, Tony. Well, we have Robbie Suave, Doctor Martin R- McKay, Rico greatest. Suave. He actually has been doing a good job over at the Hill, and I yeah. saw actually. Yeah. Uh, before we go to this next story, maybe we should play in the YouTube playlist. There is a clip from the Hill that I saved this week because I was like, really? Like they were actually like, I thought it was some solid yeah. reporting. Now, if we check this title and we've already covered it, then we don't have to play it. But we might consider playing that because, uh, yeah, you know, you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater every now and then that broken clock is going to be right when you look at it. And this was one of those times when I was like, oh, they're actually purveying something solid over there. <laughs> I could go. There's a couple different ways I could take that. We'll leave that there and flush it. Um, so yeah, so, there's essentially the. I mean, we don't have to cover. I'm just saying, if we're going to cover anything for intermission, it would be Kim Iverson has a 20 minute clip about the Gates funded WHO 
we have Robbie Suave talking about uh, great perpetrator misinfo during the pandemic and just the Hill in general, but I think he was on that panel. And then um, Sean Bound, short clip, five minutes, just talking about the WHO pandemic treaty. Those are like the only three I can think of that are, if we want to play any more for. Should we go to John Bound and then uh, Kim Iverson? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that. How long is the Iverson piece? Uh, 20 minutes. Is she reporting the whole time or is there an interview stuff in there? Good question. Let me see. Uh, Shit, it is an interview again. It's an interview with, uh, I don't know. They don't, she didn't put a lower Dr. Kat Lindley, globalist covid summit.org, sort of uh, talking about. Mm. So, we can play yeah, I would want to check but, for yeah. that type of thing. I'd want to check and see what's going on. All right, so let's go. Uh, that's twice. I gotta improve on how to get the Iverson clips into the show. I want to, I want her journalism and analysis, not the interview part of it. All right, same, so uh, same, same. I agree with you there. It's for the time capsule. That's my concern. 100%. Want the best content for the people now and in the future, trying to figure out what happened in the past. All right, so uh, let's go to uh, John Bound of Band.Video and InfoWars crew. And uh, also, I want to shout out, because we're not going to get it in intermission tonight, Mark Passio interviewed Greg Reese a couple weeks ago. And I was listening to that today before we started the VIP Summit, and it's a really great interview, and I want to get Greg Reese on the show. Very interesting cat, dude. He's been through some shit, and that makes people with character. When you go through some shit and survive it, you get character, and that makes you an interesting person that other people want to get to know and work with, etc. So uh, we, I had planned on having that as part of the intermission. But then this Terrence Yakey story broke, and it makes more sense for this time capsule to include that because I think uh, in the current social milieu, the ideas that were precipitating 30 years ago are still going on today, and they're willing to bomb us to take away our freedom. Well, this show's a little bit like jazz. We like to improvise a little bit. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure, dude. This is like Miles Davis quintet. Yeah, there you go. All right, so uh, let's roll the bound. The FBI has for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. The eugenics is just getting started. The elites managed to eliminate a fraction of the populace they must destroy through the virus and vaccines surpassing the genocide of Nazi Germany. All over the Western world, we are seeing very large, measurable increases in unexplained deaths. The BBC in Great Britain, for example, just reported that, quote, excess deaths in 2022 are among the worst in 50 years. And does it damage the brain? You bet it does. Does it damage the heart? Yes. The liver? Yes. The bone marrow? Yes. It causes all sorts of harm in the human body. We should have stopped this before it ever started. I'm seeing tremendous apathy. I'm seeing deaths, as you've mentioned, but no one seems to care. The the family expresses no outrage. The uh, obituaries don't mention the cause of death. It's just that, you know, a 24-year-old died, and that's it. The clinical trials were never ordered. Um, the, uh, the good manufacturing practice compliance was never ordered. And, you know, legally speaking, there were no, never even clinical trial subjects or investigators, because if you cannot have an investigational uh, product, then there is no investigation. So FDA leadership and then global regulatory leadership, what they did, they impersonated the regulators so that you fall for this lie and, and go get injected. Pfizer already in court stated that, please dismiss this case, judge. 
We did not defraud the government. We delivered the fraud that the government ordered. However, their common goal is to reduce humans from nearly 8 billion people to a manageable slave populace of 500 million. We cannot hide away from human population growth because, you know, it underlies so many of the other problems. All these things we talk about wouldn't be a problem if there, were, if there was the size of population that there was 500 years ago. And so, even though the pandemic has been largely exposed as a manufactured event, the elitists push forward, hedging their bets on more genocide as their silent kill strategy stumbles through its engineered propaganda. Countries will begin negotiations on a zero draft of the new pandemic accord. These discussions will be crucial for building a more effective health security architecture for the future grounded in international law, equity, and the fundamental right to health for all people. A public health emergency of international concern, or a fake, is defined by the IHR as an extraordinary event which is determined to constitute a public health risk to other states through the international spread of disease and to potentially require a coordinated international response. This year, in 2023, we may still be in a pandemic for quite some time because this virus is here with us to stay, which means we have to take measured action, we have to improve all of our system to be able to reduce the impact of COVID-19 as we go forward. It's a global treaty. Um, they want 127 nations to sign it um, and basically does hand over kind of our sovereignty, there's no other way to put it, to what will be a kind of a global health police um, and, and giving all of the decision making to the World Health Organization, which of course is funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation disproportionately and um, their best friends, the Chinese Communist Party. The contract of the new draft is against the Constitution of America, against the laws and protection of human rights of America, etc., etc., etc. The law in America says whoever conspires to aim or work towards the goal to undermine the security, the dignity or the integrity of the Constitution of the United States of America is committing high treason. Find out who from your government worked on that draft and then go for high treason, then you have the army behind you. The World Health Organization pandemic treaty is deeply concerning. It seeks to give the discredited WHO huge powers over this country and our people. Powers to call pandemics, enforce lockdowns, enforce vaccinations, and decide when any pandemic is over. We know from the pandemic, and we know from other uh, outbreaks such as Ebola, that these diseases know no borders, and it is only through international cooperation and collaboration together that we will arrive at the solutions to ensure we, we do not have a repeat of the, of the last few years. How long before those who know someone who has died suddenly, or those injured by the vaccines strike back once the war on humanity is completely 100% out in the open. John Bowne reporting. John Bowne reporting. <clears throat> they have such great audio over there at the uh, InfoWars. All right, so my stream deck crashed along with my OBS and my laptop, but uh, I'll just push buttons manually because this is the Do It Live show, right? Isn't this Saturday afternoon? Isn't this Do It Live? We just encounter obstacles and crush them. Uh, that's a good mentality to have. It's been fortuitous tonight with the crashes because it seemed to happen in between clips or uh, talks, which is perfect. But this thing I wasn't even aware of called fake. <laughs> the John Don thing. I mean, look at this. <laughs> 
public health emergency international concern or the fake oops let me make that a little better there click on this what is this nonsense public the fake or the public health emergency of international concern is a former declaration of the world health organization of quote an extremely event an extraordinary event excuse me which is determined to constitute a public health risk to other states through the international spread of disease and to potentially require a coordinated international response end quote and formulated when a situation arises that is quote serious sudden unusual or unexpected which carries implications for public health beyond the affected state's national border. Oh, so it's a supranational situation, end quote. So if you were a whistleblower working at one of these places but can't function and you uh, felt that there was an international spread risk of this type of thing, and you'd go to this faic group that Tony just showed you, you'd be a whistleblower and they'd be like, shh, that's what we're doing, right? Like it's totally... It's totally like the bad guys got in control. Like the bad guys faked being good guys so they could keep being bad guys. It's like a kid's cartoon type of motif that they got going on out there. But it's severely effective against people with an eight-year-old mentality, I guess. Yeah, that's exactly right. When they can't see, read between the lines, see the evidence for themselves. Everything's Uh, literal and they can't see the layers. Yeah, everything's black and white. No Mm. nuance. Yeah, so that's going on. Shout out to John Bowne, another fantastic production by... And then we'll get to Greg Reese towards the end of the show. He did a really good one on taking back our rights and getting into the origination of the Constitution of America and where it started from before there was the Articles of Confederation and the Constitution itself and the Bill of Rights. He he takes it way back, so it'll be fun to get into. But I think that's that kind of covers the gamut of the main stories we need to cover before we jump into intermission. So I think we're we're cleared for takeoff. All right, cool. So we're going to have uh, three pieces to tonight's intermission. We're going to have the Corbett piece. I think that should, let's see how we should. uh, Okay, Oklahoma City piece, because that's the original piece of footage that's a documentary about the thing. And then from that, let's play a clip of Corbett. And then uh, if we have a clip from State of Mind, and then we have a clip from Minds of Men. So if we do 15 minutes a piece, that would be an hour. If we do a little bit less or, you know, go with the flow, edit, uh, you know, you can edit it on a fly LD. If you think we got to the gist and, you know, there's a place to pick up on the next one, I'll leave it to you to interweave uh, the the boundaries of these pieces of content on the same topic. Sounds good. What do you think? Yeah, All sounds right, cool. Good. All right, cool. Then we are ready for takeoff in this intermission. And then when we come back, we'll move to uh, to wrap it up because we've all had long days at this point. And uh, news is just going to get crazier in the next week. So there's no use like, uh, I guess my point would be freedom's a super marathon. It's not a sprint. So we're going to keep uh, running next week. We don't have to run all night, 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 tonight like we usually do. Yeah. Yeah, this is a little bit of the calm before the many storms that will be 2023 news cycles. So, yeah, let's pace ourselves the past two weeks. So, yeah, we're going to catch our breath with this week, get our energy back and, you know, get ready for. Next All right. Week. So with that, we'll go to the intermission. And the theme is. MK Ultra, Dr. Lewis Jolien West, uh, the CIA activities, federal cover ups and the story of Terrence Yankee recently republicized on CNN many years after the films you're going to see. (laughs) 
As the government proclaimed justice for all impacted by the bombing, the people back in Oklahoma still sought the truth and knew now they were on their own. The list of questions continued to grow due to the mysterious death of Oklahoma City Police Officer Sergeant Terrence Yakey. Terry Yakey, unlike the rest of Oklahoma, may have known too much. Officer Yakey was um, just over 30 years old at the time of the bombing. And the morning of the bombing, he was issuing a traffic ticket near the uh, Civic Center Music Hall, which is about four blocks to the west of where the Murray Building stood. Um, he dropped the ticket book, let the, uh, the woman go, and she says, I have to obviously attend to other things. He heard the multiple blasts coming from the Murray Building. Sped up there in his black and white squad car and immediately started pulling out the first of, of eight people, Mr. Tom Hall being the first, a former employee of the GSA. Um, Tom, to this day, in fact, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, still has the utmost respect for Officer Yakey. He literally saved his life. Officer Yakey, um, being an, an astute police officer for seven years, veteran of the Oklahoma City Police Department, um, knew that something was horribly wrong. He tried to get the, the official storyline out through his commanding officers at the Oklahoma City Police Department, through his family, through his ex-wife, and uh, he chose to withhold some of the storyline because he was in fear of for his family and his wife and his, his two young daughters at the time. What we found out, between the hours of 8 a.m. and 1 p.m. That, that morning, um, he was brutally murdered a mile and a half from the uh, front gate of the Areno Penitentiary. From that moment that his body was found, we know that the crime scene was destroyed. There were spade shovels that were uh, used to turn over the crime scene. Uh, ballistics, any gunpowder residue, anything that had to do with his death was, was completely destroyed, it was corrupted. He started uh, having problems with it, not only at work, but his apartment got broke into, his car got broke into, things were stolen out of his house. He had accumulated reports, evidence, I don't know what at all, but he was going to take it out to a mini storage in El Reno. And he left one, one night and he told a friend of his that they were going to go out to dinner and he says, I got to run out and put some stuff in mini storage and as soon as I, I shake these feds that are following me, I'll be back and we'll go to dinner. Well, he never came back. Instead, he was found the next day by a Canadian County Sheriff's deputy. Well, they found his car first and then they found him in a field uh, near the El Reno Penitentiary. The damage to his body was obviously a torture homicide. It was obvious. But what intrigued me the most that he had several cuts on both of his wrists, inside both elbows, both jugular veins. He'd been beaten. Uh, he had ligature marks around his neck. He had handcuff marks on his hands, on his wrists. And he had a small caliber uh, bullet wound that started above on the right-hand side uh, of his temple and exited low on his cheek with no powder burns. The day of his death, um, when my daughter called me, I left work, went to El Reno uh, to help because I, I could hear the seriousness in her voice that she was getting upset. Why would the police be looking, calling her, looking for Terrence? And when we went to the apartment where he lived, 
the manager there stated to, to us, well, why are you looking for him? The police have already been here and taken his cruiser. So I, I'm, I'm not sure what was going on. It was strange. And about 10 o'clock at night, uh, I had put my grandkids to bed. The phone rang. And when I picked the phone up, I could hear my daughter screaming in the background. And I, I assumed something bad had happened. But I, I didn't think death. And my son said, Mom, they found Terry. He's dead. One of the things that surprised me was that there was no autopsy performed. The other thing that really bothered me was we were being told that Terry was high on drugs and drunk. And, uh, of course, the medical examiner's office did a, a report on Terry and his injuries, uh, which was really not an autopsy, but just a uh, an overview. And... Uh, it showed that his BAC was was zero, meaning no no blood alcohol content. There was no drugs in his system. It bothered me that they didn't treat Terry like uh, police officer like he was. Uh, he was he was a good guy. And he never said to us that I'm depressed. I, I I'm you know I, I need help. Not to me, or not to his sisters. I think it's only fair that we know, as Terrence's family members, what happened. Officer Yankee's official cause of death was suicide. And that was actually laid out in the medical examiner's report at the Oklahoma State Medical Office, examiner's office. Uh, we've since were able to retrieve that record. Uh, what we found out, though, is that, uh, number one, the crime scene was corrupted, went uh, completely in the face of a proper investigative procedure. Uh, the extent and the amount of and the number of wounds on his body clearly shows that um, he was he couldn't commit suicide physically and, and uh, logistically you just can't do that to yourself terry also we knew was anemic he would not have been able to traverse over half a mile from where his car was to where his body was found and not have passed out his heart would have literally given out he wouldn't have had enough blood pressure in his body to survive uh, the car was locked the windows were rolled out the keys were in the console uh, there was a bloody knife in the in the glove box. You you don't stab yourself 13 times and have uh, superficial wounds on the um, you know on your, along your arms and chest and your upper neck, and walk a half a mile and decide to die next to a tree. Being the family of an officer, uh, I expected some kind of care and consideration for us, being the family of Terrence. There was another detective by the name of Mullinex that told my daughter that she looked at too many movies and she needed to see a psychiatrist. When we were asking questions, wanting to know about his belongings, wanting to know about things that happened during the, the course of where they say they found my son. And I don't think this was very kind of them and considerate of us being family uh, that they should have talked to us like that but they did and as far as I'm concerned that made me more suspicious of what happened to my son the brutal torture and murder of Terry Yegi served not only to silence his voice but the voices of other first responders who may have seen something that would shed light on what really happened those who keep their silence know exactly what Terry saw 
but he will never be forgotten by those who ask questions and demand answers. By all outward appearances, Terence Yakey had everything to live for in the spring of 1996. A respected seven-year veteran of the Oklahoma City Police Department, Terence Yakey had earned awards, accolades, and honors for his work in the aftermath of the Oklahoma City bombing on April 19, 1995, where he worked tirelessly in the rubble and the debris for over three and a half hours, dragging eight people from the building that day, saving their lives. In November of 1995, he had been promoted to the position of sergeant in the Oklahoma City Police Department. He had received the key to the city of El Reno, Oklahoma for his heroism in the aftermath of the OKC bombing. And he was just getting ready to receive a Medal of Valor for his actions that day. He had recently reconciled with his ex-wife, Tanya, and he was getting ready to move to Dallas, Texas to begin work for the FBI. And yet... He was under intense persecution from the Oklahoma City Police Department itself for his refusal to confirm the official story of the Oklahoma City bombing. You see, Terence Yakey saw something in those moments after the bombing, something that disturbed him enough to cause him to stand up against the Oklahoma City Police Department that he had spent seven years serving. He knew, and he repeatedly attempted to tell his superiors, that the bombing did not happen the way that the public was told that it happened. He was in the process of collecting records and documentation which proved that the OKC bombing was not what it appeared to be. But he never had the chance to tell his side of the story, to blow the whistle on the things that he saw and experienced in the aftermath of that bombing. He died on the 8th of May, 1996. His death was ruled a suicide. So who was Terry Yeke, and what did he know? Well, let's begin exploring that question by taking a look at a very important article from APFN.org, written by Pat Shannon, and titled simply enough, Who Killed Terry Yeke? Quote, Terry Yeke was a giant of a man with a heart as big as the rest of him. I wish I had known him. He was a crusader for truth. Whenever his name is mentioned, I think of the news photo of him sprinting down Northwest 5th Street towards the Murrah building on another of the many rescue missions he performed that ugly day. In his blue uniform, he tends to remind us of an NFL linebacker about to put the sack on an unfortunate quarterback, but this is quickly overridden by the grave concern on the face of a policeman in a panic to save lives. After numerous private investigators produced irrefutable evidence of multiple explosions, unexploded bombs being hauled away after the fact, and the complete and total incapability of an ammonium nitrate fuel oil bomb to cause the kind of devastation seen in downtown Oklahoma City, a giant government cover-up became obvious. Only a couple of hours into the rescue, Sergeant Terence Yeagy became painfully aware of something disturbing. Did he somehow figure out that the building had been blown from the inside and that the news reports were baloney? Did he overhear a strange conversation from some of the many ATF agents who were on the scene sooner than they should have been? 
Whatever it was, Terry was upset. He called his wife that morning, crying. The big old teddy bear of a guy was crying and saying repeatedly, It's not true. It's not what they are saying. It didn't happen that way. Terry Icky may have been the first to discover the sham. He ran back and forth into that concrete mess of bricks and mortar all day long and continued beyond exhaustion far into the night. He scraped and crawled and dug until his fingers bled and then kept digging some more. In a cadre of heroes that day, Terry's performance was outstanding. On May 11th, the following year, he was scheduled to receive the Medal of Valor from the Oklahoma City Police Department. He never got it. He was murdered on May 8, 1996 in the country, two and a half miles west of the El Reno Penitentiary. No homicide investigation was ever conducted, and there was no autopsy. In an interview with Terry's widow, Tanya Yakey revealed that her husband had been very upset by something he had seen under the daycare center on April 19th. He had wanted to go back and photograph it, but the officials would not let him onto the site again. The Oklahoma Building Investigation Committee speculates that what Terry saw may have coincided with the possible evidence of another unreported bombing device uncovered by their science people. Mrs. Yakey also said that Terry was supposed to be decorated for his work as a rescue person, but didn't want to be put in the limelight. Terry felt the investigation was fraudulent and didn't like the fact that the OKPD was honoring people who really weren't deserving of the honor. Sergeant Yakey had told his friends that he was going out of town to hide or secure evidence of a cover-up of the bombing by federal agents. It was his day off, and he was traveling in his private automobile. In his last known conversation, Terry reportedly told a friend that he was being followed by the feds and had to shake them. Previously, his household had been subjected to numerous threatening phone calls by persons unknown, threats which have not ceased even with his death. Tanya Yakey has moved five times in three years since the Oklahoma City tragedy. She continues to get intimidating letters and threatening phone calls. Since her husband's death, her home has been broken into and personal threats have been written on her living room walls. She remains in fear of her life, constantly seeking asylum with no place to turn. End quote. Well, that is as good an introduction as any, I suppose, to the mystery of what Terry Yakey may have uncovered on that 19th day of April 1995, as he struggled, toiled, and sweated to rescue life after life after life from that burning, twisted rubble of the Alfred P. Murrah building. What was it that Terry Yakey found? What was it that he saw that completely destroyed for him the myth that the media then propounded about the OKC bombing? To do justice to Terence Yakey's life is to explore the unfortunate details of his death, because there is no doubt that what he saw on that 19th day of April 1995 was connected inexorably to his death on the 8th of May 1996. To begin exploring this, first, let's listen to an extended excerpt from that conversation mentioned in that APFN article between Terence Yakey's wife, Tonya Yakey, and Ken Rank and Craig Roberts of AM 1300 KAKC 
from a conversation that they had about Terence Yakey's life and death in 1998. Well, now she's on it. Good morning, Tanya. Good morning. Well, I, I've given them a little bit um, of, a, of a preview in the first hour of the case itself, just the basics of uh, what happened and what you know what you can do. We've got an hour, and what we uh, what you can do is kind of fill us in on on you know where you were at, what happened, uh, through your perspective, and especially uh, what happened to you, you know, it, not only during uh, the time of, of uh, the bombing and shortly after, but all the way up until, like, today. So why don't you start with, uh, 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 let's, let's back up just a little bit, take five minutes first and tell us that, you know, Terry was the first officer in the building. He probably saw some things uh, that uh, were dangerous for someone to see and remember and know, and he began working the case. And why don't you just kind of take it to there? What did, what did he tell you? Well, um, it actually started the day of the bombing that he had made some uh, strange statements that uh, at first I wasn't able to uh, really put into any kind of logical order um, but later on it began to make sense why he was making these comments um, I picked him up, I got a call about oh, 11.30 maybe 11.15 morning of the morning from Presbyterian Hospital um, they said Terry had been injured and I need to come down there and get him um, in that two hour time I'd been trying to find him um, his, uh, his computer and his uh, police vehicle was not uh, working, nobody could get a hold of him, nobody seemed to know where he was. So I was really concerned because uh, I knew he worked that area early in the morning, so I was concerned um, and was relieved to get the call. So I uh, went down there to Presbyterian Hospital, picked him up. Um, the strange thing was uh, his first statement that came out of his mouth was, get me out of this hospital, no matter what you got to do, get me out of here. Um, I said, okay, um, uh, he's very adamant. I, I didn't know at the time that um, I've been told later that he was threatened at the hospital. Uh, I didn't know where the source of threatening came, um, but that's, that's what I've been told later on, about a year after his death. Um, as soon as we got in the vehicle, um, and Terry had injured his back carrying Randy Ledger out of the building. Uh, Randy was a large man, probably uh, almost 300 pounds, and he had fallen through some rubble. Um, so he couldn't even walk, couldn't sit up. And uh, as soon as they loaded him into the car, uh, he got very upset, um, started to cry a little bit, and said, uh, Tanya, it's not what they're saying it is. They're not telling the truth. They're lying about what's going on down there. And um, yeah, I did try to press him a little bit, ask him questions, but he didn't seem very willing to talk about it. Um, it, it was just kind of a, a comment, you know, it's not what it's not what they're portraying it to be. Um, and from that point on, uh, it was about two or three days later uh, after the bombing, he had asked me to take him down to the site. Um, and mind you, Terry couldn't even walk, really was not in any shape to go down there. Um, but he kept insisting we needed to go back down there, uh, said that we needed to go at night when we could not be seen, um, and people would just recognize us easily. And I didn't understand the reason for that, but I did ask a lot of questions either because he just, he just seemed unwilling to give a lot of information. Um, we did go down there uh, probably between 9.30, 10 o'clock, and he said that we were going to go look underneath where the daycare had been. Um, there was something he wanted to see under there and get a picture if possible. Um, 
as we went down there, um, we were stopped. And I can't remember which personnel it was, but I know definitely it was either ATF or FBI. I just cannot recall what the uh, name was on the back of his jacket, but it was one of the two. And um, Terry had attempted to badge his way through, and the guy told him no. Um, and he said something a little more specific, like, uh, you know you're not supposed to be back down here. Something along the lines that made me realize the two of them recognized each other, and the interaction was very antagonistic. Um, I think had I not been with Terry, he would have said a little more to the man um, and maybe been a little more forceful about getting through, but it seemed like he thought better about it since I was with him, and we left. And then he uh, asked me as we got in the car that I not be seen down at the site. Um, and mind you, I worked a, a job that uh, might require me to go down to the site. Um, but I did not because he was very adamant that I not be seen down there at any point in time. Um, the, the entire year after that was uh, lots of strange incidences, uh, lots of strange comments from him. Um, about 15 days after the bombing happened, I got a call from his supervisor, Lieutenant Joanne Randall. And um, she's been pretty hostile, uh, pretty aggressive, and um, asked me where Terry was, told her he, he was not there. And she, she said, uh, you tell Terry that if he doesn't get that other report in, um, that he's going to be reprimanded if he does not get that in by the end of the night. Who was this? This is Lieutenant Joanne Randall. Mm -hmm. And this was his, uh, his supervisor, direct supervisor at the time. Now, um, let, me, let me give you a little filler in there. Um, in this time frame, Terry had written a nine-page report. Um, I know that he wrote a nine-page report. I saw it. This is the only report, however, that I've ever asked him to read that he did not let me. Um, I, I didn't understand the reason for that at the time. It was, you know, I've, I've ridden with my husband, you know, on ride-alongs. We, we talk a lot about what had happened at work. You know, I've, I've read reports about the prostitutes on 9th of Francis, you know. Just meaning that nothing was really all that sacred. You know, if I asked about it, usually he was pretty forthcoming in telling me about it. Uh, this time it was an absolute no. He didn't want me reading this nine-page report. Um, and that's an awfully long report. I don't ever know uh, too many uh, police incident reports that are that long, but his was. You, as you look back on that, do you find that as a his way of protecting you by making sure that you didn't have that knowledge? Uh, that's what I believe. That is what I believe. At the time, it was strange to me, but uh, two years later, it, it comes into perspective really clear that he did not want me to know, have any knowledge of what was going on down there. Okay, so now she wants a second report. She wants a second report. And like I said, this is not hearsay. I got the call. I know what she said to him. Um, he had told me, and I want to say it was maybe... Oh, about the 11th or 12th day that he had um, came into the house and was really upset, just mad, um, said that they supposedly lost his first report. It was just missing. Um, he was furious. And um, another thing that was very unlike him, that he would not keep a copy of the report, but I think because he had been injured and probably was not expecting that the report would come up missing, I think he probably would have made a copy under normal circumstances. Um, but he seemed offended, and he had said that she wanted him to write a much shorter report. It, you know, it needed to be one page. 
um, he was being dictated, obviously, what to write in his report and being told to take a lot of things out. Now, now, now that people have to understand that when you turn a report in, it first thing it does, it goes to, to, to your supervisor, then it goes to records division, and they make multiple copies for various locations. So to lose the report, the supervisor would have to lose it, or they would have to go to these multiple locations that they know the report's at and get rid of all the reports. All right. Now, they want a second report. That lends me to believe that they want a different report because they've already threatened him by now. Yes. And so now they say, that's not the report we want. You'll write it, but you'll leave out such and such. That's my theory. Right. Okay, go ahead. And, and I'm, I agree with that um, uh, for certain reasons uh, of other things that have gone on. Um, I know Terry was being uh, threatened with disciplinary action all over the place uh, for lots of things concerning the bombing. They won't fess to this, but this, in fact, was occurring. Um, and the report was the first thing that I know about that he was threatened with disciplinary action. Um, okay, I'm trying to get my train of thought here. And, you know, jump in, ask me any questions you want okay. as I'm going along. Uh, Jolie West was a psychiatrist who was stationed at an Air Force base in San Antonio for a period of time. He interviewed the downed Korean pilots who had, quotes, falsely confessed to germ warfare. Not convinced those are false confessions. And then he was an MKUltra contractor at Top Secret. He also worked for various branches of the military. And he was directly involved in the mentoring candidate programs. This is described in the MKUltra documents. He's studying dissociation, creating special states of consciousness, using sensory deprivation, isolation, hypnosis, and so on. He also uh, wanted to experiment in uh, prisoners, in uh, California prisons. Um, and uh, I think that was shut down before he actually got to do that. Uh, but he was heavily involved in a lot of the mind control stuff. But what's interesting about Dr. Jolene West is that some of the people he had interviewed or examined after they had done something, such as Jack Ruby right after the, the uh, JFK assassination. Uh, uh, he, he interviewed um, uh, Timothy McVeigh after the Oklahoma City bombing. He interviewed Patty Hearst. He interviewed... Uh, uh, several of the of the major uh, crime figures, Charles Manson, Sirhan Sirhan. He just seemed to pop up in all these places that were all basically mind control subjects. And he was directly connected to Martin Orn, who was also an MKUltra contractor, and in turn to G.H. Estabrooks, who ran Venturian Candidate programs. He's famous for killing an elephant at Oklahoma City Zoo with a dose of LSD, so he did LSD experiments. And then after uh, sort of the phase where the Korean War was over and the MKUltra contracting was over, he came, became an expert on destructive cults, which would include like the Heaven's Gate cult that they all committed suicide so they could join up with the mothership behind Hillbop Comet. Uh, he was brought in, so here at this point he's now at UCLA, Chairman of the Department of Psychiatry at UCLA, and uh, there's a murder committed in Dallas where a guy walks into a police station and shoots somebody who's in police custody. And so the local authorities are thinking, well, who should we bring in to help us with this murder? Maybe a local psychiatrist, maybe somebody from Oklahoma. No, they get Jolly West to come and interview the shooter, who is Jack Ruby. So he was directly involved in interrogating Jack Ruby. He also was brought in to interrogate Timothy McVeigh, and he was uh, one of the defense experts on the Patty Hearst trial. So he's had his finger in quite a lot of interesting history in the United States. And clearly he's not a randomly chosen psychiatrist.
He has top secret clearance. He knows about mind control. He knows about mentoring kind of programs from both an offensive and a defensive and a counterintelligence perspective. Uh, one of Jolly West's projects was the UCLA Violence Center, which was actually approved by Reagan when he was the governor of California, and then it was shut down based on public protest. But the idea was he had uh, access to a used Nike missile site, and he was going to implant electrodes in the brains of offenders, including sex offenders, and then when they were released from prison, he was going to track them from the missile site, and if they went outside the zone where they're allowed to be in, send a signal to their brains and mobilizing them so the police could come and pick them up. And the, the basic philosophy behind this program, which was supported by the National Institute of Mental Health, was that we have these genetically impaired and defective people, so we've got to put electrodes in and control them. So it's tied back into the whole Jose Delgado vision of how the human race should be controlled. The Jolly West developed this term, the three Ds, dependency, stability and dread. So this is what you have to do to the guy. Get him dependent on you for literally being alive, for food, for communication with the outside world. Stability, that's you break him down with sleep, food deprivation, waking him up, terrorizing him. And dread, this is the dread basically of never seeing your loved ones again or being killed or tortured. And these are like the core components of how to soften somebody up, get control of their mind. Uh, Ted Kaczynski, who's the Unabomber, was uh, involved in two types of experiments when he was an undergraduate at Harvard. One was LSD experiments run by Robert Hyde, who was a top secret contractor on MKUltra, and he received LSD at least in his senior year. But throughout his undergraduate experience there, he participated in, uh, Gilbert Burry was the contractor, uh, really harsh interrogation experiments. So it was like an enhanced interrogation at Gitmo. And they were practicing relentlessly tearing a person apart, attacking their belief systems. And he was involved in that all the way through. Ewan Cameron was the most famous psychiatrist in the world during the 1950s. You name a psychiatric association of any size or scope, he was the president of it. World Psychiatric Society, Canadian, American, world famous. Uh, Cameron was uh, graduated in Edinburgh, Scotland, and uh, he became a, a psychiatrist. Uh, he, in fact, at one time he was the president of the World Psychiatric Foundation, uh, and he ended up immigrating over here from Scotland and uh, was, was working in Canada under Sid Gottlieb and he headed up one of the projects dealing with LSD and with, mind, with different types of mind control projects and he had especially hypnosis. He was big into, into the hypnosis aspect and he, he thought he could, he could hip, actually hypnotize people without them even knowing it even if they didn't want to be. Dr. Ewan Cameron was a MKUltra contractor. Officially it says that he didn't have top secret clearance but I'm sure that in fact he did. The reason I say that is he was at different times president of the Quebec Psychiatric Association, the Canadian Psychiatric Association, the Society of Biological Psychiatry, and the World Psychiatric Association. And he was part of the team that went over and interrogated the defendants at Nuremberg. His experiments were basically, uh, there's kind of two components to it. One is psychic driving, and the other is depatterning. So depatterning is you give massive amounts of electric shock to the person like a hundred plus treatments. 
with six times the usual amount of electricity per treatment completely wipe their minds out. So they are incontinent of urine and feces. They don't know who they are, where they are. They don't recognize their children. And then once they're in that state, you uh, can add on barbiturates and other drugs, keep them asleep for weeks at a time, or kind of like half asleep, and then play tape loops over and over and over and over. That's the psychic driving. And the tape loops will be in the doctor's voice or the person's voice. And this is all supposed to program a new personality. So you wipe out the old personality, wipe out the mental illness, up comes this newly created personality and the person is fine. He decided essentially, he was Canadian, he worked out of McGill and other centers. He decided that a human being had no right to his own personality. That was the underlying theme of his conclusion after years of research that society needed to remold everybody. Uh, he was mainly the, uh, uh, the counterpart of Sid, uh, Dr. Sidney Gottlieb himself, and he, uh, he also worked uh, along with Jolly West, Dr. Jolene West, and uh, West was uh, heavily involved in, in a lot of these mind control experiments from early on, but mostly with the LSD aspect. And West was uh, from uh, University of California, Los Angeles, had his lab there, but he also had uh, done some experimenting right here in Oklahoma, and he even killed an elephant in the Oklahoma City Zoo with LSD. Uh, Jose Delgado was a neurosurgeon at Yale who was funded by the Office of Naval Research. And his experiments basically were putting electrodes into people's brains, also a lot of cats and monkeys. And originally you had to have a wire going from the electrode over to the transmitter box, but he developed a technology where you could just use a radio signal and the person's wound could be sealed up. And one of, he had people as young as 11 he was doing this to. One was a 16-year-old girl, and there's pictures in his books where she's kind of staring off into space, vacant. Another, she's strumming on a guitar. Another, she's pounding on the wall, all based on what button he's pushing on the transmitter box. And when he's describing monkeys and cats, he calls them mechanical toys. So he basically saw people as mechanical toys. And in his book, um, physical control of the mind, his idea of the future is, and this he was totally serious about and described in detail, we're going to put electrodes in the entire population, except probably Dr. Delgado, Delgado himself, and a few elite generals, and we're going to control the entire population. And this is not going to be fascism, this is going to be the next step in evolution. Um, in M. Keltra, in the In May 1972, Dr. William Sweet again personally approached the Senate Labor and Health Education and Welfare Appropriations Committee for more money. This time, Sweet was asking for a million dollars to branch out, to open a series of violence institutes like the Boston Project for the study of violent behavior across the nation. Sweet stated on the record that his appearance before Congress was on behalf of not just himself and colleagues at Harvard and MGH, including Dr. Vernon Mark, but also the Brain Research Institute of UCLA, in addition to UCLA's Neuropsychiatric Institute, under the medical direction of Dr. Lewis Jollyon West. Dr. West spent his entire career first in the military and later in academia, researching all manner of behavior modification, 
everything from cults to communist mind control techniques, dissociation, hypnosis, sensory deprivation, hallucinogens for which he attended cybernetician Frank Fremont Smith's Macy's Conference on LSD, social engineering, and more. As a psychiatrist, Dr. West reportedly examined Lee Harvey Oswald's assassin Jack Ruby, homicidal cult leader Charles Manson, infamous kidnap victim Patty Hearst, the man convicted of assassinating RFK Sirhan Sirhan, and even convicted Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh. He also reportedly monitored Height Ashbury's so-called acid ghetto before and during the Summer of Love. It wouldn't be revealed until years later that Dr. West was involved in CIA MKUltra research, that he was the main contractor in charge of Subproject 43 with a top-secret clearance, a project involving the altering of personality through sensory isolation and environmental manipulation, including the use of drugs and hypnosis. Dr. West's book, Hallucinations, is dedicated to aforementioned cybernetician Heinrich Kluver of Kluver-Busey syndrome fame. Unsurprisingly right on cue, Dr. Irvin and other Boston Project associates were on their way to California ahead of Dr. West's new project as mentioned by Dr. Sweet to Congress, the Center for the Study and Reduction of Violence at UCLA. Sounding just like Drs. Mark Irvin, Sweet, and Delgado, Dr. West decried the growing plague of violence as our greatest ill and claimed his was just the project President LBJ's Violence Commission had called for to cure it. The massive project would take many of the same ideas from Boston and expand them to screening the general population at large in the name of preventing, detecting, controlling, and not just treating, but pre-treating all manner of antisocial and violent behavior to somehow stop it before it could occur. Broad in scope, the project called for experimenting on people of all ages and from all sectors of society, including children, menstruating women, anyone deemed predisposed to alcoholism, criminals, mental patients, people diagnosed with brain disease and dysfunction, and more. Race was obviously considered a cause of violence, as the project involved plans to monitor students and introduce experimental anti-violence treatment programs at two different junior high schools, one in a predominantly black ethnic area and the other in a predominantly Chicano area. A wide variety of experimental treatment methods would be employed, including everything from newly developed but unapproved chemical castration drugs to monitoring, quote, abnormal electrical brain activity, specifically using surgical intervention by implanting tiny electrodes deep within the brain, end quote. Dr. West noted, it is even possible to record bioelectrical changes in the brains of freely moving subjects through the use of remote monitoring techniques. Sound familiar? A full third of the research projects the center ostensibly planned to carry out were based upon attempts to link violence prediction to what they deemed abnormal brain waves. Irvin, for example, made remarks that, to the effect that being a do-gooder or goody two-shoes or nice to people, that was a pretty good idea, but you wouldn't get any money from that. So they knew that the way to get money was to play on political and social fears and on racism. And these men are just riding that horse of violence, riding that horse of, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm white, you're black. 
I'm a neurosurgeon, you're a nobody. I think they were just riding all of those negative human emotions, integrating it into totalitarian philosophies. The ultimate goal of all this research was described as the ability to predict violent behavior, the development of mass screenings for the general public in order to officially label any violence-prone individuals of all ages before they actually committed an act of violence, and then initiate preventative treatment in the form of behavior modification of such individuals, even though they had not committed any crimes or done anything wrong yet. For many opponents, the UCLA project was a real-life version of the Stanley Kubrick film A Clockwork Orange. The center was described in a congressional hearing as a laboratory for the Department of Corrections and law enforcement officials with the diaphanous veneer of UCLA. Prisoners and patients at state hospitals and medical correctional facilities would also be used as guinea pigs for this experimental research including those being held at Vacaville, Camarillo, and Atascadero. Vacaville had recently had its experimental maximum psychiatric diagnostic unit shut down, following public outcry after it came to light that three prisoners had been amygdalotomized to inhibit their aggressive tendencies in 1968, with disastrous results. All of which the prison attempted to deny ever happened at first. One of the things that I had not imagined early on was all of this might have political implications. It didn't dawn on me. I'm embarrassed at how naive I was about life. I had no idea the treachery of, of outstanding people in the field of medicine, psychiatry, neurology, neurosurgery. Through all of this, Dr. Bregan continued to publish articles and make public appearances speaking out against the Orwellian violence centers and their experimental treatments. I was not going to stop. I was just not going to stop about this. Again, unsurprisingly, in the initial proposal dated September 1972, Dr. Frank Irvin was listed as a UCLA faculty member who had already submitted research to the project before it even officially began on violence in the brain, bioelectrics, and behavioral studies. Once again, it became apparent this project had already been approved in the upper echelons of government, when then-California Governor Ronald Reagan proudly announced the formation and $1 million funding of the UCLA Center in his January 1973 State of the State Address. In the weeks that followed, however, the plans for the center were leaked to an already anxious public by Director West's opponents inside his own Neuropsychiatric Institute. Protests began breaking out on the UCLA campus and outside the NPI. Protests against the use of psychosurgery to curb violence. Protests against what some called a clockwork orange at UCLA. Protests against the obviously racist and sexist overtones of the proposal and considering Dr. Irvin's timely presence at UCLA just prior to the project's announcement, protests against Drs. West and Irvin personally. Several students were even arrested after they chained themselves to Dr. West's desk. The project's proposal went through at least four revisions as Dr. West frantically attempted to rebrand his new violence center and regain public trust. Frank Irvin's name was removed from all subsequent drafts altogether. So was any trace of reference to psychosurgery, something that in the meantime Dr. Mark redefined in journal articles specifically as the creation of lesions in the brain 
and not the drilling into the skull for the placement of electrodes. This weak semantic argument allowed Dr. West to proclaim that his center was never going to be involved in psychosurgery of any kind, despite the fact that the placement of deep brain electrodes in test subjects, possibly including children, was a stated objective in his first proposal draft. By 1974, they even took the word violence out of the title, renaming the whole thing as the UCLA Project on Life-Threatening Behavior. Despite all the edits and reassurances, internal documents continued to get leaked to the press, and public opposition continued to build. Funding for the project itself was finally pulled and the project officially abandoned, after a shocking letter was leaked which hinted at something far more sinister than what Dr. West had adamantly tried to sell to the public. The letter was written by Dr. West to a man who appeared to be his good personal friend, Dr. J.M. Stubblebein, then Director of Health in the California State Office of Health Planning. It read, Dear Stubb, I am in possession of confidential information to the effect that the Army is prepared to turn over Nike missile bases to state and local agencies for non-military purposes. They may look with special favor on health-related applications. Such a Nike missile base is located in the Santa Monica Mountains within a half-hour's drive of the Neuropsychiatric Institute. It is accessible but relatively remote. The site is securely fenced and includes various buildings and improvements making it suitable for prompt occupancy. If this site were made available to the Neuropsychiatric Institute as a research facility, perhaps initially as an adjunct to the new Center for Prevention of Violence, we could put it to very good use. Comparative studies could be carried out there in an isolated but convenient location of experimental or model programs for the alteration of undesirable behavior. Such programs might include control of drug or alcohol abuse, modification of chronic antisocial or impulsive aggressiveness, etc. My understanding is that a direct request by the governor, or another appropriate officer of the state, to the Secretary of Defense, or of course the President, would be most likely to produce prompt results. Needless to say, I stand available to participate in any way that might be helpful. Lewis Jollyon West, M.D., Medical Director. Go ahead and pause and it. And there it was, in black and white. And there it was, in black and white. And if you look at what we were talking about right before intermission, there it is in black and white. So just because CNN told their segment of the audience out there this week that this is going on, this sort of thing, Terrence Yakey, these types of questions, uh, if you've been paying attention, there's been investigative journalists and documentary and uh, filmmakers and all sorts of people talking about this for years and years and years, not just the MK Ultra, but also other things like the Oklahoma City bombing, because the federal agencies behind such things, it's a small world. They're connected. There is continuity to their actions. There's a cover-up crew. There's incentives in it. There's a lot to be lost for letting the cat out of the bag ahead of time. And Lewis Jolly and West being like, you know, end to end, he's playing the MK Ultra court like he's Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Like he's he's at both nets. He's playing offense and defense. He's all, you know, with all these uh these crazy killers and assassins. 
And, you know, he's like the darling of UCLA and doing all these experiments on people. And uh, I don't think it ever stopped because no one ever found out because the people doing these sort of things continue to be in control of your media uh, that's out there surrounding most people we know. Well said. It's well said. And, you know, just to add a little bit more context, I'll go back to the same book I referenced earlier just to talk about one thing in particular. Let's see if I get this any closer. Um, it should be noted that Dr. Ewan Cameron, he got his start at McGill University. That's where Brzezinski the, went to school. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. And the Allen Memorial Institute. What's interesting is the Allen Memorial Institute is one of those institutes. Let's see if I can get this on screen. Founded in 1943 with generous amounts of Rockefeller Foundation money. Oh. The Allen Institute was intended to lead the field in psychology and humane methods and take a refreshing sweep out of the closet's approach to mental disease. And it goes on to state he had this open door policy, but it was very much a facade he used in order to conduct many of his beginning experiments. It's, you know, she goes on. Now, McGill, isn't that all we, isn't that also where Harvey Pasternak or Harley Pasternak, whatever Kanye's handler's name, he went to McGill. He was involved in these MK Ultra second or third generation type experiments. He brags about it on film and that world as laboratory, I'd say Kanye is part of the world too. So there's an ominous continuity to these research actions that they took in the name of science back in the day. And I think the name of the science uh, is eugenics. It's population exactly. control. It's uh, egoism. They're, they're, you know, these are people who have not gone through any natural rites of passage and they're, they're acting like, uh, you know, 70 year old, eight year olds, yeah, yeah. <laughs> throwing tantrums, putting the world in jeopardy with nonsense. Let's see here. Um, I believe it is. I can't find the specific reference, but I believe you're correct on that. I also wanted to point out while you're looking for that, that, uh, Oklahoma city, a noble lie, that documentary was made by the same filmmakers who made the next film that we showed, which was State of Mind, The Psychology of Control. And peppered in there, you had the Corbett Report, the uh, Requiem for the Suicide of Terrence Yakey. That's an excellent piece. It's you know standard if you want to study these topics. And then you had Truth Stream Media, Aaron and Melissa Dykes bringing a full circle with, I mean, that's a like four-hour documentary, and it's chock full of all the stuff we couldn't fit in state of mind. So it's like there's a whole palette. It's not from one single source or person, and it gives you a comprehensive landscape of something that otherwise would take you hundreds of hours to figure out on your own. So leverage the work that's been done before you stand on the shoulders of giants, be able to see further down. So it doesn't, I can't find anything referenced to McGill. Um, this says he's born in Toronto, Canada, moved to LA and pursued a supposed career in fitness industry, Jewish Ashkenazi origin. He grew up York Mills collegiate. He graduated. I'm sorry. From York the department, Mills. the national defense, uh, civil Institute for environmental medicine. Was that the, yeah. There was the a York, McGill University. University of Western Ontario, University of Toronto, and then oh. the Department of National Defense's Defense and Civil Institute for Environmental Science. I have been known from time to time to be wrong or inaccurate or maybe transposed. I'm sure. Well, a lot of, there's I'm a thinking lot of what the McGill reference was recently. I thought it was with this story in relation to, because we said when we found out 
that McGill was where you and Cameron was, and that's a that was a continuity. So I bet if we dig into that story, we'd find something that relates back to that. But it's been yeah, like six I'm months. Like, there's a lot of people referencing McGill because it's somewhat similar. Like I see a lot of publications referencing McGill uh, in regards to Passion Act to bring context, but I don't see any specific things. Yeah, maybe he taught there and, and didn't go there or something like that. We'll have to check. Yeah. Check further. It's a it's a either way. Point. I mean, he was a part of this, which is the DRDC Toronto major military research station. Look, which is right. what? What is Canada? What, what's Canada's military? It's the Queen's military. Right. The Queen's on their money. It's part of the British Empire. I love the people from Canada. I'm not thrilled about their ruling class that we fought against 200 years ago and never completely won against. Yeah. So yeah, he he ended up. Um, an exercise scientist, supposedly, this is just the wiki at the Department of National Defense's Defense and Civil Institute for Environmental Science in 2005. Yes, yes. Those are those are the clips where he's bragging about he, being in the military. He could conduct experiments in soldiers that otherwise they couldn't do in public. And it looks like he's associated with Halle Berry, Robert Downey Jr., Penelope Cruz. Oh, yeah. Bono, he's the, he's a trainer to the stars, especially the stars that die. Or get incarcerated or get institutionalized. He's very, very effective with like the Brittany Murphys of the world and other people who might have had strange deaths. You should check it out. Yeah, exactly. It's a thing, especially when he's on the record as threatening Kanye with incarcerating him again against his will to zombie him out. Like play dates with the kids won't be the same. Like that is a true window into that character that was handling Kanye at the time and the type of psychological trauma being inflicted by that character on the artist formerly known as Kanye West. Yeah, there's, you know, I've shown a number of, let me see if I can find that actually. Because there's, he ended up, Kanye suffered a breakdown in 2016. He goes to a weird Did psychiatric. He, according well, to Harvey, who, who pathologized him and then said, I'm going to have these people lock you up and we're going to take your shit. Because that's what happened, right? Right. Supposedly. Admittedly um, by Pasternak's texts. He says, you know, like, we'll do it like we did last time, only it'll be permanent this time. Send you to zombie land. I mean, we covered that again. It was like six months ago, but yeah, this one's an older. I remember Vigilant Citizen covered this, where he went to, um, you know, psychiatric ward within UCLA. He then comes out with blonde hair, same as like Britney Spears. He went to the same one after they suffered these supposed mental breakdowns. It's a place where Jolly and West worked at MK Ultra. I'm so surprised that this is going on at that hospital, Tony. I'm trying to find. I found it a while back. Let me see if I can. UCLA. Let's see if I can find it that way. So, I mean, it's like a, the home hospital for the Hollywood hoodlums. Here, this is five years ago. This might be. Uh, it's behind the paywall now. Oh well. Let me see. Actually, because it's probably an archive. It was a good article. I remember I actually got it on the record a while back. Um, let's see if I can find this. LD, did we have a time code for that T-Lav clip that was in the chat while Tony's looking over? Hey, here it is. It's clipped uh, out. Yeah, it's 14 cool. minutes long. So here's the specific reference. This is from a while back, so I found it. Um, so this goes, this is Vigilant Citizens, May 1st, 2018. And talking about, you know, Kanye West, treated out of the sunken place. 18 months after he was forcibly handcuffed, hospitalized, and placed under quote-unquote psychiatric evaluation, 
Kanye West, Kanye West now says he's, quote, out of the sunken place, end quote. His choice of words is rather telling. and goes down here, uh, talking about memory loss, psych central. So, quote, memory loss is the primary side effect associated with ECT treatment. Most people experience is called retrograde amnesia, which is a loss of memory of events leading up to and including the treatment itself, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, as stated in previous articles, Britney Spears and Amanda Bynes were also taken to UCLA on quote-unquote psychiatric hold after their mental breakdown, and sad to say, both of them never truly came back from that place. Um, so this is him being hospitalized. I'm trying to see. Here it is. Eight years earlier, shortly after Trump was elected, Kanye's life took a turn for the worse. In November 2017, he was forcibly sent to the Reagan UCLA Medical Center, quote, for his own health and safety, end quote, and stayed there for 10 days. After his release, Kanye took a long break from professional functions and reports about his mental health were not good. Indeed, nearly four months after his hospitalization, people close to him reported that he is still suffering memory loss. And so they get into the Ewan Cameron, Jolly and Wes, you know, deep patterning, deep patterning, you know, using electroshock treatments and electrodes in the brain and so forth. Yeah, Britney Spears, Amanda uh, Bynes also went to the same UCLA psych ward. And yeah, so and coincidentally, they all came out with like shaved sort of or cut. Right. Blonde. Look at that blonde hair, dude. Yep. So uh, Jolly and West MK Ultra operating out of UCLA psych ward has nothing to do with these stories that later continue to precipitate with the help of Harvey Pasternak in both cases. Right. So you can sort of. They see a continuity up to yeah. early today. Or Harley, whatever his name is. is it Harley, Harley or Harvey? I forget. Har Harley Pastor. I, forget. I, I don't really need to know. He's not that important, but it is going on out there. And there is a pattern of history to be recognized. And this is this is where he was to your what you were saying. I think there's yeah. some specific quotes here. Here. This is this Harley. is his trainer, Harley. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to help you one of a couple ways. First, you and I sit down and have a loving and open conversation, but you don't use cuss words and everything that is discussed is based in fact and not some crazy stuff that dumb friend of yours told you or you saw in a tweet. Now we can all relate to this. Does that sound okay with this part? Second, second option, option. This is an ultimatum, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's a false dichotomy. Uh, second option, I have you institutionalized again where they medicate the crap out of you and you go back to zombie land forever. Play date with the kids just won't be the same. And that was published November 4th, 2022. So it happens, I guess, somewhat yeah. around then. Yeah. 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 And this has so to follow threatening to do it again proves you did it the first time. All right. It has to follow the whole anti semantic brand. Supposedly he went on and all that stuff. And then afterwards it became crazier and crazier as we saw with kanye on which was time. also ironic because they have that saying that if you want to know who's in control look at who you can't criticize and then yeah. he said the thing and they proved him right that's <laughs> not in the way that he meant it though but it's still just ironic how they're like we have no control but we're taking everything away all across the board I ironic and it's the it's not yeah, he, his labels don't fit, but there are a group of people and it's an international multi-religious group organization type right. thing. But they right. did the thing for him that he was asking to be done. That's true. Irony. Yeah. He yeah. ceased to have contracts in the, in the status quo business world. They're like, we'll just take all that stuff back. That's right. Adidas, who was founded by Nazis and Puma, who was founded by Nazis because they were brothers. They're fine and dandy because it's like sponsor Ukraine. You know, but uh, his words are very dangerous. 
Right. Very dangerous to democracy. All right. So um, before we wrap up tonight, let's cover the East Palestine, East Palestine story. I'm, I grew up like 20 minutes from East Palestine. Maybe, you know, I didn't go there that often, but it's just like right across the border in Ohio. And um, it's about the same size town as I grew up in, like less than 5,000 people. Yeah. And so, uh, 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 you know, I have a lot of empathy and sympathy for people who live in that part of the world. I don't think they've been treated very fairly. I don't think that... uh, money going to Ukraine should be going there when you could just give all these people money for their properties, let them move their families and have the rest of their life. Maybe not living in a toxic dump that the EPA is lying to people about the air quality, just like they did on nine 11 more history repeating. So let's go to uh, Ryan Christian of the last American vagabond who was earlier today, like 10 hours ago, he was uh, on the VIP summit with us. We're having a good time. Let's go to some of his reporting from the past week on the East Palestine situation and uh, dioxins, which is a derivative of anything made of chlorine, which if you know anything is a poison. It used to be used as a poison gas in World War One. It's not just to keep your pool sanitary. Uh, dioxins are used in chemical production of a lot of different products. And when they get released in an un, uh, you know, regulated manner, they can be uh, very noxious and toxic for human beings livestock, water supplies, these sort of things. So let's go to Ryan. Let's get some fine reporting before we wrap it up and land this flight. Here's a report from the EPA from 1998. The United States Environmental Protection Agency, Washington, D.C., April 13th, 1998. Approach for addressing dioxin in soil. Clearly, clearly something they haven't studied, right? Because they, they have no idea what the base to compare it to is, right? That will, they'll tell you today. Well, here's just the background section. This is just so I don't lose it in case I lose my spot. <clears throat> background. To date, EPA has generally selected one part per billion, one part per billion, as a cleanup level for dioxin in residential soils. Okay, what are we missing here? Like that, that, that right there, done. They're lying. They have it on the record that their their already decided level is one part per billion. And if they find that, that requires residential soils to be cleaned up at Superfund and RCRA cleanup sites where dioxin is a principal contaminant of concern at the facility. EPA has also, to date, generally selected a cleanup level for dioxin within the range of five parts per billion to 20 parts per billion for specifically commercial industrial soils. Because remember, they're talking about, in this case, residential. So let's just say you have a town that gets influenced by it. They deal with that much differently. They say, well, that's one part per billion because people are there. They love to write down they care, right? <laughs> Doesn't seem to translate. But in, in direct like commercial areas where this happens, they're talking five to 20 parts per billion, which I don't know why that would be that different. If one's dangerous, one's dangerous. But it says, uh, same thing, and it says the levels... At that EPA has selected at these sites are protective of human health. So it's pretty clear they're telling you we pick one part per billion residential soils because that's keeping you safe and the environment. Based on presently available information in 1998, the using standard default assumptions for reasonable maximum exposure scenarios, the upper bound lifetime excess cancer risk from residential exposure to concentration of one part per billion dioxin is approximately 2.5 times 10 to the fourth power. So we're talking about one part per billion 
of dioxin in residential soils being where they argue that necessitates cleanup. Okay. Here is the EPA risk assessment for dioxin Superfund sites. This was last updated July 7th, 2022, which I find interesting seeing as how they're pointing at reports that come from 2012, I believe. Yeah, 2012. So what it's interesting, it's updated kind of recently. So I just that's interesting. Look into that if you'd like. On February 17th, 2012, they released the, the publishing an oral non-cancer toxic value for specifically TCDD in their integrated risk information system. Now, this is the same uh, uh, one of the reports they link to here in this report. And this is about the toxicity equivalence. Now, this is about making sure we understand that the one the one we're actually dealing with, TCDD, not only are dioxins the most pr problematic chemicals we know of, but specifically T TCDD is the worst of all of the worst. And that's what we're dealing with here. Now, just to break it down on equivalence factors, TCD is, is one at the top of the list. And, you, and we can go all the way down to the bottom of the least. This is still a dioxin, still considered some of the most to toxic chemicals we know of, but compared to the one at the top, which we're dealing with, that's considered 0.00001 to the one that is the TCDD. That's the equivalence. So just so we're understanding the true level of what we're actually talking about, and they know all of this, right? This is their report. Exposure and human health reassessment for TCDD, year 2000. So they did the reassessment. They came out with the reassessment. And weirdly enough, when you try to look for it directly based on this, oh, weird. Look, the report is unavailable at this time. Interesting. No updated date on that one. The point is it's talking about, and I do have it. I found it on a different, different location, estimating exposure to dioxin-like compounds. Now, why would that not be there? Like, why would that be gone? The record's gone? You you think for yourself, but on a different a different way to access this on seemingly some weird back uh you know you can tell by the way this looks it's like an older version estimating exposure to dioxin like compounds. Now I found a few things I thought were very relevant. Now we're still building to the one part per billion point. I'm just showing you my work here so you guys can see how to walk through these things and how why how you know why we should keep looking further and further and further. And you know it takes things like this where you come to the bottom of these and pick what you know look through their source material, find those PDFs and go from there. It's you know this is why it's almost intentionally complicated to, to suss these things out sometimes. Background summary, mechanisms and formation of dioxin-like compounds and combustion sources, the main things. Now, this one is about soot and ash studies. Combustion experiments yielded, now CDD, as in TCDD, and CDF are the dioxin variations. Concentrations in soot of, <clears throat> remember UG being microgram, 110 micrograms, and the TEQ is the, the, the equivalence between the, I forget what it stands for off, off the top of my head. It was the basically the comparison to how concerning this is to other things. Toxicity, that's what it is, toxic equivalency factor, or TEQ would be toxicity equivalence. So just so we understand what that's talking about. So that's what basically what they're saying is the toxicity equivalence. So at 110 micrograms per kilogram. So that's important. And I, right now, my point is, guys, we are way past that. I mean, and, and the point is, this gets into what we're, what they're reporting on much smaller examples of burn, you know, burning and things in incinerators at a plant, as opposed to hundreds of thousands of gallons being burned at the same moment in one location. Let's talk about what their own EPA documents point out, specifically burning vinyl chloride as an emission source. This is the same, we're talking about the same uh, document. 
that I was just looking at the back in regard to the, the back. Oh, I know this. This is actually a different one. But all of these stem back to the same uh, location that I was just showing you. All these links and so on to come from there. It's another EPA document on the background and summary of all of this work. And this is important. It shows you that vinyl chloride is a quant. It's quantifiable. Does create the formation of dioxins. Like this isn't debate. Like we, I, don't, I don't think I need to make that clear. We've got plenty of experts on the record making that undeniably clear. And I've got a research article about it making that clear as well. But the EPA knows this and it's on their own website. Yes, we know this. Then, and again, so I didn't lose it. We have this one where it talks about how much when burning you know, uh, uh, chlorinated products, how much it actually translates into specifically TCDD. That is important to me because of how very alarming, how serious, the, it's the worst of the worst of the worst. Now it says, in combustion source emissions, that's what we're talking about, TCDD is usually 0.1 to 1% of total dioxins because it's byproducts, right? The exception to this are stack emissions from industrial oil-fired uh, boilers where the, where, where the available but limited data indicate TCDD constitutes an average of 7% of total emissions. Now, I think that's the level that we're at because of the way that this was done, the way that was burned. Either way, we're talking about an alarming amount of, of the worst of the worst. In how much was burned, whether it's 1% or 7%, that's concerning to me. And this isn't up for debate. Now, here's where it gets really important to me. This is from the Japan Times. Vinyl chloride most toxic when burned. A study finds in, where was the date again? The year 2000. So why is this even being debated? Not because this one study ends it all, but because the point is, I hope clear by now, they know all of this. Not only that vinyl chloride specifically is like the worst possible example, and that's the, this is the point. A recent experiment has found that three types of plastic vinyl chloride produce out of three types of plastic, that of three types of plastic, vinyl chloride produces the largest amount of dioxin when burned. And non-plastic substances produce more dioxin when burned with chlorine compounds. So now we have the actual point that not only that they burn vinyl chloride, which happens to be the possibly worst possible creator of dioxins, which produces the worst kind of dioxin, but then on top of that, that it was burned with other things. As we already saw, there were other things leaking. There were other things contaminated this, as well as just stuff that was probably on the ground. Because we know they didn't put any kind of thing on the ground. They didn't put anything down to block it. It says the test was conducted by a research group formed jointly, jointly by Gifu Prefectural Institute of Health and Environmental Sciences and the National Institute for Environmental Studies. The results were announced Tuesday in the year 2000 to an environmental science conference in Sapporo. The experiment measured the amount of the most poisonous dioxin found in a cubic meter of gas emitted from the burning. Measurements were in nanograms, each being one billionth of a gram. So remember, we're talking one part per billion is their argument. And this is where it gets into where you can break down. And again, why nobody, not the EPA, not Norfolk Southern, not the media, not the government have stepped up and done this. <clears throat> In any way, even tried to give you an assessment of what might have been created. It says vinyl chloride produced 16 nanograms 
of dioxin per cubic meter. The highest amount of the three plastics. The point being the rest of them were less. Okay, so let's just take that before we even go forward. 16 nanograms, or actually, it's, let's just read the rest of this. But remember, 16 nanograms, and I'll leave that up, per cubic meter. The numbers increased when the plastics were incinerated together. So assuming, like, if you have polyethylene or some other level of plastic that was on the ground or whatever, that dramatically increases the amount of dioxins created. When vinyl chloride and the polyethylene were mixed, the amount rose to 19 nanograms. The same tendency was observed when non-plastic substances were added. So that means anything, the grass, for example, newspapers soaked in the ta in table salt or burned with vinyl, e with vinyl each produced more than 30 nanograms of dioxin. Newspaper alone, by comparison, produced a mere 0.17 nanograms. The researcher concluded that even seemingly innocuous materials like newspaper can increase the dioxin produced when burned with compounds containing chlorine. Now, maybe not grass. I'm just throwing out something else that's not what they said, just not plastics. But regardless, the point is non-problematic things that might have also been there, as well as other chemicals. So we know there were other chemicals, and we know that this was done in a really haphazard way. So was that done to maximize the, the output of dioxins? Or was this just the most malfeasant, clumsy, incompetent, irresponsible action done in environmental history? The researcher concluded that even seemingly innocuous materials, the finding is also highlights the importance of separating garbage before it's incinerated. In recent years, manufacturers cut back on the vinyl chloride because the following reports that it produces large amounts of dioxin when burned. So it's very clear they knew about all of this, right? I think that's pretty obvious. So to finish with this, here is the amount, 115,000 gallons that equals 964,561 pounds, okay? And that was for the other point, but then 115,580 gallons, which is what they're arguing, translates to 0.4 cubic meters. Okay, so remember, the argument in this discussion is about 16 nanograms per cubic meter. That's what it produces, right? One part per billion is the day is is the day is where they are they feel they are they're obligated to do something about that and don't forget in general that the actual risk for a lifetime human dose was one aspirin pill cut into 32 million pieces i don't even know what that even becomes in the amount it's so tiny and one of those pieces is the lifetime safe dose for you so we're not talking about just what's safe for you we're just talking about what the epa deems what they need to do something about and i'm just simply proving to you that they know it's more than that Okay, so this is the report they did about what it produces. We know that we have essentially 0.43 cubic meters that was burned. Okay, so that doing the math on that, it ends up being about seven, seven nanograms. Okay, which is the, which was the term, right, or the uh, nanograms. So seven nanograms, and it's pretty obvious to think that if it's one to one, one part per billion is one nanogram. Well, that's what they're telling you right there. So that means that we're talking about seven parts per billion. Now, look, I, this is just me trying to piece this together with the information that seems pretty readily available. Now, you tell me if I got this wrong. You tell me where we're missing something. As far as I can tell, if we're talking seven, part, not seven parts per billion, and remember, we're not talking about something that dissipates in the air. We're talking about something that clings to the, the, the particles like dust and everything else and then settles back down and is a persistent organic pollutant that can last decades, if not longer. 
And, it, and, and we're talking about that entire area at the level which burned being at seven parts per billion. Which is seven times the amount they're telling you is, is, is acceptable for cleaning up. And unfortunately, to add insult, you know, to I'm going to. I was just going to say, I was going to do the unpopular take and say that I think Ryan's work is really uplifting. And how could we do anything about any of these subjects unless you really get into the details and try to understand what's going on, what's being censored, what's being deep sixed so that people can't even have it on their radar to make an informed decision. I think he goes further in that little analysis right there than all the major news stations put together on this topic and that more people should support people like Ryan and people like Corbett and other people that are producing and actually doing the math and investigative journalism and bringing together the facts for the purpose of of understanding without having contradictions well said yeah i mean that's an enormously important aspect him getting into the weeds of making sure he does the conversions properly to understand just how much was actually released into the environment and to add insult to injury i think it's more than that 0.43 cubic meters or whatever but i need to check the math but it seems like there's even more than what he's pointing at not less well, they're also going to be burning more. So plan to incinerate soil from Ohio train derailment is they're horrifying. Gonna... Oh, Says that's expert, great. Soil is being sent to a nearby incinerator with a history of clean air violations, raising fears of chemicals will just be will be redistributed. <laughs> so contaminated soil from East Palestine yeah. train wreck. Who's doing the sent. right job on that? Yep. A new plan is quote unquote horrifying, said uh, Kyla Bennett, a former environmental protection agency official now with the Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility nonprofit. She's one, one among a number of public health advocates and local residents who have slammed Norfolk Southern and state federal officials over a decision. So, um, yeah, they're getting ready to incinerate the soil that's been doused in these chemicals, uh, which is only going to increase the amount of dioxins. And that's being carried. You know, we went, we did this on the town hall. We looked at some of the jet stream wind maps. It's being carried up through New York, up into like Montreal. Um, I have to look through that specific resource. But it's part of the uh, equality and inclusion of everyone else program yeah. that they have going on. Yeah, it's the one through they like burn northern. these things so they're dangerous and they get in air. Yeah, northwestern PA into like as far into almost the northern central New York. Um, into you know even parts of canada so that's in the watershed there which just means when it rains you know that's it's going to get into the groundwater um yeah and we're talking at that point it becomes volatile so what happens when they burn it becomes hydrochloric acid which is commonly known as acid rain so yeah that's a thing now of course in this situation with a catastrophic calamity of chemicals dangerous to humans they sent in the robots. They got the, you know, the general dynamics robots. They got the robots from MIT, you know, the robots that they're always building that they say they're going to use to save you. And they brought them in, they cleaned up that whole site and they prevented everyone else from being infected from the, oh wait, no, they didn't do that. They said, fuck you. Here's a big fire and some dioxins. And we're going to take our robots and kill people in Ukraine or in Russia or wherever they're taking the robots this week, Yemen. I don't know. Yeah, no. They got robots support. in the sky. They got robots underground, but they don't have robots coming to save people in East Palestine. 
on top of that, you know, mm. I've seen conflicting reports about what the standard procedure is, but, uh, you know, from anecdotal evidence just from, you know, going through different, uh, news articles, message boards, you know, trying to gain some insight of like, what's the standard procedure for someone who deals with toxic chemical spills? What would be that sort of situation? Typically what you do is you dig a trench and you have, uh, something come some sort of tanker or something to come and, you know, suck up the, the toxic chemicals in question, burning it off is too risky. So it's, it's a precedent that's never, that's just been said. Neutralize it, encapsulate it. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't, know why they would the only thing i could think about is the train was on fire maybe because of the volatility they were worried it was going to happen anyways i don't know i'm not i'm not saying that's it just there's a lot of questions and not a lot of answers as to why uh, obviously they uh went ahead and did something that was completely unprecedented as far as the typical procedure by which one would go about cleaning up a, a toxic chemical spill yeah well, the EPA watched out for all those first responders and firefighters and you know whatnot after 9-11. They, I was going to say, it reminds really me a lot sure of 9-11. They really made sure safe for those people. And now they're burning so the them. soil, right? After they took all the, uh, the the molten steel and they shipped it to China. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's sort of, yeah. it has a lot of hallmarks. So, you know, you can draw a lot of analogies to what happened in 9-11 with what they're doing here. And yeah, it's, it's disturbing on many levels. Yeah. All right, so... In an effort to land this flight on the runway, we got to put our wheels down. And to do that, we're going to say thank you to all the members who subscribe to GrandTheftWorld.com. We got a great members area. We keep adding more and more value. There's cool people back there doing cool things. But we also want to thank the uh, the tippers, the Rockfin chatters, uh, the people who have made it through to LD's control room desk and make the list at the end of this episode. What do we got? All right. Let's see if I can switch that up. Oh. <laughs> Shit's not working right. That's all right. Well, we made it. Uh, huge thanks to the Rockfin tippers. Well, huge thanks to the Grand Theft World community members. And a big thanks to tonight's Rockfin tippers. We had Jim Garrison, $5, $5 for being able to say a sentence or two. Thank you, Jim. You could have said more. Dave and Laura tipped $20. The VIP summit was awesome today. For the love of God, get some rest, Richard. Love you guys. Thank you guys very much. Jim Garrison, another $5. I'm an anti-vaxxer too. Uh, Chris Youngblood. <laughs> Tipped $5. VIP Summit was awesome. Thanks for putting it together, Rich, and get some sleep. That sounds familiar. <laughs> uh, Mr. T-Can, $5. Said, thanks, GTW. Hi, LD. You may find this interesting, and I'll drop this for you guys. It uh, looks like about a 20-minute clip from December twenty uh, December 2001. Uh, oh yeah, I know all about that. Yeah, there's uh, Bur this is all up in Burmese's documentaries too, Amdocs, yeah. and there was uh, Comverse was the other company doing mm -hmm. similar things. Yeah. Yes. Right. So thank you. Very again, interesting lot of research. And Castello, Castello, go with a gringo pronunciation. Castello, five dollars. Keep up the good fight. Thank you so much for contributing. You guys keep us going. And uh, 
Yeah, awesome, awesome summit today, Rich. That was really cool. Yeah, I feel like uh, the stars aligned a little bit. Even if my laptop crashed twice during the presentation, the fact that it was kind of not apparent to the audience, I thought was a good thing. So I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it for the win. <laughs> it's about to crash out right now it looks like <laughs> yeah for sure yeah a little bit like that's okay though we got to most of the uh, clips on the show card just two that i want to highlight for people to consider um greg reese fight back safety committees of the revolution was a very good video to talk about the, the the safety committees that were set up prior to the american revolution and sort of maybe bringing back something of that nature on a local level to fight against the tyranny we're experiencing and then uh, brian wilson uh, he did a new video called New Trend Power Grid Attacks Growing in the U.S. Um, puts up videos you know, every four to six weeks. So that was pretty good. Both of those are short, so definitely check them out when you get the time. There were the two that we didn't get to tonight, but uh, worth mentioning. And obviously, there's many more. So if you want to uh, you know, become a member, get access to the show card. You can check out all the videos we had considered to play during the production that we found interesting and worthwhile. So, And with that, we can head towards landing. All right, and with uh, without much more ado before we close out this show, I'll say that uh, getting through an episode of Grand Theft World is much like riding a bull, and you might not make it to the end, and if you do, you might get a little bruised and battered along the way. All who try are courageous, and those who finish, you guys are champions. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in and not dropping out. And here's J.P. Sears to play us out. See you guys yeah, next week. Have a good, good night. night. Peace. This is your brain. This is your brain on eggs. Any questions? Over 140 million hens have been killed. They've created a major egg shortage. So even though it's risky, I've gotten into egg dealing. And aside from killing all the chickens, they're literally doing everything in their power to rid the world of eggs. And the NIH has a food pyramid, damn it, trying to warn people of the dangers of eggs. The NIH has never been wrong about anything. As you can see, they rate Lucky Charms as twice as healthy as eggs. The government's basically doing a just say no to eggs push, but people want eggs. So I got into dealing eggs on the black market earlier this year. Business is a booming. Look at that. That's basically liquid gold right there in solid form. Oh my God, Woody Harrelson called Big Pharma a drug cartel on Saturday Night Live. Because <laughs> that's what they are. <laughs> hey there, my freedom-loving friend. Welcome back to the JP Reacts channel, where we like to call out the lies, hypocrisy, and corruption of tyrants and highlight woke absurdities, along with highlighting the work of other amazing freedom fighters. We're going to get to the short clip of Woody Harrelson calling Big Pharma drug cartels on Saturday Night Live. And he's gotten a lot of backlash from it. It was uh, a really crappy monologue, uh, but this part was like, it's based in truth and it, to me, it wasn't really that clever or intelligent. Might have been relevant like three years ago. But nonetheless, he was voicing his perspective and in my opinion, voicing the truthful perspective. But the problem is, 
He's there in the lion's den of propaganda. Mainstream television, Saturday Night Live, by the way. Which, by the way, um, I'm on a crusade to cancel comedy, and I would like to applaud Saturday Night Live for being a comedy show that's been dedicated to being free of comedy for the last decade or so. I think they're making a world the better, a better place, not offending anybody, certainly not offending their sponsors, brought to you by Pfizer. But nonetheless, there's Woody Harrelson delivering his monologue, catching a lot of backlash from it. We'll talk about the backlash in a second. But first, let's get to what he actually said. And just some contrast so you don't have to watch it, because in my opinion, the monologue was kind of slow and just not good. So the context is he's telling a story about being in Central Park and reading the dumbest script that anybody ever gave him. Let's pick up there. Fire up a hooter from Jeremy. <laughs> Shout out, Jeremy. And start reading. Okay, so the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes. And people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. By the way, can you hear the lack of laughter? <laughs> I'm sure there were some people in the live audience that were picking up what he was putting down, liked what he was saying, but they're just, everybody else in here has a mask on. I'm gonna shut them up. I threw the script away. I mean, who is gonna believe that crazy idea? Being forced to do drugs? I do that voluntarily all day long. Anyway. It's about that time. So that's the clip. All the drug cartels get together, buy up all the media, and then force people to take their drugs. And that's it. Not outrageous. It, it's just literally what happened. The only exaggeration, from a comedic perspective, one of the comedic principles he used was exaggeration. So really the only exaggeration component in his story is he called pharmaceutical companies drug cartels. Problem is, it's not really that much of an exaggeration. But the other problem is people don't want you to call the drug companies what they actually are. They're fucking cartels. They've controlled governments. So good on you, Woody Harrelson, for sharing that perspective on Saturday Night Live. I'm so grateful some people had their feathers ruffled. I mean, but how used to it are where people, you know, they watch mainstream television. They're not told anything that runs contrary to everything else they're told and therefore what they think. But they hear one thing like, oh my gosh, you are speaking unkindly of pharmaceutical companies. That makes me really uncomfortable. Why, do you have stock in the companies? No, I literally put my life in their hands and I've obeyed them, so I get really uncomfortable when someone challenges my thinking about them and tells me what they are. They're drug cartels. They're literally criminal organizations. Pfizer, I've said this so many times on this channel, Pfizer has paid the largest criminal fine in U.S. history, $2.3 billion. Now, I don't know the definition of a cartel, but they're probably technically a cartel. They're certainly criminal. Largest criminal fine in U.S. history makes them a criminal organization. So the only thing unbelievable about this is that people would be offended that he would get backlash, So, which is beautiful. It's just a beautiful thing. 
I'm glad it's happening. But let's take a quick look at some of the headlines of the backlash Woody Harrelson's receiving. All right, you see on DuckDuckGo, a simple, uh, by the way, always DuckDuckGo for me. I never use Google because I like to have relatively, like, uh, what, honest search results rather than like, oh, here's the propaganda that we want you to see. Thank you, Google. <laughs> Don't need ya. So anyway, Woody Harrelson, SNL, that's all I typed in. New York Post, uh, which is typically you know, pretty non-propaganda. Woody Harrelson blows up SNL with COVID-19 anti-conspiracy. Woody Harrelson parties following COVID conspiracy SNL monologue. Okay, so he partied afterwards. But like the, the fact that these outlets are calling out, like he was talking about a conspiracy. Yeah, a conspiracy that's objectively true. <laughs> the drug companies had the government mandate their thing and they want everybody to take it and then take it more. It's not a conspiracy. It's truth. It's from Newsweek. Woody Harrelson's SNL COVID conspiracy monologue divides the internet. <laughs> God. Truth seekers on one side, propaganda believers on the other. I guess it would be divided. Fox News. Woody Harrelson's uh, Saturday Night Live monologue about sparks debate. Woody Harrelson float, floats conspiracy on SNL. Like he floats it, like this is no conspiracy. Like how is this even a thing? How is it a thing? And like just this week, we're getting mainstream articles saying like, oh dude, you'll never believe it. Looks like the virus came from a lab. Yeah, uh, is it spring of 2020? No, it's spring of 2023. <laughs> All right, well that's not news. We've known that for three years. Now we're just now finding out. <laughs> So it's beautiful. The gaslighting and everything. Calling Woody Harrelson's thing a conspiracy or anything like that, it, it is just gaslighting. It's not a conspiracy. So with that said, I, I applaud Woody Harrelson and uh, I'm grateful Saturday Night Live let him say that. I've heard rumors, I don't know if they're true, but I heard rumors that he basically went rogue and you know he's supposed to say one thing, but he went off and said this thing. By the way, I, I don't know anything about Woody Harrelson. I don't know if he's typically towing the line of the mainstream narrative. I don't know if he's been a free thinker. Obviously not too much of a vocal free thinker or else there's no way he'd be on Saturday Night Live. So. I don't know about that, but this one micro instance of Woody Harrelson, I like it, I appreciate it. I appreciate the narrative being called out, and this is actually in a very delicate way, it wasn't even that hard, but I love the narrative being called out in the very vehicles that propagate the narrative. In this case, it's one of the uh, propaganda shows, Saturday Night Live. I don't know if anybody watches it anymore, but nonetheless, we watched a short clip together. And I'll tell you what's not a conspiracy. Good sleep equals good health. Conspiracy is a story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 
93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at grandtheftworld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there. Big props to Maria Broadcaster, that's where I'd hear And get hooked on the name of Richard Grove What he's saying is hypnotic Synchronicity came out like chronic All in full stride, compadres around all sides Seeking sources to provide solution The heavy-handed knowledge is Willie saying The peace revolution never known I was missing the blessing The heaviest session recorded and revealed The ultimate history lesson in this quest And I'm a Midwestern who's rocking it dope Subscribe to media produced by tragedy and hope And if you didn't know the gift And here's what you've been missing And listening is where conviction is revealed In descriptions in a brain model Don't come all hollow, but full throttle And dive in the deep end so history doesn't repeat And make it complete Catch Grand Theft World every week With Richard and Tony Chop it up with the homies And I ain't talking about that public school baloney In a sec you should know me Quoting Gato in the flow that I'm growing And LD's bearded is showing The time capsule stack of stats is open so spread it around, the show is ready to pounce Audience that abounds, seeking out what's profound I know it is challenging, fallacies in the balance When a forensic story in it, boring men while exhorting in Examination, contemplation, meditation, revelation, celebration Destinations planned, targets arrived Autonomous crew of souls that survive Broke free from the 9 to 5 and we doing it live Hey, with hope in our flow, where consciousness grows As opposed to, you don't have to think about it dude Cause it's a comedy show that be bombing truth, whoa. Trying to make uncommon truths be more commonly known. That it's a grand theft world that I'm living in. Ain't no reptilian skin, just some normal humans who love to sin. From their banking powers, they aim to win. Deceive and betray all men. Make it, make it, everyone slaves at them. It's a grand theft world that I'm hearing at. The sky's like a pyramid. For those tuning in, they be feeling that. Revealing that things ain't what they seem, so I'm fighting back and digging jack. Obtaining knowledge, wisdom, and art. Artifacts, 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 yeah, neglected aspect, that's what they lack, yo, trivium course, it'll deal with that, huh, 
be a rebel, bring the logic back Cause it's a grand theft world that they rolling out Got the gold model out, tracing Rockefeller dollars Straight to clouds, SEC connections are hard to doubt But most go the common route, walking with their head in the shroud Yo, it's a grand theft world that I'm peering at Disguised like a pyramid, but those tuning in They be feeling that, revealing that Things ain't what they seem, so I'm fighting back And digging jack, obtaining knowledge, wisdom, and artifacts no, it's not a video game. This isn't Grand Theft Auto, folks. This isn't a video game. This is Grand Theft World. All right, LD. It's a Grand Theft World that I'm peering at in disguise like a pyramid. For those tuning in, they'd be feeling it. Revealing that things ain't what they seem to invite back and digging jack, obtaining knowledge, wisdom, and artifacts. If you need a single location to get cutting-edge information and keep up with the rapidly changing world around us, tune into Grand Theft World, where a forensic historian and a logic professor break down the week's news in depth and in context. There's a ton more there, so go check it out. And don't forget to get your Freedom Vault on the homepage.